degenerates. 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 A very unimportant person. It's cheap boy gonna Google his name. A very unimportant person. It's cheap boy gonna Google his name. And they're gonna come to the website that he's associated with. And they're gonna come to the website. Come to the website. To the website. 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 Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Telus is being brought to you live and recorded live on July 13th, 2021. The time right now, 10.28 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. We were supposed to start at 7 tonight. In fact, we were supposed to start a few days ago. But I decided we're going to wait. And we're having the show tonight. We've had some very long shows recently. Very, very long shows. Over nine and a half hours last week. And we had another show pretty recently that was also about nine and a half hours. Those were our two longest shows ever. And sometimes you can have too much of a good thing. And I'm starting to get comments from people that the show is too long. And this is from some people who never, ever felt it was too long before. And what happens is they just simply don't have enough time in the week to listen to the episode. And they find they have to pick and choose which segments they listen to and jump around to what they think will look most interesting because they simply don't have nine and a half hours to spare during the week and that's very understandable so i decided to give you some extra time you got a few extra days to finish off the last show tonight will not be nine and a half hours i promise you that and we're going to try to keep the show yeah back down to six hours or so in the future i'm not saying we're going to Hold to that. I'm saying that uh, it's not going to be a regular thing that the show is that long. Because I know not everybody here has that sort of time to listen. And I know a lot of you like hearing everything. And then it becomes tough if you want to hear everything and you just don't have time. Now, what you do have time for is the free roll. The free roll was at uh, 10.15 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. You still have 10 more minutes to get in there. The No Fraud Online Poker Room. It's near the top of the screen. And you need to have been previously validated to get in. So if you have never played before, you won't be able to play tonight. However, I imagine the field tonight will be quite small because this show was not well known to be on Tuesday. So I have a feeling those who knew about it may have forgotten about it. And others just could not stay up this late to play a free roll. So if you want to get in there and win the free money, we have $59.00 that we are giving away this week. $59 money, which is cash. We will hand it out to you in one of many ways. We can send it by bank transfer, by Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin's transaction fees are low again, so I can send it to you by Bitcoin. Bitcoin Cash is an option too. Cash App, Zelle, or other methods you can think of that you can receive money on the internet, and I will send you that money. Real cash money. $30 for first, 19 for second, and 10 for third. 30, 19, and 10 are the three prizes tonight. Came from four sources this money. Mr. Wallace gave $13. Sensei Crease gave $10. Limp Donk Bingo gave 26 And Frank Rizzo 
gave ten. So thank you to the four of you who gave this money to add up to fifty nine dollars. If you want to call the show, the phone number as always is seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. If you want to call a different phone number, you can. It's called the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old seventies rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston in a cabin, and it forwards to me wherever I go. Mount Charleston is a mountain about 40 minutes away by car from Las Vegas. Nice place to visit in the summer. Las Vegas has had oppressive heat recently, and Mount Charleston is about 30 degrees cooler, sometimes 35 degrees cooler. So if you have a car in Vegas, you may want to check it out. 702 1808 is the Mount Charleston line, an old 70s rotary phone, which forwards to me. If you want to text the show, you can text the main number, not the Mount Charleston line, but text the main number, 775-372-8355. If I receive your text during the show, I will read it on the air, unless you ask me at the beginning not to. And you can also text me when I'm not on the air. You can text me anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I will probably respond to you. 775-372-8355. Don't feel shy. You can always text me. I will never chew you out for bothering me. I will never feel like you are a burden. Even if you are one, I will not make you feel like it. We have a call to listen line. The call to listen line is a wonderful invention that allows you to listen to this show without a computer, without a smartphone, without a data plan, without the internet, and without a strong cell signal. And without an app. You don't need any of that stuff. It's just a simple phone number you call with any phone that can dial. And you just listen. It never freezes. It never buffers. It's not like a normal streaming experience where you need a good connection and it freezes and you've got to wait. It always freezes at the wrong time when you're really into it. And you want to hear what the host says next. And then it just stops. And you go, no, no, no. What's next? What's next? Come on, start again. Start again. It's not going to happen here. The call to listen line never freezes and never buffers. That phone number is 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736, the call to listen line. Give it a try. We have an alternate number, just in case that doesn't work. 641-741-1095. Those are both just about always up. So if one does not work, try the other. And you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when we're not on live, it'll stream reruns of the show. We've been on more than 400 episodes We kind of forgot to have a 400th episode celebration, but we've had more than 400 episodes. And it'll just pick one at random and run it in full and pick another and another and another until we come back live on the air. That's how the Call to Listen line works. You can also listen using other sources. You can go to the radio tab and just uh, use the player there. It may start automatically. It may not. If it does not start automatically, press, press the play button on the player and it will play it'll work on any device and we also broadcast live via the TuneIn app if you want to get TuneIn we have two entries on there one is live and one of the archives shows another way you can listen of course is the archives where we save every single show we do and you can go back and listen anytime and you can go all the way back to 2012 so we have iTunes we have Google Play we have Stitcher, we have the TuneIn app, we have Spotify, iHeartMedia, the Bullhorn app, which isn't very well known, but it actually has its own call to listen line to listen to the archives. So check that out. 
so many ways to listen. You can even listen through your Amazon Alexa device. You can say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast. Got to throw the word podcast at the end there. But say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast, and it will play. And if you say next, it'll actually go to the previous episode. Backwards, but still works. That's through your Amazon Alexa device. So many different ways to listen. If there's another way you want, you can text me or email me, and I will look into adding something else, as long as it doesn't cost me too much money. We will do the agenda shortly and get going. Remember, we have a chat room if you're listening live. Needs a forum account in good standing. And if you want to play the free roll, make sure you understand the rules. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase, exactly as it sounds. And you can learn the rules as far as qualifying for the free money, which it's not hard to do, but you need to know how to do that. Hasn't changed in a while, but... Might as well take a look if you have not done so yet. Our agenda is as follows, and then we will get going. Breaking news. This one just happened tonight, so I'm very happy that we didn't do the show till tonight or this would not have been a topic. I mean, it just got dropped hours ago. Mason Malmuth, who has run 2 plus 2 for 24 years, has sold the forum. I didn't think this day would ever come. I thought Mason would run 2 plus 2 until he was in the grave. But that is not true, because Mason is not in the grave, and he is no longer the owner of 2 plus 2. He announced this on the forum tonight, and I will read you what he had to say about that, and then I will give you my comments on both the sale and 2 plus 2 history. As you probably know, I have a pretty uh, checkered history with 2 plus 2, and I'm currently banned there. So, obviously, I don't feel very warm about Mason. Obviously, I'm happy that he is leaving. Well, he's not quite leaving. We'll get to that, too. But I'll tell you all about the 2 plus 2 sale that took place. Mike Matisau has joined the class action lawsuit against PayPal. Yes, the one with lead attorney Eric Bensamokin. Matisau is now a client. We'll talk a bit about that. We're going to have on listener Go Buckos. He's called in before. He's always very good when he calls in. He wants to talk about a topic that I have also been talking about lately, and that is about businesses hiding behind COVID to provide worse service. There are examples within gambling and examples outside of gambling. It's happening everywhere. So we will discuss that. We'll tell you how to spot a business that hides behind COVID. And I'll also give you some tips on how to deal with some of these things. In some cases, there's nothing you can do. You need to, at the very least, be able to spot when a COVID change is not really a COVID change. It's really just a cutback. I have an update on the Landon T story. Remember, he resigned in that match against Bill Perkins. Now, we covered that extensively last week. We're not going to get into all that again. But some people appeared on uh, Doug Polk's podcast, and I would say the most interesting one to appear was one of his coaches, Kevin Rabichow, and he shed some light on the entire thing. So I'll give you some new information that we learned from that show that Doug Polk did. 
and I know a little bit more now about the whole situation than I did before, and a lot of my suspicions turned out to be true. Daniel Negreanu has been in a long slump. You may not know this, but in addition to losing these heads-up matches that he's been playing, he also has not been winning tournaments. He's been getting deep in tournaments, but he has not won a major tournament in eight years. That is until today. Another breaking story today is that Daniel Negreanu has finally won a major tournament after eight years, right after Doug Polk mocked him for not winning a major tournament in eight years. The New Jersey State Police have arrested a man who used 1,800 stolen identities to make online gambling accounts. Pretty amazing story. We'll talk about what's going on there. Planet Hollywood has closed its poker room, but a clusterfuck has apparently occurred on the final day when the promo money was given away. Any kind of promo money that has been accumulated through... uh, you know, some kind of player-funded jackpot has to be given out before a room closes by state law. So the attempt to do that was a complete mess. We'll talk about what happened there, according to a listener who texted me about it. The Venetian held a tournament recently, and there were a lot of bad reviews. A lot of people did not appreciate it all, the way everything was set up there, and we'll discuss that. The cost of NFL data is rapidly rising. When I say NFL data, I mean data that is sent to sportsbooks. Data used for live betting, where you can bet in-game on a bunch of things. And also data that's sent before the game. There is a company with the monopoly on that data, and they are demanding a lot of money. And the legalized sportsbooks don't know what to do. So we'll talk about this live data controversy and how it might affect legalized sports betting in the U.S. Caesars benefits from 2020 are still available. So don't feel bad if you just didn't get out to Vegas to use them or get out to any casino to use them. You still can. It may not be 2020, but you can still use those benefits. I will explain. Then we'll see if Brandon can come on. He texted me that he is tired and he is going to take a nap. So we'll see if he gets up in time to come on the show this week. Something I want to announce before we go forward and start the show is that Brandon will probably, and I can't promise, but I will say probably, be doing his own little Vegas news show sometime next week. Because I was talking with him about the schedule of this show in July And I mentioned to him that I may have a hard time doing this show in July regularly. And he said, hey, I can do a show. I said, oh, okay. Well, he doesn't have the equipment to take phone calls and all that, but he can record a show or he can do a show. He just can't take calls during the show. So I know a lot of you like to hear his Vegas segments, and I know a lot of you like to hear me and him together and I probably won't have time to do that with him when he does the show, but there probably is a Brandon show coming up sometime next week. It's a little preview. So if if you don't hear him tonight, you'll hear him next week, most likely. Again, no promises, but uh, we'll see what we can get done. And Sharif is still on the hook, by the way. Sharif has not gone away yet. Amazingly, he's not given up. Brandon was playing at an Orleans tournament 
recently, and he told me a story about how four different people there were saying, hello, 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 Brandon, hello, 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 and imitating Sharif while he's at the tournament. He couldn't believe it. Four different people at this small Orleans tournament listened to the show and were making jokes about Sharif. Just seemed like one after another, including some he didn't recognize. Some people he knew who they were, some he did not. So if you're one of those people, he thought it was amusing, and I'm glad you guys listen. Glad we always have these people out there that we don't know are listeners, but apparently do listen. So that's great. And I know Brandon is happy to see that, and I know that I'm happy to find that out, and I'm happy to meet people during the World Series. By the way, about the World Series, before we get going, small update here regarding my playing the World Series. People are asking me, can you buy pieces? The answer is yes, but I'm delaying selling them because I'm not 100% sure I'm attending. I am closely watching the Delta variant and also the Lambda variant, which is not as well known, but may even be worse. And I'm going to determine if it's safe for me to do so. I'm fully vaccinated, but the World Series of Poker is probably one of the most dangerous places to be for COVID. That's the truth. So if these variants of COVID can bust through the vaccine, it's going to happen there. I'm not saying it's 100% I would get sick, but I'm saying that that's the highest chance place where it would happen if it were to happen. So I better be real certain before I play the World Series that I trust the vaccine to keep me healthy. So I'll be monitoring the situation. And if I feel that I won't be comfortable there, then I probably won't play. I'd like to play. I miss it. In fact, it's been about exactly two years now since the last World Series event I played, which was the 2019 main event where I had a deep run. I finished 128th out of like 8,600 people. It was fun. I made some money. Didn't make the huge money, but you know, I got to the final 128. A few things fell differently. I could have made the final table. So I look forward to trying that again, but I'm watching. You know, I, I didn't put all this time into avoiding COVID just to walk into the World Series with thousands of people and get sick there by one of the variants. So... I'm not going to be ultra paranoid about this, but at the same time, I'm going to be sensible about it. So I'm not saying yes, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying I'm watching. At the moment, I'm just behaving normally. I'm not afraid of COVID, I go where I want, so I'm not hiding out from it right now. I'm just saying that by October, I may feel differently. Okay, so I'm going to get going. I saw we got a call before, but uh, not ready to take calls yet. After, After this first topic's done... If you want to call in, we can take the call. So I'm going to talk about 2 plus 2 and the breaking news tonight about the sale. 2 plus 2 was, and I think still is, I'm not sure if it still is because it's really fallen upon hard times, but for quite some time, 2 plus 2 was the biggest English language poker forum out there, period. During its heyday, during the poker boom of the 2000s, it was so active that it was impossible to read everything unless you were to spend all of your day doing it. 
It was that active, like the News Views Gossip Forum, which was the busiest forum. I didn't have time to read it all. So what I would do is I would scan it and say, okay, well, this looks like an interesting thread, and then I'd read what I could of it, and I'd follow what I could there, but the thing was just so active with so many people making so many posts. It was crazy. And they all all these sub-forums, and they were active too. I mean, it was a very, very active site. 2 Plus 2 actually began prior to the poker boom, which is the big reason it was as successful as it was. 2 Plus 2 did not succeed because of owner Mason Malmuth. 2 Plus 2 succeeded despite Mason Malmuth being in charge. And you may say, how is that possible? He's the one who started it. He's the one who was in charge the whole way. So if it was successful then how can I be saying it wasn't him? Well, it's because he was totally in the right place at the right time. So I'm going to read his announcement, and then we're going to go back to the history of 2 plus 2, and then we'll get more into the present about where it's going to go from here. This is what he wrote. This was at uh, the time... It's all screwed up there because they have a stupid time zone set by default if you're not logged in. Yeah, it's, uh, it was posted actually at 5.46 p.m. Pacific. Hi, everyone. I have an important announcement to make. This website, www.2plus2.com, has been sold. That's such a Mason thing to say. Instead of just saying 2 plus 2 has been sold, it's or, or the website of 2 plus 2 has been sold. He may not have sold his publishing company, but he's saying the website of 2 plus 2 has been sold. Should have been what he said. It said, the website www.2plus2.com has been sold. <laughs> like, nobody uses www anymore, anyway. <laughs> e- even if you're reading this message, it's not www. It's forumserver.2plus2.com slash blah, blah, blah. www. It's such like an old guy thing to write. It's hard to believe that it was 24 years ago when 2plus2.com was launched. And at that time, when we started with just one forum, we thought it was only 50-50 we would get a post. But here we are, many years and over 60 million posts later, and it's time for new, younger people to take over and make this site better than it has ever been. Many of you will be familiar with the new owners, since they are the same people who have brought you the hand-to-note HUD, which is highly thought of throughout the poker industry. And I expect them to post soon in this thread. Now, that's really weird, because... Not many people know of the hand-to-note HUD. That's hand number two note. And it's HUD, which is heads-up display. It's something you can use to display stats as you're playing. And I don't know much about it. I hadn't heard of it before Mason mentioned it. But I don't think quote many of you are familiar with hand-to-note. But of course, who are these owners? Like It's not, it's not like many of you would be familiar with uh, the new owner, Daniel Negreanu. It's not like that. It's like just the owner of hand-to-note. Like, who the hell is that? But we'll get to who that is shortly. Our reasons for selling 2plus2.com at this time is simply that those of us, including myself, who run this site are getting old and I'll be 70 this fall. So when the offer came in to sell the site to new younger people who are on top of all the latest programming technology and who should have the ability to make the site better than it ever was, we felt it was right and we'd be best for everyone, including those of you who are members of the 2plus2 community. Now that's interesting right there. He acknowledges that he's getting old and that everybody else involved with 2 plus 2 is getting old and that it's, it's pretty much time to move on. 
He actually used that same justification to ban me last year from 2 plus 2. Because we had an agreement. We actually had an agreement through his attorney to not ban me unless I broke the rules there. And he banned me anyway because we were arguing. And because I made one snide comment about his tennis charity after he made tons of snide comments about me and Poker Fraud Alert and I got tired of it. So I shot back with one comment about his tennis charity and he banned me. And I said, well, Mason's breaking the agreement. And I put it out there on Twitter. And he wrote back on Twitter at the time that he decided to ban me because he's 69 years old and he's tired of dealing with the bullshit and he just doesn't want me there and he's too old to want to deal with someone he doesn't like. <laughs> so, like, I mean, that would have been fine if he didn't previously agree not to do that. But whatever, I didn't press it further. He didn't want me there. Fine. I won't be there, and I have not. He went on to write, I want to give special thanks to those who helped with the launching of this site. David Skolansky, Chuck Weinstock, Matt Skolansky, that's David's son, and Ray Z. I also want to thank Mike Johnson and Adam Schwartz, who hosted our 2 Plus 2 PokerCast for many years, to Brian, quote, Dynasty Clark, who has been our magazine editor for the past 15 years, to Steve McLaughlin for help with some of our most important marketing in the past, to Bob Holmes, who has been our advertising representative for many years, to Kira Getz, who has assisted with some of our computer programming when we needed a lot of help, and to Mike Minkoff, who has helped us with so many things I couldn't begin to list them all. Mike Minkoff, by the way, is the one who posted there is uh, Professional Poker, and now I think he posts Video Pro. In addition, a special thanks goes to our volunteer moderators who have worked tirelessly to make this site as good as it could possibly be, and to our advertisers who, thanks to their support, have allowed 2 Plus 2 to exist. And finally, a special thanks to Jessica Vecchione for suggesting that we create this website back in 1997. This is like an Oscar speech. Also, we'll be going through a transition period, so Matt Skolansky, Chuck Weinstock, and myself will certainly be active for some time to come. After that, we'll just be posters like everyone else, and I expect to be posting for a long time. Best wishes, Mason. Hmm. Well, let's begin here with the history of 2 Plus 2. Then we'll get to the new owners and also what it's going to be like on 2 Plus 2 with Mason becoming a regular user eventually. And how similar will it be? How much power will he have, if at all? So we'll, we'll get to all that. And a lot of this is going to be speculation because the only official statement for Mason was what I just read you. And this was just at 5.45 p.m. tonight, about five hours ago. So you have to understand that 2 Plus 2 was started after 2 Plus 2 Publishing. 2 Plus 2, the site, that is. 2 Plus 2 Publishing is Mason's book company. Mason is a former engineer. That's what he was for most of his uh, younger life. And... Then he got into uh, publishing books on poker and gambling. It's called 2 Plus 2 Publishing. He got his bachelor's degree in math in 1973 at the age of 22. And he got a master's degree in math from Virginia Tech in 75, the age of 24. And then he became an engineer. And I don't know at what point he transitioned to eventually 
publishing books. I know that uh, 2 plus 2 goes all the way to 87 when Skolansky wrote The Theory of Poker. 2 plus 2 began 10 years later, the website, in 97. Prior to that, the place everybody was discussing poker on the internet was a news group, a Usenet news group called rec.gambling.poker. Now, if you were not on the internet in the 90s, or if you were but you didn't use news groups or even didn't know what they were, news groups were kind of like a forum in a way, except they had no central location. News groups, this is the way that uh, people communicated on the internet in a public setting prior to the web even existing. The web existed in 94. That's when it started up. Maybe even in 93, but most people were not on the web till 94. And prior to that, there were these news groups, these Usenet news groups that were text only and that uh, people would post. And uh, basically, any server that wanted to be part of Usenet could join. And they they'd basically maintain a copy of all the messages. And every time a message would, be, would post it would propagate to all the different servers. So there was no central location where everything was stored. And there were all these different news groups for all these different topics. So rec.gambling.poker, that stood for recreation, rec, R-E-C, dot gambling, so like a subtopic within recreation, gambling, dot poker, which is a subtopic within gambling. And then there was rec.gambling.blackjack, and rec dot other things so it was that that was the hierarchy of usenet and then there were alt dot things for news groups that were that didn't fit into any other category so if you were on the internet prior to the web or even after the web in the mid to late 90s you were probably familiar with this stuff i first posted on usenet in 1991 at the age of 19 most people are not familiar with those days of the internet. Most people got on the internet after there was a web. But anyway, the reason I'm even talking about rec gambling poker, which by the way, that's where uh, Daniel DeGranu kind of got his start in talking poker with people. He was just a young guy in poker at that point. DeGranu is a few years younger than me, so he was just able to start gambling. And he was posting on rec gambling poker. In fact, he has an infamous post there where he calls out Annie Duke and how she treated him when he first came into poker. It's a good post, by the way. Rec Gambling Poker started to have some problems. Started to get a lot of spam. The posts there became low quality. There were just a lot of issues there. And people were kind of getting... Uh, the newer breed of people who were coming onto the web, they didn't really understand Usenet. They didn't have an, an easy way to access it. It's something that wasn't particularly user-friendly especially given that the web basically was a much more user-friendly version of the internet, which predated the web. The internet goes all the way back to 1969, believe it or not. But people have been using things like Usenet dating, I think, back to the 80s. And by the time the general public got on the internet through the web, they were preferring easier interfaces to use. And between the difficult, the difficulty in accessing it or knowing how to access it and posting there and understanding it, 
there was really a need for a poker forum to replace Rec Gambling Poker as the main place to discuss poker. Now, I don't know exactly why they started 2plus2.com, but they did. As Mason mentioned, they started in 97, and it was kind of started like, hey, let's give this a shot. Let's see if anyone's interested in posting about poker here. I'm guessing it was started to help promote the books. They figured if they had a poker forum where they could promote their own books, that sales would increase. In fact, Mason says it wasn't even his idea in this post he just made. He said some person named Jessica Vecchione, I don't even know who she is, she requests that she said 24 years ago in 97 that they should start 2 plus 2 as a forum. So Mason started 2plus2.com in 97, apparently. So the 2 plus 2 forum was much more accessible and easier to use than rec gambling poker. And keep in mind, forums were not common in those days. They existed, but they were not common yet. So in 97, for those that might remember, the web was a very different place. And as far as where you would communicate with people in large public settings, uh, there really weren't that many places to do so. They had a lot of chat rooms out there. In fact, even I ran a chat room in 97. But as far as places you could post messages that stay up, like a forum format, uh, there really weren't many of them out there. So Mason really didn't have any competition. I don't know if there were any other poker forums in 97, or if 2 plus 2 was the first one. As I said, everybody was talking on rec gambling poker. Well, it ended up being a success. I don't know how long it took, but I know that people quickly were abandoning Rec Gambling Poker, or at least posting in both places, and eventually Rec Gambling Poker became a ghost town, and 2 Plus 2 became quite active. By the time I got into poker in 2001, 2 Plus 2 was very active, and that was the place you would go to read about basically everything happening in poker. Now, it was going to get a lot more active than that, because in 01 there was not the poker boom yet. In 01, nobody knew who Chris Moneymaker was. Chris Moneymaker had never won anything before. In 01, no one had watched poker broadcasts with hole cards. That hadn't happened either. So the 03 poker boom, brought on partially by Chris Moneymaker and brought on partially by the advent of the hole card cams, really brought a lot of new people into poker and then brought a lot of new people to 2 plus 2, and also brought a lot of sales to Mason for his books. So the 2000s, these were really lucrative years for Mason Malmuth and 2 Plus 2 Publishing. They sold a lot of books. They sold a lot of expensive advertising on their site. And they were really just there when it all came. So when Mason started 2 Plus 2, it was not to capitalize on the poker boom. Poker was not big then. Poker was a niche activity that a small number of people participated in. And it was only later, six years later, that the poker boom came. And, oh, look, Mason happened to have the most active place to discuss poker. So where did everybody go? They went where everybody already was. It just built on top of what was already there. 
Now, Mason didn't say, hey, I'm going to start two plus two because I think poker is going to be huge one day soon and I want to be positioned when that happens. He never thought that. I don't even think he's ever claimed that he thought that. In fact, something I didn't know till today, as I said, was that someone else told him he should start the site. So he really just lucked into all this. He happened to have a poker book publishing company. They started a site, presumably to help drive more sales to the books and put up a forum so people could discuss poker there so people would want to come to the site. And then six years later, oh, look, the poker boom. And oh, they happened to get people prior to that because rec gambling poker was something that was getting frustrating to read and also just wasn't all that accessible for people on web browsers who didn't access the internet the way people did prior to the browser-based internet. That's basically what happened. It was right place, right time. And really, anybody who would have taken this path would have gotten where Mason Malmuth did. So he got lucky. That's all that happened. He got lucky. It wasn't some sort of innovative idea to start a poker book publishing company. It wasn't an innovative idea to start a forum. It wasn't even his idea. He just happened to be there when everybody wanted a place to talk about poker. Then he happened to be there again when a huge influx of people came. So there it was. Two Plus Two had a lot of lucrative partnerships. They had one with Poker Stars. And Poker Stars paid them a shitload of money. Poker Stars was basically printing money prior to Black Friday in 2011. So for all of the 2000s, Poker Stars made so much that they were just very free with money and they didn't think twice before spending. So one of the places they were spending was on 2 Plus 2. Not only were they advertising, but they were also the official sponsor for many years, including after 2011, for years after 2011, I think into the mid uh 2010s. They were the main sponsor of the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast. And they were paying a lot of money to sponsor the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast. Now, I felt the guys at the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast did a good job. Mike Johnson, Adam Schwartz, uh, later Terrence Chan, I thought they did a good job. But boy, they were getting a lot of money. When I say they, I mean everybody involved. Mason Malmuth, the hosts, the producer, everybody got paid very well. Very, very well. Now, on the flip side, for this show, which has no sponsors, I get paid... Zero point zero. See, I was a bit jealous when I found out what they were being paid over there. I'm not going to criticize it. It's great that they got money, but <laughs> I couldn't believe the type of money that PokerStars is laying out for that. Eventually, under the new ownership... PokerStars wised up and realized that the money that was being paid to the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast was not producing the equivalent business. So they terminated that contract when it was over. But boy, they paid out a lot. And then they paid out other money to Mason to sponsor other things. And Mason had a lot of ads running on his site from a bunch of different poker entities. In some cases... Mason couldn't bring himself to do the right thing and take down ads for companies that were shady, most notably Lock Poker. They left up the Lock Poker banner for a long time when even on Mason's own site, 
there was a massive thread that I was participating in, by the way, calling out Locke for basically scamming everybody and not paying out the cash outs. And for many months, they would not take down that banner. They eventually did, but far too late. Now, they did it before Card Player did. Card Player was even later. Card Player wouldn't take it down to the bitter end. And I was very upset about that. And I lost a lot of respect for Jeff Schulman over that because I had a personal conversation with Jeff Schulman at a poker table and told him all the reasons he should take it down. And he said he understood. Then he left it up for like another nine months. So the Schulmans and Card Player were worse. But Mason left it up for far too long. So there were some incidents like that over the years. Most of the advertisers they had were fine. And they paid a lot of money. So 2 plus 2 made some big bucks. That's how Mason got rich. Not from his poker play. I even have my doubts whether Mason is a winning poker player. If you played with Mason, you'll see he's just like very tight and straightforward. That's, that's his whole game. Whether limit or no limit. He mostly plays limit. But even who plays no limits, the same thing. So he's either like a break-even player or a very small winner or a very small loser, something around those lines. But he's not, he's not some guy who's been crushing it in poker or who's been living off his poker winnings. I believe poker is pretty much recreational for Mason Malmuth and always has been. He has made his money from 2 Plus 2 Publishing, the books they've sold, and mainly from 2plus2.com. Now, 2 plus 2 is a shell of its former self. I told you how active it once was, that it was impossible to keep up with, that it was just so full of new messages every day that I could not read them all. In fact, I often couldn't even read them all in a single active thread there. Sometimes a big topic would pop up and there would be a thousand new messages in a few hours. And I'm like, I can't, I can't read all this. <laughs> then another thousand message, another thousand would pop up. I'm like, oh, you know, I, I just have to skip through it. But it's not like that anymore. Two plus two is pretty dead, at least compared to what it once was. The news views gossip page of two plus two, or subform of two plus two, which was and kind of still is the main part of the forum. Now it's actually called news views gossip and books, which is kind of stupid. How does books fit in there? News, views, gossip, and books. Because Mason wants to promote his books there. The reason he promotes his book there is because that's really the only place on the forum people are really reading these days. But even with that, if you look at the front page of news, views, gossip, and books, and you look at the last post in threads, you can see that at the bottom of the front page, There's a thread with the last post on July 11th at 9.17 a.m. Actually, it's 5.17 a.m. because the time zone is four hours ahead for whatever reason. I never understood that, why the default time there is Atlantic time, (laughs) like where Nova Scotia is. Almost three days ago, you can see a thread there that hasn't had any activity in almost three days. We're talking like the top 25 threads on Newsview Gossip this never happened in the past. It wasn't even close to anything like this. The front page of Newsviews Gossip was so active that the bottom thread on that front page would be something like 20 minutes old. Now we're looking at three days old. Even the, quote, mega threads 
move very slowly. So there's a few threads on there that get activity that have a lot of posts, like the one about Mike Postle has 13,000 posts, but it took two years to get there, and it's moving very slowly. Every day it gets a few posts, and that's about it. Same with the thread there about Daniel Negreanu and uh, a few other long threads that are only very long because they've been going for quite some time. But if you take a look, there really isn't much going on there. And if you look at the other sub-forums on 2 Plus 2, not only are there fewer than there used to be, but most of them are pretty dead. Most of them have very little activity. Even the Internet Poker sub-forum, which used to also be super active, that one is also not all that jumping anymore. Again, it has posts on the front page that are about five days old. The threads that are up there get a few new posts a day, and that's it. So this is not a super active site anymore. How does it compare to the Poker Fraud Alert forum? Well, it's still more active overall than Poker Fraud Alert, but not by that much. (laughs) And that's pretty surprising. Poker Fraud Alert was never a large site. Poker Fraud Alert was always a small forum. It's been consistently active. We've never had it where it's completely dead. But we've never had it where it's just jumping with so many messages that you don't have time to read them, like 2 plus 2 had at one point. And something I can say I'm proud of is that Poker Fraud Alert's forum is almost as active as it was when we started nine years ago. We haven't lost that much activity. We've gained some users here. We've lost some users there, as, of course, all online communities will. But we're pretty much the same size and activity level as we used to be. Whereas 2 plus 2 is many, many times smaller than it once was, like over the same nine years. And even smaller compared to, say, 15 years ago. And forums in general are dying. People are moving over to Reddit. They're moving to Facebook. They're moving to Twitter. They're moving to Instagram. They just don't want to post on forums. Forums are kind of seen as old hat forums aren't cool anymore. A lot of people don't even understand forums. Yet the younger people on the internet, some of them never even use the forum. So when you want to talk about poker, a lot of times you don't think of even looking for a forum. Whereas before, that's what you would do in the 2000s and even in the early 2010s. So forums have been on their way out. I'm not going to take down the Poker Fraud Alert forum anytime soon because I still like having a forum. But... It is true, it's harder and harder to get users of your forum and harder and harder to get people to stay on your forum because what happens is people start getting involved in social media and they just feel like they don't have time for forums anymore. Where people used to go and check the forums they liked and that was it. Now they check Facebook, they check Twitter, they get involved in the discussions there. By the time they're done with all that, they're like, ah, yeah, you know, I I really don't have time to go look at the forums too. And they just kind of get out of the habit of going to forums. So 2 plus 2, between poker losing popularity in general and forums losing popularity, and honestly, because Mason Malmuth runs it like an idiot, and he has been a detriment to his own forum, and they have a lot of archaic and very restrictive rules over there that have driven people away. And Mason has banned a lot of people 
who were good posters there, including me. So it's dying. It is a dying forum. And I think that is also a lot of the reason that Mason's selling it, because it's not printing money anymore like it used to. He is not getting these lucrative contracts with companies like PokerStars. The advertising there has slowed down tremendously, both because his form's not as relevant as it once was by a wide margin, and poker is not as lucrative as it once was from the advertising standpoint. There's a lot fewer companies seeking to advertise on a forum, regardless of the size of that forum. So 2 plus 2, it started to become uh, less and less profitable. Now, you may say less and less profitable. How expensive could it be to run the forum? Well, it depends how much you're willing to spend. Because you can waste a lot of money running a forum if you're not frugal about it. Now, I'm very frugal about it because I do all my own work on Poker Fraud Alert. I do not have any outside help and I don't spend any money on the forum that doesn't need to be spent. There's others who spend more, but I I spend some money. And as I said, Poker Fraud Alert loses money because we don't have an income. But... I am careful about the money I spend. So it doesn't lose much. It can't lose much because the budget is low. But 2 plus 2 has a lot higher budget for the form than you might expect. And this came out a while back when uh, 2 plus 2 made this bizarre decision to change their longtime form software to something that uh, people did not like. And uh, they ended up abandoning that and this is slightly before I got banned there. This wasn't why I got banned. But laughably, at one time, despite the fact that Mason hates me, Mason actually offered to pay me to, to come in and, uh, and, and improve things over at 2 plus 2. <laughs> Not content-wise, but like from a technical standpoint. I thought that was pretty amazing. They ended up abandoning that idea. And uh, during that whole discussion, they revealed that they spend a lot more money than you would have thought. This is another stupid thing they did. They had these uh, gigantic ads that would like block a lot of the screen and would be stuck at the bottom and you couldn't dismiss them. And people really hated them. <laughs> they finally got rid of them. This was back in uh, December. I think this is really like telling of what was coming, of him selling it. Because uh, they put these giant ads. You couldn't get rid of them. They really got in the way of reading. The funny thing was Matt Skolansky, David's son, who was pretty much running the forum at that point, like kind of from an operational standpoint, he said he didn't know how those ads got there. <laughs> then he said they'll be gone within a few days. And then he said, it's something we're allowing to play out for a few days because we need to pay the bills now more than ever. <laughs> Those were his actual words. This is in November, late November of 2020. Then they didn't disappear a few days later like he promised. Then a week later, he said the ads were removed from mobile devices. But then a user informed him that, no, the ads are still there on mobile devices. <laughs> 
<laughs> so eventually they got rid of them, but it was funny because they, they put up these terrible ads. Everybody hates them. They get in the way of browsing. They're like, okay, well, we'll get rid of them, but give us a few days. We need it. We need a few bucks here. We need the money more than ever, so just give us a few more days with this. It was amazing. <laughs> that was really telling you what was coming. That's not what I was searching for, though. So here, here it is. This is back in, uh, in March of 2020. They claimed that they were going to be abandoning their vBulletin software, which is what we use, too. They were going to be abandoning it on March 30th, 2020, and switching to a forum software that's called Vanilla. Now, Vanilla is very customizable, but uh, it's a lot of work to customize it to exactly the way you want. And the bottom line was, number one, they didn't really know what they were doing, so they were going to switch to a format everyone hated. And number two, people didn't want to change there. They just they were used to the old 2 Plus 2. They didn't want to learn new software, or even if this could have looked nice and been customized well, they didn't want it. It was one of these things like where if it works, don't fix it. So all these people were unhappy about this. And uh, finally, they abandoned the whole thing. They were going to have uh, Vanilla host the forum. And Vanilla was charging uh, $689 to $10,000 per month. And they said that they would be saving money on this. And so people asked at the time, how could you possibly be saving money if it's a minimum of $689 a month? And Mason said, well, that still is the savings for us. So they were really spending a lot of money to both host 2 plus 2 and also to uh, yeah to, to lawyers and everything else. So they, Mason had a lot of high monthly charges that really weren't necessary. So the problem was that uh, when 2 plus 2 was no longer printing money, it was actually possibly losing money every month, as strange as that sounds. A form like 2 plus 2, even with the advertising they had, should have been making money, but it wasn't. It was, it, I shouldn't say it wasn't. It probably wasn't, in my opinion. I think that at the end it was losing money. And if it wasn't, then it was barely breaking even. So I believe that's why, that's the real reason why Mason is abandoning 2 plus 2, is because he realizes that it has no future, that forums are going downhill in general, that his form is especially going downhill. The traffic is declining. The advertisers aren't interested and aren't that numerous anymore. And he isn't particularly good at running it in a bargain sort of manner. He's not good at running it to where the budget is very low, to where he only has to clear a very low bar in order to be profitable. I think the bar he has to clear is pretty high, or at least relatively high. So I think Mason's decided he's giving up. Also, as he said... He's almost 70. It made a lot of money. He probably has a lot of money. He probably doesn't need the money. I imagine Mason himself is very frugal. He plays a 2040 limit hold'em. He won't, he won't ever sit at the 4080 game. So he plays 2040 limit hold'em, when I'm sure he could afford much higher. He wears the same 2 plus 2 shirt every single day. Seriously, every time you see him there, he's wearing the same 2 plus 2, plus, two, plus two shirt. So this is a guy I can't imagine is spending a lot of money in his personal life. So he, I'm sure he has all the money he'll ever need for the rest of his life. And he's like, why am I hassling with 2 plus 2 the forum if it looks like it's never going to be profitable again? Or if it is, it's going to barely be profitable. 
So again, I don't have access to their finances, so I won't say with certainty. Mason always likes to do this. He always likes to dissect every word of mine and then claim that I'm uh, making false statements. So I will say right now, I don't know whether they make money or lose money. And I have no way to know that because I would have to see their books and I've never seen their books. I'm just going by what I've seen of the site and the type of stuff that he had posted in the past about the costs of running this. So I think he realized it just isn't going to ever make much money ever again and sold it. Now, why would someone else want to buy it? Well, because it does have value in that it is a long-established poker form. People still go there to check it out. People remember it was the biggest English-language poker forum out there. Again, I don't know what is the biggest English-language poker forum. It may still be 2 plus 2. I think really all poker forums have uh, taken a dump in recent years. But obviously, there's a lot of value it has. SEO value is huge because it's a very, very well-established site, so things SEO very well. So any anyone who wants to buy this to SEO something else, some kind of product they're selling, or even uh, posting articles advertising other products and charging for that, if someone does that well, they can make some decent money just with the long built-up traffic and reputation that 2 Plus 2 has, even though the posts there have greatly declined in both quality and uh, quantity. This hand-to-note HUD, they're the ones who bought it. And despite Mason saying that you should probably know who they are, you probably don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. Most people don't know who they are. So I don't know why he thinks people would be familiar. Maybe he's just trying to make it sound like uh, he didn't sell it to some unknown. But it kind of looks like that's what he did. Now, Hand2Note is a real HUD. And if you go to their website, which is hand2note.com, hand2note.com, if you go to the About Us page, it says Our Team. Our team consists of professional software developers, designers, marketers, and professional poker players. Key decisions about functionality of Hand2Note are made by professional poker players who've been playing high-stakes online poker games for seven-plus years. Our mission... Get customers to the edge. Our aim is to provide a software which helps provide online poker players to increase their edge amongst other strong players, giving our customers an ability to effectively apply their skills of analyzing information in poker. Our vision. We are going to be the most popular tracking software until 2023? What? What? What are they... Until 2023... It's a weird vision. Not by 2023. We're going to be the most popular poker tracking software until 2023. (laughs) So what's going to happen in 2023? Are they going to be the second most popular? Are they going to be the least popular? I've never seen that before, where a company says their goal is to be most popular until a year that's coming up fairly soon. 2023 is a year and a half away. So I guess they've got a year and a half left before... They're no longer popular. I think they meant by 2023. That's still a weird thing to, to write there. Instead of by 2023, why not just like our vision, we're going to be the most popular poker tracking software in the present and future. Why not write that? Well, I'll tell you why it was written this way. I'll tell you why it was written until instead of by and why that 
language is kind of awkward. That's because I don't believe the people behind Hand to Note are American. I'll tell you what I found in my initial search for who is behind Hand to Note. Because notice that Mason does not give you any names. He says, the people behind Hand to Note. Well, what, what does that mean? Who are they? Do we know them? Have they ever posted before? Are they poker players? Like, who, who are these people? So I tried to find out, but I didn't have a lot of time. But I, f- I found on LinkedIn, there is a guy named Andri Plakhatanyi. A-N-D-R-I-I, first name. Last name is P-L-A-T, or P-L-A-K-H-O-T-N-Y-I. P-L-A-K-H-O-T-N-Y-I. Andri Plakhatanyi. Plakhatanyi. Maybe that's what it is. From what I can tell, Andre here is a Russian because he went to the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, the State University of Moscow, from 05 to 09, which, by the way, puts him like mid-30s. And there's a picture of him. He looks Russian. He currently lives, according to LinkedIn, in Vancouver, B.C., but that doesn't mean he's not Russian. That just means he's a Russian who moved to BC. I, yeah, he's definitely Russian because I'm looking at something else he uh, liked on LinkedIn and it's written in Russian. So this is a Russian who bought 2 plus 2. So Mason really sold out to the Russians, it looks like. <laughs> so what would the Russians want with 2 plus 2? Well, it's obviously to promote this hand-to-note software. Which is kind of weird because hand to note is not very well known. I really had never heard of it until today. So while they are attempting to compete with some bigger products, it's not a big product yet to my knowledge. So if you look at features, it says uh, uh, dynamic HUD problem. A lack of space above the table makes it impossible to display a lot of stats. Opening pop-up and finding each stat takes too much time while playing online. Solution. In hand to note, you may show stats in HUD depending on the following parameters. This is like broken English, by the way. Position of the player regarding hero's position. For example, if you sit on button, then you may show different HUDs for players on small blind and big blind. Like That's even hard to understand what that means. You can figure it out if you really pay attention, but you see it's very poorly written. It's by a non-English speaker. So I'm not going to read this whole thing, but like even the features page is put together by someone who doesn't understand how you write about features for the end user. It it looks like it's written by a a Russian engineer, which it is. To purchase hand to note, it's uh, $20 a month, apparently, and you pay it yearly. So I guess it's about 240 bucks a year, and that's for the standard version I guess there's a free version there's a free version then there's a standard version and then there's a, a pro version which is 49 per month so it's one of these heads up displays which pops up a bunch of stats there on the players you up against they claim this is better than the other ones on the market who knows I don't really care but I'm sure this is being bought to promote hand to note and take them to the next level and this way it can compete with these other HUDs out there.
But how much could they have paid? I don't think they bought it for very much money, which is interesting. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but this doesn't look like a major company which can afford a large purchase of a form. This looks like a company that paid some nominal amount to have something that they could use to promote their product. Very weird. Now, it's possible these Russians are delusional and think that uh, 2 plus 2 can be used to sell advertising. Maybe they're not delusional. Maybe they have a lot of uh, other Russians they can sell ads to. You're you're probably going to start seeing Russian sites advertised on there. I'm not even kidding. Like, these guys bought it for a reason. But they probably fired an offer out to Mason or to someone else associated with 2 plus 2 saying, hey, you guys considering selling? And Mason's like, "Uh, yeah, actually, let's do it. (laughs) So Mason probably just wanted to finally wash his hands of the whole thing. I think he got tired of maybe losing money on it, got tired of the headaches with it. Thought, okay, you know, I can still participate in the forum, but I don't want to run it anymore. I don't want to have to be profitable anymore. I want to just sell my books and otherwise retire. That's my guess. It's kind of what was implied in that message he posted. So, Mason's not in charge anymore. Or at least very soon he won't be. He's claiming there's a transition period. And that the new owners will be around shortly. Whatever that means. It'd be funny if they never show up. <laughs> He's like, the new owners will be here shortly. And then they just like never come and never say anything. He's like, uh, guys, uh, when are you say something? To show you how dead 2 plus 2 has been, with a major, major announcement there, they don't even have two full pages of posts yet. And this was announced, as I said, about five to six hours ago. This would be like a 100-page thread back in 2005. It's two pages right now. And it's just people saying congratulations. And then Mason's only further comment was, Hi, everyone. Thanks for all the positive comments. They're much appreciated. Best wishes, Mason. That's it. Someone created an account there named I Was Banned. And the question was, Will I still be banned? (laughs) That's a good question, actually. Now, that's not me, but that's my question, too. If Mason no longer owns it, I would come back if they were to let me to come back. In fact, I would much rather support the Russians than I would Mason. I don't dislike the Russians. So I'll I'll post on a Russian-owned site. But I don't know if Mason might have an agreement with them not to let back on banned users, or he may even have listed to them certain people that they can never let back on as part of the terms of sale. Keep in mind... There's going to be this, quote, transition period where he and the existing mods are still in power. And then, presumably, they're going to demod Mason and the other top mods there. I don't know about the green mods who don't work for them, but the ones who just have moderation privileges. I don't know if those guys will lose their status. And I don't know if the new owners will put in Russians to run the whole thing. I don't know. Sometimes when these things are bought, they let it continue running as is with the same people in charge, but it seems that Mason's saying he's not going to be in charge anymore. But he's still going to post. So he hasn't completely lost interest in 2 plus 2. He just 
does not want to run it anymore or take the financial responsibility for it. The fact that he's not completely giving up on it, the fact that he's still going to post there, really says to me that it was probably losing money. Because if he's going to be there anyway, why not run it and just make money, even if it's not much money? But it's either losing or barely making money, and he's probably tired of stressing about it. So it'll be interesting what goes on there. It'll be interesting to see if I get unbanned. It'll be interesting to see if it's run any differently. It'll be interesting to see what changes are made. It'll be interesting to see how Russian the site becomes. But it's kind of an end of an era. Never thought I would see Mason leaving as a form owner. Keep in mind, Mason derived his entire identity from owning 2 plus 2. He became particularly insufferable in the 2000s by bragging that he was the most powerful man in poker. He, he used to really say this. He used to really believe that he was the top dog in poker. In fact, he even called himself top dog on his uh, undertitle on 2 plus 2. It still says that. And he used to get insulted and pissed off when people didn't treat him like he was the king of poker. He felt that everything in poker ran through him, like he was some kind of mafia boss. I mean, yes, he had a very, very popular form. Yes, a lot of people read it. Beyond that, he didn't have any power. So it was stupid. And he pissed off a lot of people acting this way. He made a lot of enemies. He banned a lot of people for stupid and petty reasons. And over time, a lot of people really got to dislike him. But he always hung his hat on the belief that he was running something so big, so powerful, so important in poker, and that he was the big man on campus. So he's actually removing this from himself, which is interesting. It might be that he's kind of come to accept that 2 plus 2 is not that influential anymore, and that most people don't care about it. It's kind of been left behind that the poker content that people consume is on social media now, for the most part. When you talk about what people are hearing about in poker, they're usually hearing it from Joey Ingram or Doug Polk or a Facebook group or Twitter. It's not from 2 Plus 2 anymore. In fact, I've seen before that it's shocking how long it takes for some fairly big stories in poker to even make it over to 2 Plus 2. A lot of times we'll have something on Poker Fraud Alert for days, or even more than days, before it appears on 2 Plus 2, even though it's a fairly major story. Now, the very, very major stories, yeah, they always show up on 2 Plus 2, but again, not always first. It used to be, that would be where everything come up first, not anymore. So that is pretty interesting and pretty shocking. Really did not think that would ever happen. I know Mason was bitter with Adam and Terrence for starting another podcast outside of 2 Plus 2 with Negranu, who Mason has long hated. Uh, It was very weird when Adam and Terrence left 2 Plus 2. It was supposedly because they were just done with it and they just uh, been doing it too long and they just needed to take a break and... Of course, the PokerStar sponsorship money was gone, so it all kind of made sense, but then very shortly after that, they started a very similar show with Negranu on their own. So something I had suspected for a long time was that they just were sick of Mason. 
<laughs> they wanted to get away from Mason. It wasn't that lucrative anymore, so they said fuck it and left. That that was just my guess, and it's never been confirmed that that's what happened. But I will say that they started a very similar one with, with uh, Daniel, and I don't think they would have done that if they were just tired of doing podcasts. Furthermore, you could see for a while Mason was kind of uh, bitter at the two of them. He never banned Adam or anything, but like at one point they were discussing having threads up there for podcasts about poker. And it was funny that the two most requested threads for podcasts about poker were Dat Poker Podcast, which is the new one that Adam Schwartz has, and Poker Fraud Alert. <laughs> so Mason kept ignoring it over and over and then finally gave excuses for why they were not threads for those shows. But it, it was clear why he didn't want that, because he didn't like either of those shows. He did at least give credit to Mike Johnson and uh, Adam Schwartz for their many years on the 2 Plus 2 poker cast. I don't know why he didn't give credit to Terrence. I know Terrence came later when Mike Johnson left, but he was there long enough to where I think he would deserve credit. So I don't know why Terrence was left out, but he's mentioning people from like back in 97. That's kind of strange. But whatever. So that is the end of 2 Plus 2. At least under the Mason Malmuth rule. 2 Plus 2 will continue, but it's may not be the same site. We will have to see. I have another topic here that was not originally on our agenda, simply because I forgot to put it on our agenda. But it's actually a pretty big topic. You guys remember Joy Miller? She got married. Or I guess her name became Joy Brown. But Joy Miller was a woman in poker who was very controversial. She was in poker media. She was not a poker player, to my knowledge. If she did play, it was only recreationally. But she was in the poker media. She was prominent in the poker media in the late 2000s. I knew her personally, but not all that well, because my then-girlfriend, not the one I'm with now, but the previous girlfriend I was with, actually was friends with her. And I remember being introduced to Joy, and even though my girlfriend then liked her a lot and had a lot of nice things about to say about her. I immediately didn't really like her very much. I found her kind of arrogant. I found her just full of herself and not very friendly. It's kind of phony. I I just didn't think much of her, but I wasn't going to be rude to her. This was my girlfriend's friend. So I, I I put on a nice face and was uh, polite around her. Uh, Me, Joy and I didn't interact very much, but, you know, I I was pleasant to her when I saw her, but I was at some social settings where she was present. I was never at any kind of small social setting where it was just like me and Joy or me and one other person and Joy, but there was some like group settings where she was there. Anyway, in 2007, Joy got into some controversy she held some kind of charity tournament at the Playboy Mansion, which apparently you're allowed to rent out and hold whatever event you want there. People have the wrong impression of the Playboy Mansion. They think that there's just like you know, hot girls, hot naked girls hanging out there all the time partying. That, I don't know 
how long it's been since that was the case, <laughs> or if it ever was the case. But um, Hugh Hefner was mostly renting it out for private events. So Joy, who had previously been in uh, other forms of media and reporting in, in the entertainment industry prior to uh, being involved with poker, she must have been aware of this, and she rented the Playboy Mansion for a charity tournament that was awarding main event seats. So Terrence Chan, who was not known at the time, he was uh, a former Poker Stars employee who had become a poker pro, but again, most people didn't know who he was back then. He got down to uh, near the end of the tournament to win this seat. And I know, uh, I think Annie Duke's boyfriend was there and was drunk, and Annie was whispering things to him of what to do. And so there's some like weird sort of collusion going on. Like Annie wasn't in the tournament, but she was advising the guy and violating one player to a hand. So the, the whole thing was a clusterfuck, and Terrence was already getting annoyed. But the worst part was that um, they ran out of time. Joy didn't reserve enough time at the Playboy Mansion, and they were about to be booted out. So anyway, I forgot the whole story, but they came to some kind of really unfair resolution where Terrence got ripped off out of the seat. He's, he, he basically deserved the seat and didn't get it. And he explained it in a blog. I'm not going to go read it all again and rehash it because it's 14 years ago and who cares, but he did get cheated out of a World Series of Poker seat, the main event, and he was very upset about this. And of course, he paid to get in. So he was quite upset, and rightfully so. And uh, when he complained about it, he was directed to Joy, and he couldn't believe how rude she was to him. And she told him things like, I think you're shit. Uh, You're Terrence Chan, not Johnny Chan, so act like it. And I can make it so uh, the poker media won't talk to you, so good luck with your career. Like, just really nasty stuff. Just because he was complaining about the way this whole thing went down. It was asking for them to give him something. And she was telling him, well, hey, th- this charity is for children in Africa or whatever, so just want to let you know anything we give you, it's going to come out of the pockets of uh, the children. You're going to hurt the children. You happy with that, Terrence? And really nasty stuff. Like, it wasn't his fault he got ripped off out of the seat, that they ran the tournament the wrong way and fucked him over. Like, if he should have won the seat, he should have won the seat. That's the charity's fault. It was Joy's fault, so she should have given him the seat or given him something as some form of compensation for what happened here. And instead, she was trying to lay a guilt trip on him that he was uh, taking money from the children that desperately need it and that that he's shit and that if if he makes a big deal over this, he's going to ruin his his poker career and that he needs to know his place because he's Terrence Chan, not Johnny Chan. Just really nasty stuff. And he, and he said that he was trying to be polite the whole time, and she was just uh, really off to him. And, and from what I saw of her later on, I fully believe every word he wrote. So I read that whole blog of Terrence's, and I didn't know him. I wasn't friends with him. I knew of him. I had played against him on PokerStars some and thought he was a good player. But aside from that, I didn't really know the guy. And... I wrote on Never Win Poker, which was the forum I was involved with at the time, back in 07. I wrote that I agreed with Terrence. I, I brought everyone's attention to the blog that Terrence wrote, which was also being discussed on 2 Plus 2. And I said that I was on Terrence's side. 
and I explained the way I felt Joy should have handled it and where I felt she made a mistake and uh, thought that Terrence deserved the seat. Now, when I wrote this, I was very mindful of the fact that Joy was a friend, not a super close friend, but a friend of my then-girlfriend. So I had to be very careful in the way I wrote it that even though I thought some pretty bad things about Joy after reading this uh, story and the way she handled it and the way she treated Terrence, I was very reserved in the way I levied criticism. I made sure to write it in a very uh, diplomatic and polite fashion to where I was just kind of saying, hey, I agree with Terrence here. Maybe Joy can do this. Maybe Joy can do that. I feel this was a mistake. That was a mistake, but uh, hopefully she'll do the right thing. So I tried to write it in a very uh, tempered fashion so it wouldn't piss her off too much. Well, didn't work. She ended up reading it. I didn't even know she read Never Win Poker, but a lot of people read Never Win Poker, so it's not surprising. But she found the post, and she was furious. She was absolutely positively furious. Now, I was not Joy's friend. It's not like I fucked over my friend and wrote this. I was never friends with her. We had very little interaction, and what interaction I had with her, I didn't care for her. So I wasn't going to bite my tongue here. I didn't owe her my silence, but I did try to be polite about it. But she was furious about this. Now, keep in mind, going back to our previous topic, in 07, 2 plus 2 was a very, very big and active site. It was much, much bigger than Neverwin Poker, which was fairly popular too, but nothing like 2 plus 2. So the big shitstorm was on 2 plus 2. And in fact, Joy tried to post there and defend herself and came, up, came off looking even worse. And she just got clobbered there. So that's where all the shit was going down. Not on Neverwin Poker. So Neverwin Poker is just kind of like a side discussion where there was some moderate interest, but nothing like the big shitstorm on 2 Plus 2, where there were like hundreds or thousands of posts about the matter. Anyway, didn't matter. She saw what I wrote and she decided that she despised me. Not that she was irritated with me or wished that I hadn't posted it, but despised me. So from that point forward, Joy hated my guts, and ever since then, We haven't gotten along, but she hasn't gotten along with a lot of people in poker. Well, why am I telling you all this? We got this shocking news that Joy Miller, who is, I believe, in her mid-40s, passed away. I did not expect that one. I did not expect Joy Miller to die, but that seems to have been what occurred. You may wonder... How did Joy Miller die? Because she was not old, younger than me, in fact. And I hadn't known her to be addicted to drugs or anything like that, so I was kind of having a hard time picturing what could have been the cause. Additionally, females tend not to have abrupt heart attacks in their 40s unless they had a previous hereditary issue that's usually known by that point. Males, it's a different story. Some males will just drop dead of a heart attack at age 45, but uh, females, it doesn't happen as often, again, unless it's uh, brought on by some cause like drug abuse or there's some sort of congenital defect. Anyway, the word on the street, there's never been a cause of death stated from what I've seen, but uh, the word on the street is that uh, it was heart failure. So I guess she did have a heart attack, but uh, that's not verified. I'm not sure what circumstances were involved in the heart failure, if that's what happened. But that's what I was told. 
by someone who was asking around the uh, poker media circles. Here's something else weird. Remember I told you that her whole issue with me sprung from her issue with Terrence Chan? And even though Terrence and I were never friends, that uh, my post saying that Terrence was right, my polite post saying Terrence was right, is what made her hate me? Well, after that whole thing blew over just because of time passing and people forgetting about it, she really didn't acknowledge Terrence at all. She just really treated him like he didn't exist. Until June 16th, 2021, she started up with him for no reason. After 14 years, she started up with him on Twitter. Terrence Chan, in reference to the thing that happened with uh, Vanessa Cade in uh, mid-June involving uh, her commentary on the stuff that had happened with Phil Nagy. Remember that whole story? So Terrence wrote on June 16th, 2021, so we're canceling Vanessa or not? Someone figure this out and let me know when everyone's agreed. And then she just jumped in there. Like they hadn't had interaction in 14 years, but she jumped in there and she wrote, you already tried to fight a woman in poker and you lost, referring to herself. Sit this one out. And because, quote, if you fall for nothing, you'll never stand for anything which she kind of got that backwards. The the quote is, uh, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. So she wrote, if you fall for nothing, you'll never stand for anything. But Terrence was pretty shocked. Terrence was really pissed to see this after all this time because he, I mean, this had happened 14 years ago, the incident with her, and he didn't like her, but at least nothing had been happening. Here she was starting up with Terrence. Terrence then wrote, uh, you got to be kidding me. I, I don't have it in front of me now, but he's like, uh, yeah, after 15 years, you're starting this shit up again? I can't believe this. And he said, I, th- I thought you'd become uh, a better human after all this time, but apparently not. That's what uh, he posted. I'm paraphrasing it, but that's, that's essentially what he wrote. So then uh, Willie, Willie McFML from Poker Fraud Alert, who's been part of this forum since the beginning. I've met him in person uh, He's aware of the whole uh, Joy Miller history. On June 17th, he wrote, Joy gets wasted by 10 a.m. What an absolutely trash human. And then she sarcastically responded to Willie saying, I know my life is worse than yours. While I wait for my very nice butler to bring me my favorite green juice. Be well, groupie. What? What? She's waiting for her nice butler to bring her her favorite green juice. That's a bizarre thing to write. And then um, also on uh, the 17th, about uh, 10 hours earlier, apparently uh, Terrence Chan had blocked her. She wrote, the wonderful thing about Terrence Chan blocking me, does, everyone, does anyone even remember him? Been doing other stuff. Is it took so long. Get the cake, baby. Be you and be happy. Pick your next battle better with a heart. So she's acting as if she just defeated him, which, of course, she didn't. So anyway, those are the last three tweets she wrote before she died. Her exact date of death, I'm not sure about. One of her friends announced on July 1st that they lost their best friend, referring to Joy. And then some other people chimed in and eventually said this was about Joy. So that was on July 1st. So sometime between June 17th and two weeks later on July 1st, Joy died. So the very weird thing 
is that the final thing she did on social media was attack Terrence Chan. And the final person she interacted with on social media was our own Willie McFML, <laughs> where she said that she's waiting her for her very nice butler to bring her her favorite green juice and then called him a groupie. Melissa Hayden, you know that name? Melissa Hayden is or was the girlfriend of Alan Cunningham, despite being like 20 years older than him. She is a longtime member of the poker community. I first encountered her on True Poker in uh, 2001, and it was a, kind of a bizarre interaction we had. I encountered her on True Poker, and she said that uh, she said who she was, and then she was bragging about the fact that she was the last one to play Stu Unger before he died. And keep in mind, back in 01, it was uh, not that long after Stu Unger died but that she was the last one to play Stu Unger and that she busted him and that shortly after she busted him in November 98, uh, that's when he had his drug overdose. Now, I don't know if that's true, but she was like bragging about the fact that she busted Stewie and then he, then he died. That was, that was her claim to fame. She was saying this on True Poker. It's a very weird thing to talk about. But then if you ever brought it up, she acted all emotional. Don't bring that up. Go on. Don't, that, that still hurts me that Stewie, you know, that he did this to himself after I beat him heads up. It was a, such a bizarre conversation whenever you brought up Stu Unger to Melissa Hayden back then. So that was about 20 years ago. But she, got, she was better known in 05 when uh, Alan Cunningham... Uh, I think it was 06, actually. 06, Alan Cunningham, remember he made the final table of the main event? That was the year uh, Jamie Gold won it. And uh, all of a sudden, she came forward and said that she was his girlfriend. There were some suspicions at the time about whether this was a real relationship or whether she was just uh, claiming to be his girlfriend because of some rumors that were going around about Alan. But apparently, I guess it's a real relationship because I, I think they're still together. I haven't kept track of it, but I know for a long time after that, they were still together. But it's, it was a bizarre relationship age-wise because uh, Alan Cunningham is born in 1977, and I believe Melissa is in her 60s. Alan right now is 44. So, as I said, about 20 years difference between them. But anyway, she became friends with Joy Miller at some point. Now, when I had interacted with Joy in the 2000s, uh, I never saw Melissa. I, I've never actually met Melissa in person. I've interacted with her online. I've never met her in person. Melissa has me blocked on Twitter because I was arguing with, with Joy a few years ago. But anyway, Melissa got mad at Willie for the comment he wrote about how she's an absolutely trash human. So then on July 4th, she responded to Willie. This is now weeks later after Willie had written this, but she responded to Willie's comment about uh, Joy being a trash human. He, she wrote, nice job, Willie. So Willie's like, what the fuck? <laughs> How's this my fault? <laughs> like whatever happened to Joy, this wasn't Willie's fault. So Willie wrote a snide comment back, which is pretty funny. He said, I think the butler did it. <laughs> (laughs) 
<laughs> remember her very last tweet was about how she's waiting for her very nice butler to bring her her favorite green juice. The tweet from her friend Lara Miller, who I also I, I knew Lara better than uh, I did Joy back in the two thousands. Lara tweeted on July first that she lost her best friend and she doesn't know what to do. That tweet is now gone, which is weird because she doesn't even mention Joy. On July 2nd, this is the day after the tweet from Lara Miller that she lost her best friend. She just found this out. Someone who goes by Al Can't Hang, A-L Can't Hang. Apparently, he was friends with Joy as well, according to someone I know. And this is what he wrote on July 2nd. Can I please get two followers to copy and repost this tweet? I'm trying to demonstrate that someone's always listening. Hashtag suicide prevention. 1-800-273-8255. That's like a suicide hotline. Just two, any two, copy, not retweet. So then Melissa, remember Melissa Hayden, she copied the exact message like Al was asking. Now, apparently this message was going around the internet on July 2nd. So it may just be a coincidence that Al and Melissa who were good friends of Joy, posted this message about suicide right after they heard that Joy died. But it also may not be a coincidence. Now, again, the word on the street, it was a heart attack, so I don't know what to say. But once people found this, they started thinking maybe it was suicide. Joy got a lot of people fired back when she worked in poker media. She got one guy named uh, Nick Gieber fired for a uh, BS sexual harassment claim. And I say BS because uh, what happened here was that uh, Nick was testing out the camera and he was broadcasting but didn't realize it. This was on those uh, like final table streams, but it was, it was before any final table was going. He was just testing the camera. So he zoomed in on Joy and said, okay, let's have a shot of Joy's cleavage here. Okay, that the camera works. Something like that. That's all he said. And Joy didn't like him, not because of that, but she just didn't like him in general and used that as a way to get him fired. And Joy always sexualized herself. I mean, she was, she even bragged in articles that she used to sleep with men back when she was in the entertainment industry to get a story. She would claim, I, I would have sex with guys to get a scoop. These were her words in, in some article that, uh, that I read. So, like, this was someone who always was uh, very brash with her sexuality. So when you're like this, how, how can you get someone fired because they jokingly zoom in on their cleavage while they're testing the camera? But uh, there were a lot of people that felt um, abused, yelled at, and uh, found themselves on the wrong end of Joy's vengeance in poker media, and even players. She used to ban people from coverage by ESPN back when Bluff and ESPN were associated and she worked for Bluff. She used to threaten to and sometimes actually do it, ban people from being covered by ESPN and would brag about all the power she wielded. In fact, she did that to me. And I had my own story involving that uh, World Series broadcast, not involving sexual harassment in any way, but uh, where I was uh, manipulated and jerked around by her involving that because she was bitter about the Terrence Chan thing when I didn't realize it. I've told it before on this show. I'm not going to tell it again. But safe to say, she was not a good person. And I'm not going to whitewash that and pretend that's not the case just because she passed away. Just like I think if I were to pass away, 
I don't think that she would say good things about me. And if she were to say good things about me if I passed away and she had not, they would not be sincere. And I'm not going to come on the show and be insincere. And my opinion of someone never changes because they die. Like when Devilfish died, a lot of people were coming out and saying all these wonderful things about Devilfish. I said, no, I didn't like the guy. He sexually harassed a lot of women. I mean, this, is a, this was a real sexual harasser. Nick Ebert didn't sexually harass anybody. But Devilfish, boy, I, I, like this guy was known for sexually harassing women for years and years in poker in, in very uncomfortable and intrusive ways. And he got away with it. I, th- I think today he probably would have had his Me Too moment, but uh, he's not alive anymore. But between the sexual harassment of women and his previous criminal background, he was, he was a real criminal. He was, he, he was arrested in the past for safe cracking and for, for robbery and burglary. I mean, this was is, this is a common criminal who found he was good at poker and was able to abandon crime to be in poker. So, I mean, good, but that doesn't erase his history. He just wasn't a good dude. So just because he was entertaining on TV, that doesn't change that. So when he died, I was one of the people who came out and said, I'm, I'm not going to change my opinion here. I'm going to tell you what I really observed of him, whether he's alive or dead. And, uh, you know, I, I treat anyone that way. I'm going to treat them the same way after they die as I do when they're alive. In fact, it's better to treat someone well when they're alive than when they're dead because when they're dead, they can't even see it. So the time to be nicer or more polite to or about someone is when they're around and when your words might hurt them. But if they're dead, they're not going to be insulted by anything you say. I'm not going to whitewash the way I felt about Joy Miller, the way about a lot of people felt about Joy Miller. She was eventually run out of poker because of Dan Bilzerian, of all people. I know I've told this story before, but basically Dan Bilzerian told some sort of like semi-racist joke or wrote some sort of semi-racist joke on uh, Twitter. And she decided she's going to ban him from ESPN coverage and also ban all of Victory Poker, which he was representing at the time. He didn't own it. He was just a pro there, kind of like he is right now for GG. So she informed the owner of Victory Poker, Dan Fleischman, that all Victory Poker pros are being banned because of Dan unless they fire him. And she didn't have this power. She just would flaunt this and would just do it on her own because she had vendettas, because she didn't like someone. Anyway, she left a very uh, histrionic message on Dan Brazilian's voicemail where she's not like a crazy person. And she was threatening him about banning him and ruining his uh, poker career and ruining it all for the victory poker pros. And she she really sounded awful and really very vindictive. So what uh, Dan Bilzerian did is he just made a YouTube video and, and played the voicemail. And she looked really, really bad. And again, they were trashing her on 2 plus 2 and people were bringing up the Terrence Chan thing again. And then she tried to defend herself and again came off even worse. So this basically ran her out of poker because then the floodgates opened and people started telling stories about uh, how she abused various people in media and how she got people fired and how she uh, mistreated players. And basically, everybody learned that she was not a very good person and not a nice person to have around in poker. Between that and the fact that she was pregnant and was going to have to take the time to 
take care of her young kid anyway, she was out of poker. So she both couldn't get hired and uh, she had less of a need for the job because she was now married and a kid was on the way. It's kind of a combination of those two things. And she never came back to poker, so it's been about 10 years. Every so often she'll pop her head in again and would get involved in some drama on Twitter. And that's how I ended up uh, battling back and forth with her a few times in more recent years. And then for whatever reason, and I don't know what prompted this, on June 16th, she decided to pick on Taryn after 14 years of silence, which is weird. That was the last thing she did on social media. So I don't feel bad for Joy. I'm not going to say it's too bad, whatever happened. This is someone that I did not care for one bit, and I think hurt a lot of people. I think she was a bad person for poker. I think she harmed a lot of people in poker. I think a lot of people in poker media, especially, were harmed by her. And she is just a person I never liked one bit. And I felt the poker community was much better when she was gone. I wasn't wishing her dead. I was perfectly happy with her just being away from poker and away from me and living her life on her own. I was fine with that. I wasn't wishing anything bad for her. But at the same time, I wasn't sad when I heard what happened when I heard that she passed away. Whereas if it was just like a random in poker, I would feel bad for them. Like, I saw people tweeting today that some uh, poker player from Texas just recently died of COVID, who was in his 40s. And yeah, that's sad. I didn't know the guy. I'd never heard of him before. But yeah, I like I read the story. I go, yeah, that's sad. That's, that's a very unfortunate story. And that's really too bad that uh, COVID took this guy's life early. The guy was younger than me, I believe. So I can feel bad for someone I don't even know just from reading a story about them that sounds kind of tragic. Someone I do know or did know that I did not care for at all and that I thought hurt a lot of people, I'm not going to be sorry if they're uh, not alive anymore. And you know what? There's some people out there who dislike me that if I were to die would not feel bad at all. Now, was I happy when Joy died? No, I wasn't happy and I wasn't sad. It was just, well, okay, pretty shocking. But I I didn't feel any sadness about it. Didn't feel like, happiness like like if if a uh, convicted murderer dies and i read about it i'm happy to read it joy miller dies i'm not happy to read it but i'm not sad to read it the only people i was sad for was his her uh, husband and her uh, son i think it's a son whatever whatever the gender of the kid is son or daughter she has a kid who i believe is 10 and that is a very, very bad age to lose a parent. It, it's never good to lose a parent, and it happens to just about everybody unless they die young. When you get to be a middle-aged adult, you know that the time is going to come in not too long when you are going to have to face the death of your parents. And that's just an unfortunate part of life. But when you're 10 years old, you don't expect that. When you're 10 years old, you expect to have your parents for a long time. In fact, you need your parents a whole lot more at that age. And that's got to be devastating. I know if I lost my mom at age 10, I would have really, really been devastated. 
So I feel very bad for that kid. I don't know much about it, what kind of parent she was, so I won't comment on that. It's very possible she was a good parent. Uh, I'll mention someone here who I also didn't care for very much that died in poker, uh, Gavin Smith. But what I did hear about him was that he was a good good parent, that he was very good to the two boys he had, that he took responsibility for them when the, there was some problem with the mom. She couldn't do it. So he took care of them on his own. And I, I heard a lot of good things about how much Gavin cared for those two boys. So that made me actually think better of him. I, for Despite the personal issues I had with Gavin Smith, when I heard about uh, the way he took care of those boys and how much he loved them, I said, okay, well, I can at least admire him for that. I think a little better of him now than I did when he was alive because I've, I didn't know about uh, that he was that he even had custody of these kids or that he had full custody or that he it was all on him. You know, like I, I didn't know that stuff. So when I heard that stuff, I said, okay, well, I, I can at least admire that. So I don't know about Joy and her kid. It's possible that it was a similar situation. It's possible she was a good mom. So I won't comment there. But I, I know that no matter what, this has got to be very devastating for her kid at that age. So I feel really bad for the kid. And her husband, I actually heard, was a nice guy. So I feel bad for him, too, because I'm sure he is sad about this as well. So when the when someone passes away unexpectedly, especially at an early age, I even if I don't like that person, I can feel bad for their family. I can feel bad for the people who are affected by it. So I feel real bad for the kid. And that was really my first thought, was like, I don't care about Joy. This doesn't really make me sad that Joy died, but yeah, for this kid, it's pretty bad. I feel really bad for the kid. It's my first thought. And it's my thought right now. So I I hope the kid ends up okay. At least the kid still has a a parent. But losing your mom at that age can be very tough. And I hope the kid is able to live a normal life despite that. That's the worst part of this whole thing, to be honest. Anyway, this has been verified. It's not a uh, rumor. It's been verified by a number of people who are friends with her. And even some kind of uh, organization she was associated with or worked for, some kind of uh, charity. So she definitely is gone. So this is something I did not expect. I will say that. I did not expect that uh, Joy Miller would be dying anytime soon. But yeah, apparently Joy Miller died. It's always weird when this sort of thing happens, when someone dies in poker that I did not like. It hasn't happened very much because they're... uh, aren't that many deaths in poker and there aren't that many people I dislike but we have had some cases of people who've died that I haven't liked very much and I'm always left kind of thinking hey you know I can't say exactly what everybody else is saying because whenever someone dies people like to posture and say wonderful things about the person and if it's a friend of yours or a family member you got to do that even if it's an acquaintance that you had some issues with, but overall you got along okay. If it's someone you didn't like, I don't believe in being phony and pretending like you were cool with them. Anyway, Joy Miller is gone, and uh, I hope the kid's okay. I even hope the husband's okay. Nothing against him. Just didn't care for Joy, and uh, 
I knew a lot of people over the years that were harmed by her. So, kind of hard to feel too bad. Kind of wondering how Terrence is feeling. I don't talk to Terrence, so I can't ask him, but... uh, If I had to guess, I would think he kind of has the same feelings I do. That would be my guess. But I guess that's the lesson here. You don't talk shit to Terrence Chan on Twitter, or otherwise... You may not be around for too much longer. I'm going to keep that in mind. I'm going to make sure to be very nice to Terrence on Twitter. Because I want to continue living. Okay. Let me move on to something else. A little more pleasant. Mike Matisau has joined on to the class action lawsuit against PayPal. Mike Matisau... He stated early on that PayPal had screwed him. We've, we've heard this for quite some time. And he became vocal about it again when Chris Moneymaker was talking about how he got screwed by PayPal. And then Mike piped up again saying that his lawyer, not Eric, but uh, his lawyer at the time, told him there's nothing he could do. So... On uh, May 18th, Mike tweeted, My attorney told me if you read the fine print, they're allowed to steal our money. It's criminal, but we can't do anything. Oh, yes, you can, Mike. So, as you guys are well aware, attorney Eric Benzamokin is the lead attorney in the upcoming class action lawsuit against PayPal. We've discussed it many times on the show. PayPal, whenever they feel that you have violated their terms of service, and sometimes it's not even a human being making the decision. Sometimes it's a bot that believes that you have violated the terms of service because of something someone wrote in the description field of the transaction. So a lot of times a a human is not even involved in suspending your account, but your account will get suspended for six months. It's called limiting your account. And what that really means is your account is frozen. And the only thing you can do with your account is refund money. You can't withdraw. You can't make any kind of transaction except refund those who had previously sent you money. Now, it used to be after those six months had passed, they would send you your money back. But sometime fairly recently, they came up with a new trick where they would claim that you caused them, quote, damages and they would fine you $2,500 per incident and then add up all those $2,500. And if that $2,500 times whatever was more than your balance, they would take your entire balance. So that's exactly the nasty thing they did to Chris Moneymaker. They confiscated $12,228.55 from him. That is $12,228.55 because he was receiving money for a fantasy football contest, which is completely legal. So they confiscated it. They froze it for six months and then confiscated it. And then Chris joined on with Eric Benzamokin and this class action lawsuit, which basically formed around Chris. So once uh, Chris retained Eric, then Eric and other attorneys that he got involved with this got together and are in the process of preparing a class action lawsuit to file against PayPal in California court. 
and PayPal is located in California, so they can do that. PayPal apparently is worried about this because they must have gotten wind of this. And after refusing to help Chris, in fact, their support, if you try to complain about this, their support will say, we'd love to help you, but we don't have any access to it. This is decided behind the scenes. So the worst thing about these confiscations is that you never get to give your side. It's not like you give your side and they rule against you. You never get to explain yourself at any point. An automated system decides you have broken a rule. Then supposedly somebody in the background reviews it. Never ask for your feedback, nor can you give your feedback. You can try as hard as you want. You can't give them your feedback. You can never give your side. So a bot will catch you in what it thinks is a violation. Then a human being, based upon what the bot thinks it caught, will make a decision without any input from you, and you cannot appeal it. And then they just take your money. Does that sound fair? Obviously not. That's just straight up stealing. So this happened to Chris Moneymaker. And as soon as it was made public by Eric and Chris that they are about to file a class action lawsuit about this matter involving many other people who had the same thing happen to them, not just in poker, but all around the world, small businesses around the world got victimized by this. Since Chris Moneymaker was the most famous one involved, PayPal refunded the money to Chris without any explanation. But the lawsuit is proceeding. Chris is no longer going to be a plaintiff because he has no damages. Others do. Many people do, including Mr. Mike Matisau. So Mike Matisau has decided to join this lawsuit as well. This is what Mike tweeted on July 12th. Chris Moneymaker is right. PayPal are straight criminals. I just hung up with Eric Benzamokin, and I'm in on the class action against PayPal. Very, very good. So Mike Massow is going to be a plaintiff. I guess unless they refund him too before, before it can be filed. So Mike is now part of this as well. And I hope he wins. Hope you get your money back, Mike. You deserve it. In fact, everybody deserves their money back. All the small businesses that PayPal cheated, they all deserve their money back. All the poker players, everybody else. PayPal should not have the right to take your money. Now, of all things, Scott Matisau, that is Mike's brother, he actually had the nerve to respond to Mike saying that Mike is wrong and that PayPal can do it. It's in the terms, he said. Well, no. And Eric's explained this before when he came on the show. You can't just be a terms of service monkey and just believe that if they write something in the terms, they can do it. Like, what if they wrote in the terms that if you violate their rules that they can come to your house and slay your firstborn? Would that mean they can come over and uh, murder your kid? Obviously not. So they can't just write something in the terms that wouldn't be legal. So the reason this should not be legal and I believe isn't legal, and Eric believes it's not legal, is that they are acting as a, ju- a judicial body, basically. They are uh, the judge, jury, and executioner of your funds. They have a right to kick you off the service at any time for violating their terms. But they can't just take your money because they happen to be holding your money. 
A private business does not have a right to fine you. It does not have a right to just take your money. A private business can sue you if they feel you've cost them money. But just because they happen to be holding your money, they can't just take it. That's not how it works. Also, you are never given an opportunity to ever present your side. So clearly the whole thing is tilted to land to where they can take your money. Furthermore, the damages they are charging for their quote investigation are nonsensical and also very excessive. This is part of the cost of doing business, of investigating any kind of uh, terms of service violation. You can't charge the customer for your time in kicking them off your platform. That's not how it works. Can you imagine if you get kicked out of any other business, if they uh, reach into your wallet and take money out? You go, well, what's that for? You go, well, because we had to have an employee uh, show you to the door, so that's for his time. Like, you say, you can't do that. <laughs> but that's basically what PayPal's doing. PayPal actually is reaching into your wallet and taking your money because they investigated what their bot found and you never get a chance to defend yourself. So totally, totally unfair, totally unethical, and I believe totally illegal. And so does Eric. So this is not just about terms of service. Terms of service would mean they can kick you off. Nobody's complaining they got kicked off. They want to kick you off, they can kick you off. It's the fact that they are actually fining people excessive amounts of money and the people never even get a chance to ever say what their side was. They, they can't ever explain themselves. And that's not an accident. So if you're on PayPal's side on this one, then I don't know what to tell you. Then you're not looking at it from a logical standpoint. There is, this is indefensible. So I'm very much rooting for this to succeed. And I'm glad that uh, Mattisau has joined up. Okay, I'm going to take a break here. And this is a good time to take a break because I can play you the new ad for Eric, which discusses a way you can get involved in this lawsuit if you are a victim of PayPal. I'll be back shortly, and we will continue the rest of the show. On October 1st, 2020, I got some really bad news. I was being sued for $330 million over something I said on Poker Fraud Alert. After I calmed down and regained my composure, I knew I needed an attorney to help me, and I needed a good one. I've been singing the praises of attorney Eric Benzamokin for years, and I decided it only made sense that I practice what I preach. So without hesitation, I retained Eric to defend me. I was about to see firsthand if he was really as good of an attorney as I've been claiming all these years. Seven months later, it was over. The case against me was dismissed, and instead of a judgment against me, I had a $27,000 judgment against the guy who filed the frivolous lawsuit against me in the first place. I can now say with complete confidence that hiring Eric was a great decision. He's hardworking, thorough, knowledgeable. It seemed like he always knew the right move to make. Everything he advised me was 100% correct. And now that it's over, I can tell you there's not a single thing we should have done differently. He hit this one out of the park. Now, Eric has moved on to defending the poker community and small businesses around the globe from the greedy clutches of PayPal. They've been unfairly freezing and confiscating money from their customers. We've talked about it on this show. PayPal hasn't even been giving anyone a chance to explain themselves or appeal the decision. They just freeze your account and they take your money. This practice has gone on for years, and now Eric and the Benzamokin Law Firm are standing up to this Goliath, and they're fighting for the little guy to get their money back. 
World Series of Poker legend Chris Moneymaker and many others have retained the Benzamokin Law Firm to help fight against PayPal. If you've been victimized by PayPal, if your money's been frozen, if it's been taken, contact Eric right now at info at eblawfirm.us. That's info, I-N-F-O, at eblawfirm.us. Now, do you have another legal issue which you think might be heard in California or federal court? Contact Eric. Maybe he can help you. Do you need to file a bankruptcy? Eric has loads of experience in that area. Do you need arbitration or mediation? Eric can do that as well, no matter where you are. So contact him. Info at eblawfirm.us. Info at eblawfirm.us. He's a really nice guy. He's really knowledgeable. You've heard him on this show many times where he always has the right answers to any legal question we ask him. It's amazing. I trusted Eric. It worked out great. Now you can too. Eric Benzamokin and the Benzamokin Law Firm. Info at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we're back. See if we can get Go Buckos on the phone. This is actually a topic he suggested. And I said, yeah, sounds like a good idea. So let's put him on here. Your call has been forwarded to an auto. That is not what we wanted to get here. Let's give it another shot. Hmm. Not working out with the phones here. Oh, here we go. He's calling me now. Go Buckos. Hello. Druff, how are you? Good. It's hard to call you. I was getting the uh, first ring voicemail. Well, that's because your call comes through as no caller ID for some reason, so it gets silent. Oh, okay. I, I need to turn on the caller ID here. I see. I, I tell people to turn on the caller ID, yeah. and then they, then I do not call on. I do not turn on my own caller ID. I'm being a hypocrite, a right. caller ID hypocrite. Okay, so uh, Go Bucko suggested a topic to me that I thought was a good one because it's been it's one I've also been discussing. But he wanted to discuss it more at length, and I think it's a good idea. And I know I keep running into this. And that is businesses, both gambling-related businesses and non-gambling-related businesses, that are hiding behind COVID to degrade their offerings and customer service. And it's very frustrating. And of course, every business has a right to offer or not offer whatever services it does. It's not up to me to determine what they do and don't do. What bothers me, and I assume what bothers Go Buckos here as well, is the dishonesty of the situation. So rather than saying, we've made a change in our offerings, we've made a change in our service, we're doing such and such for this reason, or we're just doing such and such going forward without giving a reason, they are claiming it's for safety. They're doing it for you. So a good example of this was the water situation that I ran into at Harris. Not a huge thing, but an annoyance because I was so used to getting bottled water at Harris as a Diamond member and I would go to the front desk, say, can I have four waters, please? And they give me four small waters. That's always the way it's been. And then I went there on my last day and they tell me, no, we can't give you waters. We don't have waters because we've been instructed not to carry them anymore because of COVID. And I said, what? That's that's not true, though. Like, COVID has nothing to do with this. You handing out waters to me does not give me any danger of getting COVID. 
Even if I were not vaccinated, my danger would be no higher from you handing me water bottles. And they couldn't even explain it, and I didn't bother to have them explain it because the person who told me this is not the one who made the decision. They had no water behind the counter. That's the, I let them know I thought it was stupid, but that was it. So anyway, um, that was annoying to me, and I saw so many examples of this where businesses have degraded their service or don't do something they used to, not because there's a COVID danger anymore, or not because there was ever a COVID danger with whatever they were doing, like giving out water, but because they can use COVID as an excuse to cheapen their offerings and make people think they're just being safe. And it's the dishonesty of the whole thing that bothers me. So Go Buckos told me that he has been bothered by this as well, and he has many examples of this he'd like to provide. So uh, go ahead. I'll, I'll give the floor to you. Well, the biggest one, uh, as you know, uh, my girlfriend and I, we just took a two-week trip where we drove around literally every corner of Nevada. Um, you know, we we hit every casino market in literally every casino market in Nevada, with the exception of Laughlin. Um, and the one, uh, every single hotel we stayed in, to this day, still will not provide housekeeping in the middle of your stay. Um, you know where it used to be. They'd clean your room every day regardless. Now, if I'm on a gambling trip by myself, I actually want that. Okay, I don't want anybody in there. Uh, but if it's a le- more of a leisure trip or, you know, if you've got a family with kids traveling, you know, that's a valuable service. And I think, uh, I think they're hiding behind COVID to cover up staff shortages. Um, but, you know, just tell us what's going on. If, if, if you're short staff, say so. Right, I agree. I agree it, with you. Not, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I, I think that was the biggest one. Literally, every hotel we stayed in, no matter what city, you know, from from Harris Lake Tahoe to the tiny little hotel Nevada in Ely, Nevada, uh, absolutely no housekeeping service. In the, if it's in the middle of your stay, you want towels, you want whatever, you got to get it yourself. Yeah, I saw that too. Um, now, for me, it's not as bothersome because I usually don't get the maid unless I've been there for several days. So for me, right. it didn't affect right. much. But I, I know other people don't feel the same way. And I also saw other services I don't use that were degraded, such as the valet, the bellman, where they had very few people working it and there were big, long waits for it and people were very unhappy. Or, or it was just still closed in a couple cases. Yeah. The valet. Yeah, I... Um, so- Go ahead. No, I, I agree with you. And uh, again, I think honesty would totally work here. If they could just say we're having difficulty hiring people right now. And uh, as soon as we can get enough people to staff up here, we will have uh, we'll be back to the service that you were used to before. So in the meantime, we have a, a lesser version of this. But uh, right. It, it, the whole thing is just so they can save money. And it's it's very frustrating and it, you would think also if it were uh, about safety for the thing with the maids, they would just simply let you opt in or out. Do you want maid service or not? Do you want a maid in your room or not? So if for whatever reason you feel uncomfortable with a maid right. being in your room, which doesn't make any sense because they're in your room right before you come in. So I don't understand how that is uh, any difference. And uh, the, the, I don't believe the maid is uh, – I don't believe the union is forbidding the maid from going in and cleaning rooms. Because the truth is, to the maid, the damn it, the the danger, the COVID danger is very minimal when there's nobody in the room. 
So if they were really concerned for the maid and their health, they could say, okay, the maid cannot clean while you're in there. You need to leave the room while the maid cleans. But they just, uh, as you were saying, like they, they don't even do this. So it's... Uh, now, what other things did you see? Did you see other uh, businesses non-related to hotels or? Well, uh... Yeah, yeah, there were a few, and I'll, I'll get to that. But the most egregious example I think we had was before the trip even started. Um, so, uh, my girlfriend and I, we make a great traveling team because she has she has the the high powered business credit cards with the airline miles perks and the rental car perks and all that kind of thing, and I have all the free casino rooms and meals. So we make a really great team in that regard when we travel together. So uh, anyway, she uh, she is not Jewish, but she might as well be. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so you know when she when she goes to rent a car, you know she she is a bulldog. She will look for absolutely the best deal possible. And she came across a website called WiseCars.com. Um, it's similar to I don't know if you're similar. I don't know if you're familiar with Auto Slash. No, I don't know that one. They they will find coupon codes for you and things like that, and you know you just tell them what you're looking for, and they come back to you with the company that you're going to be booking with, and you know in the location that you requested, and things like that. Uh, anyway, Wise Cars is purportedly something similar. Okay, you submit a request to them, and they email you back a little bit later and say, okay, here's what we found for you with the coupon codes that we can apply you know, what your memberships in, you know, Costco or AAA or whatever will entitle you to. Okay. So she booked something with them. Uh, they got back to her with an offer. Um, she accepted it, paid the money. Uh, but then she started digging around on Yelp uh, a little bit and TripAdvisor and some things like that for reviews on this company because she had never heard of it. Uh, and she was finding that what they do, instead of you just walking up to the counter at the rental, you know, with your rental car company and saying, you know, I have a reservation under this name. They send you a voucher. Uh, I think it's, I think it's an electronic voucher that either you have to print out or take in some electronic form to the counter. Uh, and we found in these reviews that some of these vouchers were not being honored when the people would show up to rent their cars or they would be, they would be told that a car wasn't available or uh, whatever, and 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 this, these these were this was happening far more than we were comfortable with. So she canceled it, which completely refundable, according to them. So she canceled it, and uh, and we booked through a more conventional way. But uh, anyway, so so of course you know she just when's my refund going to be issued? So a few pa- a few days passed and no refund. So she emailed them and said, hey, you know when is my refund going to be issued? And they got back to her with a form letter saying the first sentence was COVID-19 has been difficult on all of us. Now, now I, I have to tell you, this is May, 2021, not May, 2020. <laughs> okay. Uh, COVID-19 has been difficult on all of us. Uh, we are processing refunds as quickly as we can. You can, ex- we will have your refund guaranteed by the end of the third quarter of 2021. Whoa. Yeah, no, no, this did not make her happy. <laughs> uh, so uh, she sent back a really nasty email saying, this is unacceptable. You'll have my refund, you know, you'll have my refund posted back to my credit card by the end of business today. 
which of course, that, of course, that didn't happen. So she waited a few more days and then wound up disputing it with the credit card company. And that's how. Right, right. That's what I was going to say is that I, I was sure they were going to ignore her email back, but I'm sure they get tons of the same thing. Basically, people saying, what the fuck? I'm not waiting until September 30th to get this. Um, so I, I was sure that was going to be what was going to happen and then she was going to end up uh, disputing it. I, I once had a similar situation with Air Canada, of all things, where they they owed me money and they said that I need to wait 12 weeks to get it. I said, why 12 weeks? Well, we're short on staff right now. I go, it's not my problem. I, I can't pay you 12 weeks late for the flight. Exactly. And so, exactly. so they wanted me to wait 12 weeks. I said, F you. So I called the credit card company, disputed it. I won the dispute. And then laughably, after 12 weeks, they sent me the money anyway. So I didn't exactly send it back to them. I said, F them. This is their fault. They, they did. I wasn't trying to double dip on them here, but I'm, I'm not going back and returning the money when they were trying to hold my money hostage for 12 weeks because they were trying to be cheap with staffing. And this wasn't during COVID, by the way. So this, they can't even blame that. This is like seven years ago. But uh, anyway, yeah, the, these little companies like that, uh, I'm sure that they are very aware of the fact that the, these are not being accepted in certain places. And they, they're probably getting these vouchers cheaply and that's how they're making the money. And then uh, when people are unhappy, they try to, uh, I mean, you're, it's very possible your girlfriend would have never been refunded. It's very possible that, that right. it's a stalling tactic. It, it, it's, a, it's a classic negative checkoff scam, as you describe it. I, I, I learned that term from you, and I've, I've, I've used that. I found so many places to use that, and I love it. I don't, I don't know, if, I don't, I don't know the, orig- the origin of that term, but anyway, I first learned that term from you, so I thank you for that. Um, it, it's, it, it's everywhere. You, know, you look for it, it's everywhere. But just the first sentence of that email, COVID-19 has been hard on all of us. They think by just by putting that sentence out there, it justifies anything that they want to do after that. Yeah. And that's what, and it, it's, you know, re- it's really everywhere. Yeah. It really is. Big and small companies are using this now in order to have to do less. Another big one that's frustrating is when companies won't take phone calls anymore. They used to. You have to right. email them. Oh, now. That, that is the case actually with my bank a bank that I specifically chose pre-COVID because they had U.S.-based customer service that got very, very high ratings. Uh, And, you know, I, you know, I would, if it was rare that I had to call about something, but you know, when I did, uh, I don't ever ever remember being on hold for more than two or three minutes. And now I have to wait 45 minutes to an hour to talk to somebody. And, And yes, they're still blaming COVID. Yeah. And I'm finding that too. Even, even companies that do take phone calls, right. That the, wait times have gotten to be outrageous for some of these places and there's no excuse by this point that even if they're saying that they're having people work from home there's no excuse that they can't get a lot more people on at this point to work from home they have plenty of time to update their systems and uh, get it all in place i can understand in the first few months of this but a year later more than a year later they should have everywhere should be back to normal customer service wise and they're not and I'm afraid that this is going to become just the standard. And eventually when COVID isn't around to blame anymore or when COVID becomes, even if COVID stays forever, like the flu has, and just becomes a normal part of life, uh, I have a feeling that they'll just roll it into normalcy. Well, we haven't had this for two years now, so why would we bring it back now? Right, right. I, th- I think you're exactly right. I, I think that's the road that a lot of these companies uh, are, are taking. And by the way, the water issue at Caesars, 
that's just the tip of the iceberg as far as they're concerned. Um, one thing I noticed, uh, I noticed two things, uh, actually, uh, still not seating full poker room tables. Uh, like here in New Orleans, for example, it, uh, the room here is still seven-handed. Uh, it doesn't have to be. The, the, the state does not require that anymore. They can go back to nine or ten-handed if they want to. They just won't do it. Uh, and I, I, I said to a supervisor that I know pretty well the other day, I said, you know, what's the deal? Why, why isn't this happening? And this is faster games. We make more money. We make more money when the games are seven-handed. There's more rake. It generates more rake. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But, you know, but what's the public answer? Well, COVID, you know, he was real hush-hush about that. He's like, don't tell anybody. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, I, I never thought of it this way, but yeah, you're right. that This is one of the few cases in a casino where more people sitting doesn't equal more profit for the casino because Correct. since they're ra- raking every pot, they really what they want is more hands per hour. And that does speed right. up number of hands per hour, just having fewer people at the table that uh, would be in a hand. Right. Correct. And uh, uh, another example of Caesars is uh, they've eliminated room service at all properties, okay, which surprises me a little bit at first because I thought, well, room service is a big moneymaker for them because of all the ridiculous upcharges and things like that. But, but wait, they're, they've offered, they're offering another option now. It's called Caesars Eats. And it's something similar to Grubhub, or I think from what I heard you describe, something similar to the system resorts world is using, um, where they are contracting with an outside company to do it, and you can still use your reward credits, but at two to one, (laughs) not one to one anymore. So that has now replaced their room service. And again, the excuse I got was COVID. Okay, so they'll send someone who doesn't work directly from them to your room, but they won't send one of their employees to your room with their own food. Yeah, that's crappy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, um, and also, this isn't so much a matter of being cheap, but just pure greed, like with the poker room thing, is table minimums. Now, it was widely known when casinos reopened that table minimums were to go through the roof because they could only seat a certain number of players at the table, and in order to justify them being open, they had to they had to, you know, make these changes. But it was also implied that once things returned to normal, the, t- the table minimums would return back to their pre-COVID levels. Well, they haven't at all. And this, this is not just the Caesars thing. This is everywhere. Um, I, I would say, I would say table minimums as a general rule are 50 to 70% higher still to this day, besides all, you know, despite all places being at full occupancy uh, than they were, in February of 2019, uh, it's it's absolutely absurd, and and you know, and I guess they're keeping them at those levels because people are playing. So I mean, can you really blame them? I don't know, but um, I, I don't think it. I don't think I don't think that continued visitor volume will last forever. I think someday at some point they're going to have to bring them back down, but we'll see. Um, but you know, other than that. Uh, we got a lot of really bad restaurant service on our trip uh, in a lot of the same places where we didn't get bad restaurant service before. Uh, and, you know, of course, every place is blaming staff shortages, and there are legit staff shortages in these places. Uh, but again, just tell us. Don't blame it on the pandemic. I, I just don't want to be lied to. 
Right. No, I agree with that. I agree. I fully agree with this, and I've always uh, hated when you're just being lied to, and then it's very hard to deal with the company about anything because you know the entire situation is based upon something that isn't true. So it it gets very hard to deal with any problems you have when you're starting off where the entire basis is a lie. And something I want to suggest to the listener is that in some of these cases, there's nothing you can do. Like, I, I couldn't force Harris to give me water. At, at that point, they have no water. It's not at the desk. They're just not giving it. I can say I'm never coming back here, but I, I can't force them to give me water. But there are some things you can do where if you have any kind of argument or dispute over some matter of bad service, like like what you're saying here, like at a restaurant there's bad service, anything like that where they're charging you full price but giving you substandard service and blaming COVID. Um, if it seems like just a matter of them being cheap and cutting things down and you're complaining about it, uh, you, you have every right to expect proper service. Now, you can be understanding about certain things that it is hard to hire people right now. So if it does seem like the business is trying and they just can't get people, then that is the case. It's especially true with some small businesses. But if it really appears to you that this is just them being frugal or changing something for their own benefit and then blaming COVID, and then you have a substandard experience that you weren't used to or expecting, and and you want to make a complaint about it, don't let them just shut you down and say, well, sorry, COVID. You You can always come back and say, no, I don't believe that. This is not about COVID. This doesn't make any sense. This is why. And explain to them why. And then explain what you want. So I'm just giving the advice to the listener. Don't let companies use COVID to shut down the argument. As I said, in some cases... That's exactly what what we did in some of these restaurants. You know, if if the service was was really bad, we would say, look, you know, what's going on? Just just tell us. And if they would say, you know, we're just really short-staffed right now. Okay, no problem. Take your time. Do your thing. You know, we understand. We get it. Okay, but if they said if they said COVID, no, sorry. I mean, I mean, I I just straight up call them out. Well, not only that, but if 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 there's a huge backlog in uh, being able to serve people because they're short staffed, at some point they would be expected, and I'm talking about just the courtesy to the customer, to warn you, hey, the service is very slow right now because we're short staffed. Uh, It's going to take longer than usual. Are you okay with that? Before you even sit down, and if they don't want to drive you away by not telling you the truth and then it takes two hours to get your food, you do have a right to complain. So it's kind of like this, uh, you've got to look at it logically. you got to say, should they have warned me about this? Should they even be taking this many customers at all if they simply can't serve them? At some point, it lands on them to, to either hire the right number of people and even have to pay more for them or just not taking as many customers if they just can't handle it. It's it's not the entire burden doesn't have to fall on the customer here when these things happen. And you have a right to speak up about it. Right. Right. And I, I do feel like, you know, COVID COVID or not COVID notwithstanding, I do feel like uh, a lot of these restaurants that we ate in were insistent on seating their full dining rooms when they knew they didn't have the staff to service them properly. Uh, and I had a really, really big problem with that. Um, you, you know, you know, that's, that's just greed as well. 
uh, and it creates a terrible experience for the customer. The customer is not going to come back. So you're really kind of shooting yourself in the foot, you know, penny wise and pound foolish, I guess. Yeah, and I've always said that uh, my problem comes from deception. So if they if they put up a sign there or tell everybody when they walk in, hey, we're short-staffed because we're having trouble getting people to work here right now, and uh, this will be a little slower than usual. So uh, is that are you okay with that, yes or no? And if you say yes and sit down anyway and it's slow, then you don't have no right to complain. But if they are sitting you at normally like it's going to be a normal experience and then it's super super slow they can't just say well we couldn't get enough people well okay then don't seat the whole restaurant so it's a matter of communication and if they're just being greedy because they they don't want to turn you away and they sit you under the pretense that it's going to be a normal experience when it's not then that's on them and that's where i would start to have a problem and uh a hundred percent correct and and i think i think a general rule of thumb is uh if they're using COVID as an excuse and it's not a situation where it's a packed indoor space, it's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. Right. You know, if, and, and, you know, I mean, what, I mean, what, what are we, yeah, case numbers are ticking back up. The Delta variant is it, something to be concerned about. There's no question. Okay. But if they're, if they're, if they're using COVID as an excuse to not give you a, a timely refund, Basically, anything that doesn't involve you being in a packed indoor space with other people is bullshit, 100%. Yeah, that is a good rule of thumb. Pretty much the rule of thumb that I use. That is a good rule of thumb, and it's something for everybody to know, just in case you don't. I know I've said it many times in the show, but anything involving just surface contact, if the, like the, the water bottle thing, it makes no sense because it's not spreading on surfaces. Right. So, so anything that involves touching something that someone else touched and they say they can't do this anymore because of COVID, it's, it's BS. This was debunked over a year ago. So it's uh, that's that's a, either they're completely ignorant or they're lying to you. There's no excuse in July of 2021 to still be uh, taking COVID precautions based upon touching things. That uh, especially from a business standpoint. So anything like that is BS, and it, it's just a matter of not just recognizing it, but knowing when to speak up and knowing when to just outright tell them you don't believe them and and you want something for the substandard experience. And I think too many people are willing to accept this and go, oh, okay, well, you know, COVID, yeah, it's tough. You know, th- these are different times. Okay, I guess we got to just deal with it. They're trying to keep us safe. Like, d- don't fall into that trap. Don't don't think, oh, they're trying to keep us safe. So that's advice that you're going to find you're going to need, I'm sure, because everybody's going to run into this. This is pretty much right. going on everywhere. And Jeff, I believe you've got a trip coming up here soon and you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, anxious to you know compare notes with you when your trip is over with i'm sure you and i are going to experience some of the same things yep Um, probably and uh that's going to be annoying i'm sure and i'm sure there'll be a lot of times i'll be saying i wish it was 2019 again (laughs) so yeah it's it it, it can be it it can be and you know we had a great trip it it was it, it i overall i'm not I, I don't have a whole lot of complaints, but it was just, it's just those little things that just needle you. And then they just keep needling you. And once you've, you know, once you've had it for a few days in a row, it becomes a big thing. You know, it, it, it starts to really grate on you. And like I said, we were gone for two weeks. So uh, there was some grading going on by the end. No question. Yeah. And it, it does build up over time. You know, we, we were traveling a bunch of days in a row. I know you took a long trip there and he, he posted a uh, go buckos on the forum, posted a trip report of his Nevada trip. You can go see it in the flying stupidity forum. 
and it's a good trip report. You guys should take a look if you want to see uh, a very descriptive uh, experiences that he had uh, traveling throughout the entire state of Nevada, not just Vegas. But definitely, the longer you travel, the less patience you get for like bothersome issues that happen over and over and over again. And so I can totally see that happening. And I've had long trips before, too, where after like several similar fails in a row, I start to really lose patience. So, And, and another thing for the listeners to know is, is there's really no place in this country right now that's immune from this. It, it's nationwide. Yeah. Uh, you know, big cities, small towns, uh, you know, there's, there's not going to be any getting away from it. You know, if you have a trip planned at some point this summer or, you know, anytime, anytime relatively soon, you, you are going to experience this 100%. There's no getting around it. So just be prepared. Right. And you know, be, be prepared mentally and, and, you know, know how you're going to respond, uh, you know, based on, you know, based on the situation, you know, how, how, how they present it to you. And, and, you know, don't, don't take, don't take any bullshit. Don't be afraid to call, to call people out on it. Yeah. And one other thing I want to mention before we move on, I saw in Vital Vegas they were highlighting certain restaurants that were slapping on surcharges related to COVID. And sometimes it would say something about COVID for the surcharge. Sometimes it would just be some weird name and you'd ask them about it and they'd say, oh, it's because of COVID. Uh, reject those surcharges. A lot of times you can get them taken off if you complain. It's, again, like a negative checkoff scam. And a lot of these restaurants and other things that can tack on additional fees will slap on some kind of additional COVID charge. Uh, it's, it will have a bunch of different names. I, I won't even bother to name the way they're listed. It doesn't matter. But if you see some weird charge for a few bucks that doesn't make any sense, then definitely speak up. Don't just assume it's a tax. Ask them what it is. If they say it's a surcharge because of COVID, then say, I, I didn't know about this. There, there, this wasn't disclosed anywhere. I, I wasn't expecting this. If they point to some tiny fine print, say, no, 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 it's got to be something clear that everybody's going to see. This is something nobody would expect. And say, I, I'm not going to pay this. This is a, this is something that uh, was snuck on the bill. I, I knew taxes would be part of it, but I did not know this fee was going to be part of it. And they will usually take it off at that point. In fact, one restaurant, I forgot what it was, actually did away with the fee after there was enough uh, negative feedback about it and they were shamed enough for it. So don't just pay those things and don't let them give you a sob story. Oh, we have to have this because we have to spend a lot of money on uh, on a lot more cleaning and a lot more uh, money on keeping you safe. So this is what we have to do to pass the cost on. It's BS. It's just a money grab. Yep, 100%. And 100%. So if you see any of those charges, and it's also not your problem. See, the again, this is where they need to be honest. If they need to raise prices because the cost of business has gone up because of all this cleaning they claim they have to do, then fine, raise the prices. Well, well that's fine because it's disclosed. Yeah, but uh, do not let them sneak on extra charges there claiming that it's because of COVID. Don't feel bad for them. And sometimes I've also heard the justification, well, we had to stay closed all these months. Then we had to open at very limited capacity. You know, we, we, we barely survived. We've got, we've got to get back on our feet. Don't, that's not your problem either. Again, it's a money grab. They're trying to tug your heartstrings so you pay this extra charge. It's just because they know a lot of people are coming in now and they feel they can get you to pay it. So just say no, refuse, and they'll usually take it off. 100%. Thanks for devoting some attention to this. You know, I, I heard you mention it last week with the uh, with the water thing, and I thought, you know, that'd be a really good topic. So uh, yeah. we were able to talk about it. Well, thank you for coming on. Always uh, enjoy having you on here. Always a good segment when you're here. And uh, 
feel free to come on again anytime in the future. Will do, Drop. Thank you, sir. Okay. Good night. That was Go Buckos. Always good uh, phone calls from him. Okay. So I think somebody else wants to call in before we move on to the next segment here. In the meantime, while we're waiting, from the 360, just wondering why... With the way Vegas has been trending for the last several years, more expensive is not and not as good at card games. If there's anywhere else in Nevada that might be worth going to, just a recreational player but don't need the strip. Maybe Reno. Uh, I don't know. Actually, that would have been a good question for Go Buckos if he were still here. But uh, I, I will tell you that uh, usually small casinos, uh, the games aren't as good. Sometimes with things like blackjack, they're better. But uh, with other things, like, example, for example, video poker pay tables, usually they're going to suck in small casinos. I'm just throwing that out there. I know this guy said uh, card games, and that's not a card game. Uh, okay, so I, I guess Reno is good. Go Buck is still listening. He said uh, Reno and Wendover. Wendover is uh, in northern Nevada as well, kind of more in the uh, Salt Lake City market, even though it's in Nevada. So he said those are actually better for card games as far as uh, rules. So I, see, I, that I didn't know because I haven't been to those areas in a little while. But that's what's good that we have them listening. Okay, so there you go. Go to Reno, go to Wendover. But video poker, as far as I've seen at the small places, is not good. It's not always that way, but like the, in general with video poker, the smaller the casino, the worse the pay tables are going to be. From the 505... Hand to note, that's the company that bought 2 plus 2, could be a Russian bot data mining site. Hmm. It could be. That's a good point. I'm not saying they are, and he's not saying they are, but it is kind of weird. (laughs) I don't quite understand the product all that well from reading their site. From the 509, he said that uh, he'd like to see me cover WSOP Pennsylvania, the WPT acquisition, WSOP Europe schedule released. Unfortunately, we don't have any of those items on our agenda tonight. (laughs) He texted that before the show. Okay, let's take this call. All right, caller, you're on the air. Hi, Josh. Hi. So, we were gambling in Vegas, and I just thought it was funny... Um, when your podcast came on, I seen somebody sitting at the table with a phone on his shoulder. And the whole time I'm looking, I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? He's listening to your podcast. What? <laughs> wow. So there's a guy, there's a guy in Vegas. This is candy, by the way, right? Yeah. Okay. So you're telling me that at a Vegas casino, there's a guy, yeah. now where exactly was he? Was he gambling? What was, what was he doing? Oh, yeah, we're all gambling at a table where you can't have a phone, phone, like, under his collar shirt, on his shoulder, and he's, he's like, lifting up his shoulder just so he can hear every word on the radio. And I'm like, oh, dude, you must be a fan. Do you know who he was? Uh, yeah. Is this someone I know? Yeah. Okay. Free Britney. Yeah, we, we have another individual on here now, too. Oh, who is that? I, I think you'll know when you hear the voice. Free okay, Brittany. Oh, baby. Free Jenny Lynn. Hey, everybody. <laughs> baby. This, this is, this is, how y'all doing? 
Well, apparently there was some listener to the show in the casino who actually was standing there with a phone to his ear that she saw. How sick can you be? I was disgusted. I'm like, I'd be disgusted too. Wait, you were disgusted? No, I'm flattered by it. I'm not disgusted. What are you talking about? She she put down like a rabid dog. Jesus. (laughs) Sons of bitches. I'm like, I love Cooper Brown but dang, did you sit in there degenning at a table and you got your Mm -hmm. phone hidden in your collar shirt and you're just lifting up your arm the whole time so you could hear every word that's said? I'm like, wow. Now listen, now I can tell you've been drinking tonight. Uh, you're you're a little loaded, I imagine. Eh, not too bad. Okay. Have you been taking any uh, any other substances with your alcohol tonight to uh, enhance your buzz by any chance? <laughs> uh, I t- I think I took a couple Ambien to make the game a little funner. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Well. Uh, at least you're not driving. I hope is that is that fair to say? Is that accurate? Uber. Uber. Very very. Oh, that's good. Very very good. Um, I don't so, even have my car down here. Okay, so for those that don't really know the the backstory, Miss Candy was one of the individuals that was at dinner with myself and Giraffe uh, about uh, two weeks ago, and uh, with her significant other. And uh, I had dinner the other night with Candy as well. Uh, right, right, Champers? Hey, Bubs. Jesus. Really are going. Are you, are you back in your hotel room or where are you at? No, I'm actually still gambling. The same spot I've been at for 10 hours. At what a degenerate. Now, listen, did you hear the breaking news today? Tell me the breaking news. No, I didn't Ma- hear it. Mason Malmuth has sold www.2plus2forums.com. How do you no. feel about that? Yep, I, I kid you not. Now tell me, Candy, how do you feel about hearing that news? Well, how do I feel? Right now I'm numb, so I must say I'm comfortably <laughs> numb. <laughs> do you know who Mason Malmuth is? Uh, you want the truth? Yeah, oh, always the truth. Always the truth, Candy. <laughs> No, I don't know. You don't know who Mason Malmuth is. Do you know what 2 plus 2 is? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do, actually. I follow okay, him who, on Instagram, Facebook, all that good shit. Who is Mason Malmuth, then, if you know? Um, He is... He's the mouth, right? I like him a lot. <laughs> is he the mouth or no? He's the mouth. Are you thinking of uh, Mike the Mouth Matisau? Is that who you're thinking of? Oh, shit. See, close, close. It is kind yeah. of close. So I'll ask you again. The person I'm referencing is a, a soon-to-be 70-year-old man who uh, is pretty cranky for most of his life. And he has a tennis foundation. Um, he is a oh. arch. He is an arch enemy of one Mr. Todd dandruff Wotelis. And again, his name is Mason Malmuth, not Mike the Mouth Madison. Oh. Those are two different people. Mason, okay. Yes. Now, I'll ask I again. I don't do you, know do you... a Mason. Okay. All right. Well, it's probably for the best. Um, have you ever heard of a forum called 2 Plus 2? Yes, I listen to it often. <laughs> you listen to it often? You're so funny. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. All right. So listen. What uh, what what did what? Tell us about your, tell us about your gambling tonight. 
What have you been gambling? What have you been playing? Uh, give us Candy's report of what's going on on the Strip and otherwise in Vegas. Tell our listeners what what you've what you've done tonight, what you've seen, your perspective of things. Uh, go ahead, Miss Candy. Okay, um, I'm staying at Mirage. Yeah, the room's okay. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm I'm okay in it, and uh, I ate breakfast in the pantry, which was a total shit show. Jesus. They don't have room service at Mirage. You can't. You cannot order room service. But Sons you of can bitches. order the pantry. You can order the pantry, and they'll bring it up to your room. So, so that's said, that's, that's kind of like. Isn't that kind of like room service? Yeah, they're like, I want you to know. So I'm trying to get a table for the kids and everybody in. I want you to know you're going to wait an hour and a half. Because we're doing delivery orders to the rooms. That's that's what room service is now at Mirage, is the pantry. So I'm like, okay. So I wait an hour and a half. I sit down. She goes, then the waiter comes up to me and goes, I want you to know it's another hour wait. And I laughed. And I was like, okay. Another hour wait to order food when I waited an hour and a half. What the fuck? You know? And uh, I sat there, got an eggs benedict, and uh, it was horrible. So it was all a bad mm-hmm. experience. And then uh, after, I went over to my girlfriend's house, and everything's been great since. By the way, I'm back here. I, I appreciate you guys uh, talking here sure. because uh, no, very no, good timing that you guys came on here because uh, Benjamin came in and he had a very bad headache. I had to take care of that. No, no good. Well, I asked Miss Candy if she heard the big news uh, coming out of Vegas tonight that the owner, Mason Malmuth of www.2plus2.com <laughs> had sold his site and Miss Candy replied that she loved Mason Malmuth. What? She follows him on Facebook uh, and Twitter and Instagram. But then she realized she was thinking of Mike the Mouth Madison. Oh, okay, Mason okay. No, I, just, <laughs> I, I was surprised that Mason would have an Instagram. He didn't seem like an Instagram type. Well, when I told her it was a soon-to-be seven-year-old uh, who's normally cranky throughout his life and has a tennis charity, she realized that are in her ways. Okay, so, okay, that's good. I feel better now. Yeah. Yes, I, I knew that would upset you. So anyhow, I had dinner two nights ago with Miss Candy at a restaurant that was recommended to us by a very, very famous YouTube personality that has been discussed uh, at nauseum on this here podcast, on this fraud show. Really? Do you have any guess who? Do you have any guess who that may be? Would it be Doug Polk? It was not Doug Polk. Miss Candy, who was it that recommended the restaurant we ate at the other night? I think it was Christopher Mitchell. Yes, he ain't. Oh. Yo, Bubs. So he did a review. <laughs> hey, Champers. Folks. He did a review on. Yo, uh, Bubs. He did a review on a steakhouse at the Mirage I had not been to called Tom Heritage Steakhouse. Uh, uh, you, have you been there, Drop? Have you heard of it? I have not been there or heard of it. So we went there uh, Monday night. And uh, I thought it was outstanding. Uh, Candy, what was your impression of the steakhouse? I thought it was great, yeah. It was really, really good. Uh, It was my first time at the Mirage in four years. 
Um, I had last been there in 2017 to play a bounty poker tournament with my friend Jeannie. We did like a little dinner date and uh, some poker. Uh, I met up with some other friends back in 2017, and I haven't been there since. Uh, so I'll ask you, Todd, when was the last time you were at the Mirage? Um, it was more recent than 2017. I think it was probably 18 or 19. I met someone there, and we went to a meal like in the uh, – I'm pretty sure it was 19. We went to a meal in the coffee shop there. Well, now, the first thing that you realize when you walk into the Mirage, of course, is that all you need is love. Okay, literally. I mean, you see the signs everywhere for the Beatles show. But anyhow, so I did some walking before and after dinner throughout the Mirage. And it's very sad to say because the Mirage, to me, uh, holds a special place in my heart. You know, I'm a Vegas historian, so I know it. You know, I know the history behind it, that, you know, it it was the first mega resort ever built in uh, what year, Todd? 89. Okay. And uh, it led to basically the way the Strip is now. Like, it was the first Megas were built. And I stayed there when I was a kid, and I, I just loved the little, literally the mirage and, and you know, the rainforest inside and the trees. And we used to see the white uh, tigers and uh, the dolphins, and I just loved the place. Now, sadly, uh, and I only spent maybe a good 45 minutes or so walking through it, there's really nothing there for me at all. Um, the things that I've liked are, are all all gone. Now, there's no poker room. Uh, where the poker room used to be, it's really sad. They closed the poker room when they reopened, when casinos reopened after the uh, coronavirus. During the reopening back in, uh, I guess that was June of last year. So now, in that room, what do you think is in there now? Anyone have a guess? Slot machines. What's in the old poker room? Slot machines? Slot machines. Yep, I knew it. But, but, but the sad thing is... <laughs> They still have the podium and all like the stuff for like poker, like so. It's kind of an awkward little slot room, like you, you know what I mean? They're yeah. Still, like where the yeah. So they didn't even spend any money to redesign it. It's still there. You know what it reminds it's me of? It's it's like when a gas station shuts down and some other business takes over the property and it still looks like a gas station. Yeah. So instead of uh, you know walking in and hearing the chips, you know, being shuffled and people talking about bad beats, you hear wheel of fortune and over and over it's just it's despicable so now listen it was a little overpriced but you know everything usually is on the strip there used to be a place that i like to eat there i've been eating there. i had eaten there for many years in fact i have one of my earliest memories with you uh 2007 was eating at this restaurant late at night with uh the guy that remember the guy who fled and, and he isn't really welcome in the country with him, his wife, who was his girlfriend at the time, and and uh, that make and Mark was there, and just the whole Vegas crew, your girlfriend at the time, not dredging up no past romances here, but your girlfriend at the time, yourself, we all ate at around 1, 2 in the morning at this restaurant there. Uh, do you remember what that was? Was that it was the... One of the first times I ever spent time with you. What, was, that, was that the deli? It was the deli. Yeah. What was the name of the deli? Oh. That was... was, the, was the name? Can I guess? Go ahead, go ahead, Candy. It's your turn. Guess. No, I, I can't really guess. BLT. No, uh, no, it wasn't BLT. Because I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. Well, I'll tell you that a story about that. Well, go ahead, Todd. Take your guess. Now. I knew it. It's just on the t- tip of my tongue right now. 
the name was Carnegie Deli. Uh, Carnegie Deli, that's right. Carnegie yeah, yeah. Deli's. Oh, yeah, very good, I mean, Candy. You went, Candy, you went. So that's gone now. No, I knew that was gone. The funny thing, I knew it was gone. I just forgot the name of it for a second. And the sad thing is, it's replaced with, and it looks the same. Like the booths are the same. The the you know when you walk in, they have like they used to have like the cold case where they'd have like the cheesecakes and you know desserts. Everything looks the same, but now it's like a generic. Uh, fast food, like pizza, hamburger, hot dog place, oh, like that you'd find stupid. like at a stadium. Yeah, like you know you find like at a, you know literally at a you know you walk up in a Dodgers game to one of those concession stands and you you know hot dogs, hamburgers. Well, you know what? Chairs. I'll say this about the Carnegie Deli too: the prices actually were not even that bad considering where it was. Like they gave you very big portions, yeah. so uh, you, yeah, it seemed high, but then you got a big portion, so you felt better about it. And what? well. Well, 15, 15, 16 years ago, it was a little much. And I was fine, but I'm just saying it was a little much for some to get. I can hear. I think I hear. Who, I think I know who that is. Yeah, I think I know who that is, too. Uh, oh, Jesus. All right. Uh, you guys don't know. I'm telling my friend Mario he has no liquor. Uh, yeah. And I'm sitting here drinking away, and he has nothing in front of us. Ah, it's a Mario. Calling him a bitch. If you want to know. Wow. So Mario, the Super and Mario Brothers. So 15, Mario, 16 years ago, <laughs> 15, 16 years ago, some people thought it was a little much to pay $17, $18 for a turkey or a salami sandwich. But, but you're right. They were the, the, the sandwiches literally were like mile high, like very big, <laughs> piled on. I don't think, Druff, no. back in that day, could you eat a whole sandwich there? And you know, yeah, like, like, of course I could. Well, you, you think you actually think I can eat more now yeah. than back then? I could probably eat yeah, more I back then that. than now. Sure. It's pretty close, sure. actually. But sure. no, I was. Yeah, sure. you know, back then I was like thirty-five years old. I was no kid back then either. So uh, the point is that uh, I like the place. In fact, I'm not going to say who it is, but when I met a certain uh, poker fraud alert uh, forum poster and listener of the show. Uh, not for the first time, but the first time in a few years I had seen him. And he said, let's go to lunch somewhere. And I actually suggested we go there. He wanted to go to some strip restaurant that was quick and it was good. And I said, yeah, let's go there. And he and he was happy with it and I was happy with it. So um, I, I'm, I was sad when I heard it closed. Yeah. Uh, Miss, Miss Candy, where are you at right now? Because it's very loud. Yeah, it's very loud. I can't oh, really I'm tolerate sorry. it too well. Right now, no, I am at okay. Palace Station, gambling, drinking, popping pills. Well, well you know, just some Advil for my headache. <laughs> okay. And, uh, <laughs> That's not what popping pill means these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, you go have fun, and why don't you update us in maybe 30 minutes on your adventures? Of yeah, Palace go have fun Station. with Mario there. And call us back in about 30 minutes and let us know what, what's yeah. going on there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and say hi to Luigi too. Okay. Minutes. And the princess. Now, Luigi. Okay. Okay. Mario, where's Luigi? <laughs> now, Miss Candy. Miss Candy, <laughs> be, be very, be, be very careful there. You're, you know, you're an attractive young woman. Okay, uh, who's intoxicated. So be very careful in the casino. Same shit every day. Okay. All right. Well, will you check in with us later? Finish up. Sure, I would love to. I just. Okay. I just wanted to say hi to Druff, and BB, I just seen you, and I'm really happy to say hi. So I okay. miss Druff, and I missed you. So like, I was trying to call Druff, actually. Well, I know. You were trying to call, but uh, we, we had 
other callers on the line, you know how it goes here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Those callers are so special. But all the callers here are special. Every single, I love every single caller. Or almost every single caller. So if you, a few crazy ones I don't like, but uh, most of the callers I like. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, well, we'll call you back later, uh, Candy. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Well, it was nice well, hearing from both of you. Yes, nice hearing from you, too. Okay. And, uh, I guess go I'm going to go, and you guys can you guys can go talk about your virtual horses and jacking off to pornography. Wee! <laughs> Good for you. Oh, I said okay. that so loud. Everybody looked at me. No, okay. Uh, okay, well, I, th- I think we need to end this here. Okay, so, uh, Candy, you, you can call back later. Good, good night. Okay. Or temporarily okay, good night. Bye. All right. Oh, my goodness. I can't take that. It's the background noise, really. No, it was the background noise. I, I was about to say something, too. I'm, gl- I'm glad you were the heavy in this conversation. Oh, yeah, it's fine. So, uh, anyhow, getting back to the Mirage. So, they closed uh, Carnegie Deli. Then I used to, again, with, remember the one guy we used to do a show with? Yes. That same guy we used to eat at a burger joint. We loved it, called BLT. This was the first place in Vegas. 15 years ago that used to have real Kobe and Wagyu hamburgers. Yeah, I remember that. And I don't know if you folks have never had a, a Kobe burger. Like, and you know, you're a burger person. Oh, my. You know, you got to find a place that has it because it's just, you know, like you can taste the difference. It's just the best burger in the world. And, and, and you know, they had like these spiked milkshakes and regular milkshakes. It was just a great burger place. 20 bucks, you get a, you get a Wagyu burger, a milkshake, and some fries. I mean, it was... Maybe twenty five with tip and out. I mean, it was a good place. I can't even tell you how many times after uh, radio, you know, all the you know versions that we've done, we would go there and eat. It was open till one or two in the morning. Anyhow, that's gone. Okay, guess what? That's replaced by um, slot machines. A generic <laughs> Mexican restaurant. Okay, <sighs> not even like some you know, yeah, generic Mexican restaurant. That's gone. Okay, I you know there's a corner. I don't know if you ever played this, but it was a very good kept secret back in the Limit Hold'em bot days that there is a one Limit Hold'em machine at the Mirage in the back, right in front of the buffet. Did you ever play on that machine or see it? Do you remember it? No. Okay, well there was one. So I you know I played it with uh, a couple listeners, uh, Miss Candy's uh, significant other. I played it with him. So that's long gone, but still, you know, there's no poker room. So it's just it, 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 everything there that I really liked. And I walked around. There was nothing plus EV, you know, to really do or to play. And I was even thinking to myself, if I stayed there, what would I even do? I had nothing. There's nothing I could do. I'd have to walk other places. I mean, there's nothing in there for me now. Um, they got that damn California pizza kitchen still in there. But I'm going to be honest. I was even before. You know, I was never, before moving to Vegas, never was a fan of that California pizza kitchen. I don't get it. I don't get it. I wasn't I either. Get it. I wasn't a big fan of it either. Mm-mm. So, yeah, and then it, it's funny. I'm walking around on, this was a Monday night. The place is packed. I mean, you want to talk about Vegas is back. I'm at the Mirage on a Monday night. The place is packed. The minimum table bet for, for Ultimate Texas Hold'em Fifteen dollars. What do you think the minimum blackjack bet was? Twenty-five. For, you know, twenty-five. Yep, yep. Craps was fifteen. 
And I maybe they I didn't look like at you know smaller carnival games like Pie Got Poker, Three Car Poker, but Blackjack was all twenty five, Craps was fifteen, and uh, Ultimate Texas Home was fifteen, and, hmm. and almost every table was taken. Wow! On, on a Monday night, it was packed. It was packed. So, anyhow, uh, that was my Mirage, uh, I guess, update for you all. It's and sad. As I, I think I, you know, I well listen. So I started listening to the Fraud Show. Uh, and I dozed off for about three hours. And I'm going to be honest, I do want to go back to sleep. So this definitely is not going to be a you know all night show. No, I have to be. Uh, I have to be up early too, so I can't uh, make yeah. this all night either. Yeah, good. But I I was listening to the first uh, few minutes of the, of the broadcast, and I heard the tail end of you speaking of me, which I gathered what it was about, and it was about my uh, return to live poker play last week. Uh, at the Orleans, is that correct? Yes. So I'll just you know I told you this over the phone, but I'll, I'll tell the listeners this because this is just really really funny. Uh, I haven't played. I played like one or two uh, tournaments with my friend Jeannie at the South Point. Maybe actually even more. A couple of like you know daily like Omaha tournaments, but I don't count that like a return to live poker. You know the blinds escalate. They're just like daily fun little things. But other than that. You know, I hadn't played anything since prior to the uh, pandemic. So they had a uh, $300 eight-game tournament at the Orleans last Friday uh, that was a part of their, what they build as the Orleans Summer Series, where they had Omaha tournaments, like $300 to $500 buy-in tournaments, Omaha with guarantees. Omaha, PLO 8, which actually is tomorrow night, a no limit, uh, pot limit Omaha, uh, horse, et cetera, et cetera. So I went, and this, that was the only one I played. So I get there, and it starts at 11 o'clock on Friday, and I go and I register. And then I, I end up getting, like, I don't know, whatever table it was, I don't remember. I look at it, and I have, like, a four seat. And the way the Orleans is now, you know, they've jammed some tables in there. It's kind of a tight fit. I wanted to change my seat to like a two seat or a seven seat because every time I play in that room and I'm in one of those middle seats, I just get hammered by people walking into me all through the tournament. And it just, you know, it really becomes obnoxious, especially when like almost everyone that nails you in the back, they don't even say they're sorry or apologize. I'm sitting there, I'm listening to my music, I'm playing a hand and boom, somebody's knee goes right. Do you ever, this ever happen to you where you just get hammered? Like in these chairs in these rooms that there's not enough. Yes, space yes, many times. To walk by. Yeah. yeah, right. So anyway, I end up politely asking to change my seat. No problem. You know, they change my seat. I go and I sit down. Okay, right when the tournament starts, and I kid you not, this is my table at the Orleans. Okay, I am in the two seat. Okay, the three seat is empty. The four seat is Frankie O'Dell. The five seat is John Pearl Jam Turner and the sixth seat is Alan Kessler. It's my Orleans table. Sounds like my a good Orleans. table. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then, of course, I look around the entire poker room and there's not one other person I recognize in the entire world well, other than my friend Jeannie that I came with. No one else. So I ended up playing four-handed the first hour with uh, those three guys. And so it's by far the most, uh, the hardest table there. I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, they, I don't even know how many World Series final tables were combined at that table. It was a high amount, and then that's counting my zero. So, you know, it, it, it 
anyhow. Um, but so while I was there, uh, caddy corner to me, maybe an hour into the tournament, I notice that uh, Ari is sitting next, or sitting, you know, Ari Angle, PFA listener, and you know, good poker player, nice guy, is there. Now I know he'll be listening to this. So before I even begin, I do have a I do have a bone to pick. I have a fraud to talk about that involves Ari Angle. Oh, okay. Maybe can you put the sound, uh, one of those sounds that you know the the maybe Law and Order sound. I don't know. A fraud with Ari Angle, a poker fraud alert. And mm-hmm. now, as I sat down, maybe it was you know in the beginning or at some point, Ari walks right in front of me, and I say. Hey, hey, Ari, how are you, buddy? And then he just kind of nodded and just kept going. And I was like, wow, not even like a stop and shake my hand. Yeah, I hadn't seen him in a, in, in a long time. So anyhow, later on, you know, he sees me and we talk. And I said, what the hell is that before? And, and he said he didn't even see me, you know. But I told him I was going to call him out on this. I feel like, you know, he listened. He won the Omaha, what have you. Did you, you know, at the Venetian, maybe – he thinks he's getting too big for his britches now. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's the, I don't know. He's very big on those those OA tournaments. So yeah, but anyhow, so we had a real nice conversation, you know, later on, and he even pulls out his phone and shows me that how PFA Radio is, you know, on his playlist, and he's been listening, and he tells me, listen, he, even Ari says to me, and I'm paraphrasing, but this was 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 basically what he said. That now that he's not playing live poker, uh, it is very hard for him to get all ten hours of our show in. And uh, he politely asked if we could maybe tone it down. <laughs> I, I'm hearing that from a lot of people. It's, it's too long. It's they, they can't they and can't listen to it all. He wants to listen. He loves it, but he just he, there's not enough time in the yep. week in the day. I keep hearing it. So so anyhow, he's telling me, and then there's another gentleman that I just met that day named. Jason Lippiner, who, uh, funny enough, I know the name. I'd never met him, but I know the name because there's this home group that I, I, I am a part of, uh, this Alan Kessler mixed game group that we've been playing poker tournaments for like the last year. And he's in there, but I, I didn't, you know, so I've seen the name in the chat, never met him, didn't know what he looked like, nothing. And he's at a table and, you know, oh, yeah, he's, he's listening to radio and, and, you know, he's a very nice guy. Then, there is this Spanish-looking kid. By this point, my table six-handed. There is a Spanish-looking gentleman, younger guy, maybe in his twenties, and you know he's wearing some gold chains and you know just nice guy, but quiet. Hadn't talked the whole time. And while we're all talking, one and two tables down about poker for alert radio, he all of a sudden makes a comment about uh, my little Sharif, the Nigerian scammer, and he starts making. And he starts cracking up. And I'm thinking, like, he's been at my table for two hours, you know, didn't say nothing, you know, friendly guy, but whatever. And all of a sudden, he just chimes in. And he knew, you know, he knows of the show. Then there was another person that had heard us and walked over and started chiming in with some bits that we've done and some other things. And it was just, it was unbelievable. I'm in one little corner. This is one little corner of the Orleans, and there's four people at four different tables, five counting me, that are talking about radio. I kind of felt like... uh, not like a VIP, but it was just kind of, it was nice. It was, it was funny. You know, and everyone was saying positive things and, you know, we're, it was, it was cool. It was really, really cool. So it made me even think, geez, you know, that tournament had, I think like 150, 160 players in it. You know, how many other people that are on, you know, it was so big, 
you know, for that, for the Orleans, at least they had tables outside where slot machines normally are that people that, you know, didn't even see me or I never saw. So what would you even say if there's five in my little corner of that, of that part of the room, what would you even list the over under of people in that tournament that knew of the show? <laughs> They're like 150, 160. Yeah, I don't know. As far as know of it or, or actually like at least semi-actively listen to two different things, but yeah, it, yeah. It, there's gotta be a number who do it. Yeah. I, I'm always surprised. Like, uh, how many people actually listen and uh it just it seems to happen so often that especially in vegas that i run into people that have listened that aren't even just being polite because they tell me all these details of the of the recent shows that there's no way they would know if they didn't listen so uh, yeah. a lot of times i'm surprised by it and uh this just seems to happen often especially at the world series but yeah. even other things like this like the orleans and even people you wouldn't expect like so the the funny thing is so i was talking with ari and when the sharif segment came up he asked me if that was even legit and i said what do you mean is it legit of course it's legit and he said well you know i don't know like you and todd play off each other so well that i didn't know if that was like a bit you guys set up with someone else and i'm like no that's you know but it's, it's actually funny i never even considered that that some people may think that isn't real that we stage that stuff. Yeah. Like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, it, you know, I, and then I showed him my phone. Okay. I showed him my, you know, because I literally had incoming Sharif messages when I was at the Orleans. I showed him my phone and he started reading it out loud and he was dying laughing. Hello, was, hello, hello. Oh, you think he was, yeah, that's when he started reading off my phone. Hello, hello, Brandon. Hello, my friend. Hello, 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 hello. And, that, and he saw like a whole wall of like unresponded texts that just, you know, contained a, hello, 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 my friend. Hello. It just it was like a wall of them, and he was just laughing, and it, it was it was. Well, I've it was got a scammer going right now on on Twitter, a a, a mm. fake female who's trying to get me into a, a Bitcoin investment scheme, and uh, they keep trying to push me to the Telegram app, and I keep refusing to go, and I'm demanding a phone call with them. So obviously, the reason I'm pushing you to the phone is so we can get them on radio. So they, I'm getting close. They, they're really pushing away from the phone until I finally threw down the gauntlet, and it's, I actually wrote, "I'm throwing down the gauntlet here." I'm about to bet. I'm not going to invest ten thousand dollars of Bitcoin with you guys, and if you can't make one phone call to me, so they uh, they're starting to back down and agree to call me, and uh, obviously that'll be done on this show when it happens. But uh, I'm trying to groom other scammers. Is the point? Whenever there's scammers that approach me, instead of blocking them, now I I actually try to engage them so I can get them on this show, so we can have uh, part two and part three of uh, Sharif. That's funny. All right. Well, let's move on. I want to give you an update on Landon Teese and his backers and what they had to say about him. We touched on this last week, but more information came out because Doug Polk did a show. Actually, a rare, long show from Doug Polk. Usually his shows are fairly short and highly edited. And it's different than this show where we just get on and rant for a while. Doug Polk is kind of a more highly produced show that tends to be short. And this time he did a show that was about two hours, 40 minutes. The longest thing I've seen from him by far. And I watched the whole thing. I wasn't sure if I'd be interested enough in the topic to watch for two hours, 40 minutes. I can watch two hours, 40 minutes if it's something really interesting. But if it's not, I'm probably not going to. However... Well, I thought I'd be fast-forwarding through it, I actually watched the whole thing. So this was released, I think, on July 8th. 
It's on Doug Polk's channel. And it's the card in the video says what happened. And it's title of the video is like this poker prodigy offered a $720,000 head start, blah, blah, blah. So you'll find it. If you go take a look, it's got a picture of Doug and Landon on there. Now, Landon is not on the show, even though the title card kind of makes it appear like he would be. looks like they're talking. They're not. Landon's not on the show. Doug interviewed three people. Now, usually I would play this and I'd comment on it, but the thing was so damn long. <laughs> I, like There would be so many things I'd have to pull out of it, and I, I didn't note all the timestamps. So you, you can just go watch it if you have an interest. But I'm going to tell you a quick summary of the three parts. They had three people on separately. So the first one was uh, J-Mo, uh, Jason Moe. And if you remember Jason Moe, there was a leak of him. Uh, there was a leak of one of the coaches of, Lan- of Landon's bashing him behind the scenes after the uh, challenge was over. And then Jason Moe posted that to his private Twitter before taking it down. But it quickly got around by that point. So... After that leak, then his coaches had to answer to this of, you know, did they really think Landon was uncoachable? Was this really Landon's fault? Was he really a crappy player that just couldn't learn? So Mo also made a 2 plus 2 post very critical of Landon. And so Doug announced that Mo was going to be one of the people coming on the show. And people were pretty excited just to hear, like, a lot of brash trash talking because... uh, Mo tends to be a very uh, brash guy who just speaks his mind on social media and doesn't care who he pisses off. In fact, he even calls himself Cunty Cakes on social media. It's kind of a self-effacing name, like he's a cunt to everybody. So you can understand why people would be pretty excited to see uh, Mo come on there and really spit the blunt truth. But that's not really what happened. I was very disappointed with that segment. So the first segment with Mo was was pretty underwhelming and disappointing. They just kind of sat there talking back and forth about a lot of insider stuff that had nothing to do with Landon. When they did talk about Landon, it was pretty much a rehash of uh, Mo's 2 plus 2 posts. So the whole thing was uh, very bland to me. I didn't feel I learned anything new. In fact, a lot of it I didn't even understand because he was just going back and forth with Doug about stuff that they had done together without really providing context. So it was kind of like watching two old friends catching up and you're like, okay, well, I don't really get what they're talking about here. So I didn't enjoy that part. I almost quit. I almost just turned it off and said, screw it, I'm done. However, I was happy I stayed around for the second part. That was with uh, Kevin Rabichow who was one of the coaches and backers for Landon. And that part was far more interesting. So here's the cliffs of that, in case you don't want to spend the time watching it. So, by the way, Kevin Rabichow, is, uh, he was known as Crab or K-Rab, and he was a, a very successful online player, well-respected for his poker play. And younger guy, not really young, I guess compared to me, young, but uh, he's like in his early 30s now. Of course, Landon's only 22, and some of the other people involved are also early 20s, so I guess he's not a younger guy compared to them. He came on, and he was pretty frank and straightforward 
about everything. And I learned some things that I didn't know before and other things I was suspecting and turned out were verified. So here are the things that uh, Kevin said that I found were important. He said that there were too many random coaches brought into the situation and it ended up with poor cohesion and continuity. So the belief with the coaching of Landon was bring in a bunch of heads-up specialists, heads-up no-limit specialists, to coach him separately, and he'll learn from the best. So bring in like three or four really good heads-up no-limit coaches, have each of them coach Landon, and he'll, he'll take something from each of them and become a great player. Well, it didn't work that way because there was no cohesive lesson. There wasn't any cooperation between the coaches. They kind of all came in and did their own thing, according to Kevin. And he said that this wasn't good because it didn't provide a straightforward and non-contradictory message or lesson to Landon. So it kind of just confused Landon, and this wasn't good. So it was different than the other side, where Perkins was training with uh, a coaching service that was just a regular service where everybody was all together and all had the same plan. Now, this is a service that has gotten some criticism, but nevertheless, Kevin did acknowledge at least they have a cohesive plan. Whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, at least it wasn't confusing bringing in different coaches with different ideas on how to play and then leaving Landon scratching his head going, (laughs) which one's right? You know, he got too confused by the whole thing. So they, they didn't come in with a prepared lesson plan. It was more just uh, throwing a bunch of experts at him with their own ideas on how to play, and it was overwhelming and not well put together. And keep in mind, he was one of the coaches. This wasn't someone from the other side criticizing. Kevin also said that all of the coaches were invested monetarily at the beginning. So they weren't just coaches for hire. These were guys that uh, were brought in and they bought a piece of it. I don't know if they were paid directly or if uh, or buying the piece was part of the deal. I don't know what it was, but whatever the situation, every single person who coached Landon had a decent piece of the match. However, by the later stages of the match, many of them sold off most of their action, including this button clicker guy that we had talked about last time that was caught talking trash behind Landon's back in that JMO screenshot and Kevin said this was demoralizing to Landon and the team when it got around they were doing this you imagine the coaches are selling off the pieces they have of their student so obviously that's very demoralizing and he said that was a big problem Landon did not want to quit according to Kevin this has been suspected that's exactly what I said last week I said I could not picture that he'd want to quit well I was right Kevin said that Landon not only didn't want to quit, but he was upset when he was told that he wanted to keep playing, but all the backers said they wanted out, or most of the backers, not all of them, most of the backers said they wanted out, and therefore he had to go with the decision of most of the backers, because most of the people who were putting money into this thing were no longer going to put money into this, so there was no way they can continue, so Landon had to abide by what the backers said. Now, Kevin said... He didn't want to quit. He said he was in the minority. Most of the other backers did want the whole thing to be over. But Kevin said a combination of delusion and uh, also 
believing this had more of a chance to turn around than the other people did. So he said it was kind of like, on one hand, he admits that he was probably emotionally attached to it and wanting it to succeed. But at the same time, he did feel that the others gave up a little bit too soon. So he said it was a combination of both with him of why he was on the side of Landon of continuing, but there were just simply not enough people on that side, and that's why it stopped. Rabichow said that it was determined that Perkins was making fewer and fewer large mistakes. And that was the problem, is that he had improved enough to where the big mistakes were gone, and he only was, only was making small mistakes. And if you, unless you're a really great player, like a Doug Polk-caliber player, if somebody is making only small mistakes, you're not going to beat them for nine big blinds per hundred. So that's what they realized very quickly was that without the big mistakes occurring, that they were screwed there. And at that point, the backers wanted out, and that's why it was shut down. So some people are wondering, why would they have shut it down when just two sessions before that, Landon was almost at nine big blinds per hundred that he needed to cover? Just because he had two bad sessions, why they shut it down is because they realized that Perkins wasn't making these big mistakes anymore. Now, if you remember that button clicker guy who actually is younger than Landon is, I think he's like 20 or 21. So he was one of the coaches. And it was implied by Kevin Rabichow that button clicker for all his shit talking was not a very good coach, that he got too impatient with Landon when Landon didn't immediately grasp the concepts that were being brought to him and that button clicker just wasn't a very good teacher that he's a very good player but that he just would drop all the concepts that he felt landon needed to learn but wasn't good at teaching them and then when landon didn't get it he'd just move on so he said that that wasn't very helpful and that's probably part of the reason that button clicker was getting frustrated with landon because it seemed like landon wasn't picking up what he was teaching but that was partially because button clicker wasn't a very good teacher this is what uh, kevin was saying one of the other coaches he also said that part of the problem is that given that Button Clicker is so young, even younger than Landon, he's somewhat immature and probably not mature enough to be teaching very well in the first place. So that, I can understand why like even a great player, you, you may not want to have coach you if they're 20. There's only so much a 20-year-old can teach you unless they're very mature for their age. So being able to do and being able to teach are two different things. And you don't always necessarily want the coach who's the very best player. You want a coach who is good enough to be able to teach you the concepts to learn from them that you don't know yet, but someone who's good at teaching. And it's the same thing. Now, like would some might say that knew you back in the late 80s and early 90s that you were mature for your age? Um, I, 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 that's a good question. I don't know. In, in some ways, I think yes. In some ways, I think no. There were definitely some ways I was, I was not mature at all. And then there were some ways where I'm similar to today, where I look back and say, wow, I'm, I'm surprised that I thought that way back then. Then there's other things I look back on and go, wow, this is stupid. I would have never done this if I were older. So I, I think it was a mixture. Depends who knew me. Depends on the situation. So anyway, that was, that was the uh, Kevin Rabichow part. And then the Perkins part, I almost turned it off before it began because I'm like, you know, what's he going to say? I think we kind of already know what Perkins is going to say here, and he's just going to be diplomatic, and he's going to say Landon's a great player, blah, blah, blah. But it actually, it was more interesting than I thought. The most interesting part was was the Kevin Rabichow part, but then uh, Perkins was on last, and he said that he was cross-booking to where he was effectively playing 500-1,000 in the match. So he was only playing for 200-400 blinds, which is all very high, of course, anyway. But uh, he was really playing 500-1,000 because of additional action that he was uh, booking through other people. Tom Marchese, 
who was one of the crossbookers, wanted to take even more action. But Perkins was actually afraid that Tom Marchese, who tends to be very sharp, must have known something he didn't. Like Perkins thought that maybe Landon is just such a crusher that nobody realizes yet that uh, he's going to get absolutely stomped on. And that's why all these top pros wanted to take action on Landon's side. He started getting scared because of who was buying pieces of Landon. He's like, these people aren't stupid. They must know something I don't. Well, it turned out they didn't. So uh, he said that uh, he, he was considering doing it and then decided not to because he was afraid that they were all trying to angle him, which the funny thing is they actually were. All, all these pros who were trying to take action with Perkins and backing Landon, this whole thing was to get money from what they perceived to be a very rich guy who was a fish. They, they thought this was like free money, just coach the young guy who seems to have some talent to be good enough to beat a fish heads up. And what they miscalculated was that the supposed fish is someone who, if he puts his mind to it, can at least become decent, because obviously he's not a dumb guy to be as successful as he is. So that uh, Perkins, is, if he really put his mind to it and put some effort into it and got some training, that he, at least he could be good enough to not lose nine big blinds per hundred. And then that, in reality, it was very much the odds were in his favor and they just didn't realize that. So there was some criticism against Perkins, not on the show, but uh, some people on social media were saying that Perkins had manipulated young Landon into agreeing to this ridiculous nine big blinds per hundred handicap. But Perkins countered, he said that the negotiation between the two of them was just three tweets long and that Landon pretty much came at him and postured that he could easily win off off of him. So uh, he was very willing to give nine big blinds per hundred and there was never even much a debate about this. And that uh, at one point he compared Landon to a 12-year-old girl who comes up to you and challenges you to arm wrestling and says they can beat you. <laughs> That's pretty harsh. So he was basically saying, it was like he, someone's coming up and saying, hey, I can do this, then beat you. And he's like, what? No, you can't. He, he thought it was crazy. He, he thought that there's no way he could get beat by nine big blinds per hundred. So he, he snap accepted. It was only a little later he, had a, he started having doubts when others were backing it. He had a big argument with Matt Berkey, he said, after that whole, whole Phil Nagy debacle. Remember that whole thing with the uh, betting no. on the match? Con- not, not, the, not the sexual harassment thing, but the betting on the match thing where, where I guess some stupid customer service rep was saying that they're looking for ways to bet on the match. And then Berkey thought maybe they're going to rig it and they got all, he got all upset. There's, there's not all drama, no. that whole drama. And, and Berkey felt that he was taking all kinds of heat that everybody on social media was bashing him for it and that Perkins wasn't backing him up enough. So Perkins said that he and Berkey got in a huge fight about this and yelled at each other on the phone, but uh, that Perkins said he actually backed down when his coach, MJ Gonzalez, the one who coached him on his side, uh, said that that he was kind of on Berkey's side here and that he didn't defend Berkey enough. So then at that point, he came out and defended Berkey. But... um, I, I still kind of get the impression he doesn't like Berkey very much. Just kind of listening to that whole thing. Um, Perkins said that uh, the solve for why coaches, including Berkey, that went on that on their show and were bragging about what a big edge they had and that Landon was going to crush him, that actually inspired him. In fact, it reminds me a bit. Here's a baseball reference I bet you'll get. Do you remember back in the 88 World Series... Or not the world, the 88 uh, NLCS when uh, David Cohn 
of the Mets was uh, bashing the Dodgers and bashing several players in the Dodgers right before he pitched. And then the Dodgers went and crushed him on his next start. I don't. No, you don't. I guess guess you were a little younger at that point. It was was in 88. Oh, I followed it. Like, I know. I remember, you know, I used to read the paper then, but I guess it was before that, you know, obviously internet, social media, where everything was covered and you could miss things easier. I mean, I remember David Cohen really well. He was one of my favorite pitchers. Back yeah, well, he, he was younger then. He, he he pitched for many more years after 88. But uh, um, I, I obviously followed it more closely because it involved the Dodgers. It was my team. But uh, yeah, what happened was he, David Cohen was just bashing several Dodgers players and basically saying the team sucked. And he was really just uh, really being brash and arrogant about the Mets' chances and how much better they are. So then the next day he went to pitch and the Dodgers hammered him for like six runs in two innings and blew them out. So that uh, it was considered a mistake. It was considered that, that uh, he fired up the Dodgers by talking shit about them in the paper like this. So similarly, uh, Bill Perkins said he had the same feeling when these coaches from Solve for Why went on that, their show and we're just going on and on about how Landon was such a huge favorite, even with the nine big blinds per hundred. So he's like, hey, I'll show them. Because the assumption about Perkins was that he's just not going to put in the work to get better, that he's too busy or he's too lazy or whatever. But he he said that was part of what inspired him to really bear down and uh, work with, with the coach and work with that uh, team there and really improve his game. So that was a mistake. They shouldn't have done that. And then uh, and he even said that, the, the smarter thing for them to do, and he said they were doing this during the match, two matches before the match. He said the smarter thing for them to have done during the match was to compliment him. They should have they should have gone on there and said, oh, wow, Perkins is playing really well, hoping that he'll be complacent and not try to keep improving. And then Perkins said that the most surprising thing to him about the entire match was that Landon, quote, wasn't that good. So he actually, remember before he was complimenting Landon, now he's kind of, taking the gloves off a bit, he said that uh, he was most surprised that Landon was not as good as advertised. And he expected him to be much better. He said he's not Doug Polk. He's not a wizard. Ouch. (laughs) He's not not saying he's a fish, but he's saying he didn't think he's any kind of special player or someone that's going to really be an up-and-comer that's going to crush poker. Just kind of just... He was promoted to some great young kid, and he kind of just was okay. That was Perkins' impression of him. So I, I found all that interesting, too. So... That, that was that's kind of a summary of the most interesting parts of the interviews. I didn't cover the most stuff very much because it was boring, but uh, the other two parts I thought were worthy of uh, discussion. So that's the end of that. Let's move on here, unless you have any further comment about this. No. Okay. Well, let's move on then to our next topic. This is uh, an interesting one. Um, I, ha, do you have an account on any of these online gambling sites in New Jersey, the legal sites that you can play there? I know you had to physically be in New Jersey to do it. Um, I had I had an account on PokerStars, but I haven't been there in years. Okay. PokerStars would be the only one. I don't have one yet. Uh, at one point in, in uh, the fall of 2018, I was invited to come out and be part of a group that was going to be part of a positive EV opportunity in the online casinos there, but one which uh, was very high variance and high stakes, so that's why they're having a bunch of people go in together so it, it uh, doesn't become as painful if uh, if there's individual losses. It'd be like a lot of people doing it at once. 
So I was invited to come out and create an account, and uh, we'd all kind of share the bankroll. Can you think of why I said no? No, not offhand. I'll give you a hint. It has to do with the time period it occurred. During the not during the World Series. During the World Series? No, it was in the fall of 2018 um, when I had the uh, psychological issue. So I was. Oh, okay. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't get on a plane at that point. Not even close. In fact, I, w- I was not able. The flying was pretty much the last thing I was able to do. I was. Uh, I finally got myself to go on a plane in April of 2019, and it was a test flight. I took a flight uh, from L.A. to Vegas for the first time ever. I've never taken that flight before that. I always like driving, but I took the flight on purpose just to see if I could do a flight at that point. And I, I was able to. It was a success, and then the, that summer I took uh, cross-country flights, and it was fine. So anyway, in uh, the fall of 2018, there was no way I could do it. So I, I said... As much as I like to be part of this, I just uh, don't have the ability right now to take that type of flight, so or any flight. So anyway, uh, I, I, bottom line is I never created one of these accounts. Well, I have no accounts, but we're going to talk about an individual that ended up having eighteen hundred accounts. So this guy was arrested, and not just for this, but this is part of the story that this guy actually had uh, 1,800 accounts. This guy's name is Casey Ennis. He's 44 years old. He's from Autobahn, New Jersey, which I've never heard of before. You know, like the Autobahn in Germany? There's apparently a place in New Jersey. I don't know if you can drive fast there. But Autobahn, New Jersey, he created 1,800 accounts, more than 1,800 accounts, it says, on the online casinos in New Jersey. And he used stolen identities to do it, including uh, funding them. So he would set up accounts and fund them. I'm not sure if he funded them with his own money or somebody else's money. I know that he also used these stolen identities to allegedly fund a fraudulent unemployment benefit scheme. So it wasn't just gambling stuff he was doing. They're not even sure if the gambling was some sort of angle to make money or if this is a way to launder money. So he's accused of stealing more than $52,000 from the state of New Jersey's unemployment program. And then he also created bank accounts in his victims' names, according to the statement from New Jersey police, filed false unemployment claims, and then deposited and later withdrew funds from these accounts. Now, they haven't released many details about the 1,800-plus online gambling accounts he made on the New Jersey sites. And it was not even understood how he was able to perform the verification. Remember, they they verify everybody, and supposedly it's a stringent verification process. But he was able to do this uh, with 1,800 different accounts, which I would think, why, why didn't it catch that he was doing this from the same IP over and over? Unless he wasn't. But did he really do 1,800 different IPs? That gets very strange. And uh, apparently he was a tax preparer in the past. So it is theorized, though this has not been stated by the police, but it's been theorized that maybe he would prepare people's taxes and then steal their identity that way. Because, of course, you get the person's social and a lot of other info about them that would enable you to set up stuff in their name. He was arrested on May 14th of this year, and uh, a search search warrant was issued. They seized 30 electronic devices, 
three grams of meth, and there was actually a lot of money on premises. One million dollars. No, actually, four hundred ninety-one dollars is all the money he had on the premises. <laughs> Which was seized, by the way. They seized the $491. Believe it or not, his undoing was the accounts that he made on the online gambling sites. So the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement got multiple complaints about his fake accounts on the online gambling sites. But it did not come from the sites themselves. It came from victims of the identity theft. Now, I don't know how they found this out. But various victims came to the Division of Gaming Enforcement and said that someone was impersonating them on these uh, gambling sites. So they got multiple complaints about this happening, and they uh, looked into it and realized it was the same guy doing it. They said that uh, they used, quote, various investigative means and determined that it was all from this guy. And... Longtime uh, Division of Gaming Enforcement Director David Rebuck commented and said, whether we're talking about online gaming, shopping, banking, or other activities once exclusively conducted in person, more people are putting more personal information on the web than ever. Than ever. In addition, many consumers now prefer to use a card instead of cash at the point of sale, all of which unfortunately creates more opportunity for identity thieves. Now, that doesn't give much information. That's just saying ways in general info can be stolen, but... They haven't stated how this happened, and they still haven't figured out, or at least they haven't stated why he made these accounts. If was he dumping money, was he uh, was he signing up and getting deposit bonuses? Who knows? So he was charged with identity theft, credit card theft, computer crimes, theft by deception, forgery, and possession of meth. But yeah. nevertheless, he was actually released with a future court date that has not even been scheduled yet, which is surprising. You think he's just going to run off. Maybe there's a monitor or something on him, but I would think with all these charges, there would be... Uh, Especially f- identity theft charges. Yeah, like a, a guy who's so good at making fake identities to make 18, 1,800 accounts, you'd think he could uh, skip town and become somebody else rather than face all these charges, which seem pretty serious to me. So I'm surprised they let, they let him out, but uh, as a, maybe there's an ankle monitor, it doesn't say here. But the, the 1800 accounts, at first when I read that, my mind immediately went to that this guy is some sort of advantage player, and that they're finally busting advantage players who make multiple accounts because this is a practice which occurs both live and online, where uh, people will make multiple accounts to take advantage of casino bonuses. Or And this is, again, also in brick-and-mortar casinos, because when you get a new card, that's when you're going to get the best offers. And this has been known for a long time. So what some Advantage players do is they find everybody they know to, to make new cards, and then they run play, and then they get offers, and then they run the offers, and then they never use the card again. So um, I'd always wondered, like, what if somebody just got a massive group of people together to do this, and they'd make cards in their name, and uh, uh, you know, even if they had to get the people to come down and pick up the free play with them, just people they trusted at least enough to go through this and not uh, steal a free play for themselves, and maybe even they could receive the mail at a different address. So, you know, basically, just getting a lot of people involved. You don't have to like trust a whole lot, but just trust a little bit. 
what if someone got together like a massive number of people and just did this and you know could they make a lot of money so the second i read about 1800 accounts i thought wow did someone really try to do this with 1800 people or eight, at least 1800 identities but what i never thought of before i'd always because i hadn't thought of the online thing i'd always thought the the limiting factor is having to bring all these different people down to the casino and being able to trust them all like you there's only so many people you know and trust enough to do this but i never thought about the identity theft standpoint where online you don't have to present yourself in person so you really can be 1800 people if you never have to show up that actually would be an ingenious albeit illegal way to take advantage of casino bonuses so i am wondering if yeah. this guy is an advantage player who also happens to be a criminal or if uh, this was just something else totally unrelated to that i, I wish they had revealed that but it, it's not the author of the article's fault the police never revealed what was being done with these accounts but 1800 accounts like what what the hell would he be doing with them 18 accounts would sound like a lot like if you heard the dude created 18 accounts you go wow he created 18 accounts on there <laughs> what's he doing with 18 accounts like, here that's 1800 that takes a long time to do i mean think of how long that that took just entering them all in wow i really think about that think, think of how many hours that would take even if you did one at the rate of uh one every 10 minutes we're still talking about 300 hours that's all and it's very tedious too it's not like it's it's fun to sit there and doing that so it could have been more than 10 minutes i i don't know how long it takes to go through the whole process but wow this guy was very busy moving on here um have you heard about the clusterfuck that occurred at planet hollywood i have not i'm eager to hear about this yes so this is something that hasn't gotten a lot of press and it was told to me by a listener who uh, wanted to hear me cover it on the show. And I assume this guy is telling the truth. I will say it's a third-party report. So I can't verify it since I wasn't there, nor do I know someone well that went through it. But uh, this person's texted me before, and uh, they seem to be uh, telling the truth and it's a believable story. So the Planet Hollywood poker room is closing. It has closed. So there's a law in Nevada and most other places that uh, any kind of promotion, any kind of promotion that was funded by player money, that they can't just keep that. It has to be uh, disseminated before the room closes. And this uh, prevents a room from taking like an extra drop to uh, to pay for promotions and then building up a lot of money for some kind of big promotion and then just closing and keeping it. it it's, it's forcing these rooms that are collecting something for uh, to be paid back as a promotion to not be able to get away without doing that. So what happens is when these rooms close down, any promotion that hasn't been completed yet or anything that hasn't been hit yet that's funded by these... Uh, these extra drops for promotions, they have to be awarded before the room closes. So that was the case at Planet Hollywood. And they had some various uh, drawings and give giveaways involving uh, WSOP main event seats. So obviously a lot of people ran down there because this is a positive expectation move to come down on a day like this because there's usually a lot of things given away way 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 more than an average day in the poker room 
Of course, there's no guarantee you're going to win something. There's a good chance you'll win nothing. But just being there and raking hand, you know, playing normally, just playing normal raked hands, it's a positive expectation, even if you're a break-even poker player, because of the much higher chance to get uh, awarded these promotions that they are forced to give away that day. So it had to happen this day because it was the final day for the Planet Hollywood poker room. So this is what the guy texted me. He said, might want to keep an eye on the developing shit show story for Planet Hollywood's last day of poker room. WSOP main event seat drawing slash giveaways. Undeniably the most unorganized clusterfuck in Vegas. It was horrible Unless you're an elite card holder. Presumably he means like diamond or higher. Gold had zero chance to get in unless you wanted to sit on a 250 plus person waiting list. Very poorly organized. So apparently what he's saying here by gold, he means the gold card, which is the bottom tier card at Caesars Properties, which Planet Hollywood is. He said, unless you're one of the top tier card holders, you you actually had no chance to get in to... uh, to sit for this because they gave the priority to those who were above and yet they were still taking names on this crazy waiting list which is like 250 people long he said they had everyone hovering around the poker room no lines were permitted poor communication on the floor then they moved everyone upstairs to register that is to register for the 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 line to get in uh, then the platinum line, I believe it was platinum, only formed. Now, I asked him, are you sure it was platinum, which is the second tier? So it goes gold, platinum, diamond, seven stars at uh, Caesars. So I said, I said, are you sure it was platinum? Because I, I, I would guess it would be diamond. He said, oh, no, he was probably diamond. He's not that familiar with Caesars, this guy. He says, then the platinum line only formed. He probably meant diamond. Then more time goes by as it becomes a free-for-all with everyone else. Just sad. I'll send you a copy of the announcement when I get back to my room. None of that bullshit was explained. A rumor is that the Gaming Commission, the Nevada Gaming Commission, was called in because of the style of promotion uh, with a rake. I'm not sure what he means by that part. Uh, But he sent me a copy of uh, what they claimed was going to happen. Please join us at the Planet Hollywood Poker Room on Sunday, July 11th, 2021 for our final day of operation. The poker room will open at 12 noon, and players may place themselves on the waiting list starting at 11 a.m. We will not be accepting call-ins. Lines that form prior to 11 a.m. will not be honored, so please do not arrive at the poker room early. We will be giving away seats to the 2021 poker room or 2021 World Series of Poker starting at 12:30 p.m. The Planet Hollywood Poker Room will be closing indefinitely on Sunday, July 11th at 9 p.m. Current promotions that will end on July 11th at 8 a.m. Uh, and then they listed the ones that uh, they're still the current promotions that they're still doing until 8 a.m. that day, which I won't bother to list. The food rewards and tournament seat giveaway promotions will be discounted or discontinued on Thursday, July 1st. All food rewards and tournament vouchers that have been issued are good for seven days from the date of issuance. Will be honored under these guidelines. Okay, so the important part is at the beginning. They said that they're going to be giving away seats at 12:30 to the World Series of Poker main event. And that in order to get in on it, all you got to do is show up and get in line starting at 11. And that uh, you can't call in, you can't get online before 11, that they're going to start a line at 11, and then they'll just take people one by one. So he's saying that didn't happen. He's saying it was a complete mess, that they didn't seem to be allowing a line at all, that uh, people are just milling around everywhere. And then uh, 
they finally moved everybody upstairs. And then at that point, they separated everybody into lines, presumably diamond or non-diamond. And, uh, and, and then uh, I guess once they took the diamond, then he claimed to, quote, became a free-for-all and that there was no organization with who gets what position. So, and, and then he said uh, they didn't explain any of this beforehand, that the flyer just kind of said, hey, it sounded very straightforward in the flyer, and they didn't do it. So this is his claim. And it's funny because it sounds like the plan they had was a good one, and then they deviated from it. They actually they covered the various things that could have happened. Like, a, like they said, don't bother showing up before 11 because we won't honor that line. That's a good idea because otherwise it'll become a contest of who can get up the earliest, which actually happened to me once on a cruise ship, not about poker. But have you ever taken a tender off of a cruise ship? I have not. Okay. Do you know what that is? I do not. Okay. A tender off of a cruise ship is a little boat. It's actually one of the lifeboats that uh, they will take you on that to shore if the water is not deep enough for the giant cruise ship to pull up to the dock. So in certain ports, you have to take one. Uh, I prefer, of course, that there's no tender because then you can just walk on and off the ship at will. When there is a tender, then you have to wait for one of those things to take you back and forth, and there can be a line, and it's a pain in the ass, especially in the morning when everybody wants to get off roughly at the same time. So if you have an activity that day that is on shore, you need to take a tender early enough to get there, otherwise you'll miss your activity. So I never book my activities with a ship because they're a huge ripoff, and they're crowded, and they suck. So Yeah, I do my own my own. Yeah. Stuff. So so when you book your own thing, the problem is the ship's not going to help you get a tender in time to get over there. So you've got to really scramble to get on the right tender. So I remember I had that situation going on, and I needed the earliest tender possible. And they already guaranteed the very earliest ones to the people who did excursions with them. So everybody else had to stand online. Let me ask you something. If you had booked one of those little what-have-yous to meet up with someone on one of those uh, dating apps for some sex, would that be a tender tender? <laughs> yes. yes it would so they said to line up at 7.30 a.m. of the day of to get the the tender ticket and so I said okay I I don't want to wake up that early but fine I'll wake up in time to get down there at 7.30 I even thought you know what I'll do even something smarter I'll get there at 7 to really guarantee myself the first tender tickets well the problem was I was competing against all the olds there on the ship. It was a very old ship, as cruises tend to be a lot of times. So all the old people are used to waking up at 6 anyway. So, of course, they went there even earlier than 7. So I get there. There's a tremendous line at 7. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm here half an hour early. And they said the line starts at 7.30. So I actually went to the people organizing this, and I said, what's, what's up? Why, why is there a huge line already? I was there just in case that maybe they let the line start a little bit early. I didn't think it would be a giant line already. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. We said, you know, come at 7.30, but the line can start at any time. I said, so what is this? Is this a competition who can get up earliest? Like, what? if I got up at 4.30, I would be ahead of all these people. Oh, yeah, 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 you would be. I go, well, that's bullshit. Like, it's, it's stupid. They they should have a time the line starts and uh, and not allow people to do this. Otherwise, you, you do have this where people end up hours and hours beforehand. So Planet Hollywood thought of this and said, we're just not going to honor any line. So I, I pictured that they would show up at 11 a.m. and say, okay, everybody online, get out of line now. I don't know how they then organize who's first, but uh, they would say, we're not honoring this line. The line starts here, so come over here, and it's probably whoever gets over to that spot fast enough. So 
I thought that was smart. But then it looks like that's not what they did. It looks like the whole thing was a clusterfuck and they didn't allow a line at all. And then they they allowed only diamonds in, which they didn't say there before because there was much more demand than they thought. So what, what a mess. Now, unfortunately, they, they're closing. So, like, what are you going to do? Not go back there? <laughs> I guess they didn't really give a yeah. shit either. But what, what a mess. And I, I understand why people go, like this guy went down there. Because this is a good opportunity in most cases to get something very valuable like a World Series seat. I'm not saying you're going to get one, but a much better chance of getting it from that than any other time. So that's too bad that that happened. And it's a shame. Not all that surprising. Now, were you there for the grand opening of the Planet Hollywood room? I was not, no. I was. I guess, I've been in that room before, but I was not there for the grand opening. Do you know who was, a, who was the face of the Planet Hollywood room yes. when it opened? Funny enough, I remember. Who was it? Was it one Michael Mizrahi? It was. And uh, yeah, very good. I was invited to it. And there was the grinder. And uh, they they served some food there. Nothing that exciting. But they they had, you know, I remember sat in some low-limit game there with him, with uh, that guy who once was on a show with us that's not around anymore. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, it was okay grand opening, but. I never went back there after that, and I guess he didn't either because they dropped it pretty quickly after that. So, so that was the Planet Hollywood Poker Room, which is now gone. I remember that. And they they actually ran some events there for quite some time. There there were a lot of uh, kind of like alternate events to the World Series taking place there. I think they ran uh, ring events there. So the, the, this wasn't a poker room that was neglected. They tried to make it work they ran some i wouldn't say major tournaments but they ran a a number of tournaments over there as kind of an alternative to the rio during the summer and other times throughout the year but i guess i guess it just wasn't enough traffic normally in that poker room to continue being worth operating so that is gone yeah and that was a clusterfuck okay so moving on here uh have you heard about the controversy about the venetian tournament and the disorganization there there were two tournaments at the same time roughly at the same time i think one a few days before the other there was a venetian tournament and the wind tournament and people loved the wind tournament they, they couldn't say enough good things about it people even loved that weird mystery bounty thing have you heard about the mystery bounty yes i heard about that yeah that's I I, that's gonna become really popular yeah i think so too people loved it the mystery bounties where you knock somebody out for a bounty but unlike a regular bounty where you know what you're getting, here you get like a you get to go up to a, uh, a a drawing at the end. You get a bounty slip, and then for every bounty slip you have, you get to draw out of this uh, thing where they pull papers out of, and reveals what your bounty is, which can be something pretty low, like like a hundred bucks or something, all the way up to a hundred thousand dollars. So. It was very exciting for people that you get once this whole thing's over. I think it's once you're busted, you go up there and do it, that you get to bring your bounties up there. And that maybe even if you didn't do all that great in the tournament, maybe if you didn't even cash in the tournament, as long as you have at least one bounty, you have a chance to win as, as much as 100000 And even if you miss the big prize, there's some other uh, smaller but still fairly good bounties in there. So people really like this 
because they end up giving about the same away as they would if the bounty was something that was the average of all that. But this way it's a lot more exciting to see what you won, and then a few people get really lucky and win something big. So that was very well liked, and that's probably coming back, and I'm sure that's going to start making it to other casinos that do it. So the win, every people liked everything about the win tournament. They thought it was well organized. That they liked the mystery bounty. They it had a big guarantee, which it hit, and pe- people just really enjoyed it. They liked the whole series. They thought it was very well run. I heard nothing but good things about the win. The Venetian was the opposite. People were very upset with the Venetian, and they thought it was a, a disaster. So I'll, I'll tell you the various complaints that uh, were levied upon the Venetian here. By the way, one of the people complaining has me blocked on Twitter for reasons unknown. Have you seen that before where you're just... I know you're not as active on Twitter as I am, but have you seen where you just go to look at someone's Twitter and you're just blocked and you have no idea why? Uh, yeah, that's happened. Yeah, I I find... like This guy, I for the life of me, cannot figure out why he blocked me. This is a guy named uh, Aaron Queskin, K-W-E-S-K-I-N. And I think he's like kind of like a wealthy guy who plays poker recreationally. That's kind of what I got from him. I didn't really know all that much about him. I've seen him on Facebook. But I've never met the guy. I've had very little interaction with him. I think one time we had like a minor debate on Facebook, but it was nothing bad. Like we didn't insult each other. It was just a disagreement and it was very short. But aside from that, I have no interactions I remember with him. So I was looking for people who were complaining about the Venetian on Twitter. And I noticed that he was one of them from Google so uh, I go over there to take a look at his Twitter, and I'm blocked. I'm like, what the hell? I had no idea he blocked me. I, I, I don't think I've even interacted with him on Twitter. I think when I've interacted with him, it was on Facebook. So I, It's so weird when people block me, and I don't know why. So anyway, that's just a side note here. But the other two people involved I'm going to mention did not block me. One of them I mentioned before on the show, uh, Matt Vaughn, who was the one who had his uh, account closed on Bovada because he was playing from Nevada when he shouldn't have been and knew he shouldn't have been and had already been warned about doing it from Maryland and then did it in another state where he wasn't allowed and uh, didn't seem to really care about what was going to happen and won a tournament and got the money confiscated. So we, we talked about that, but uh, this has nothing to do with that situation. Matt Vaughn tweeted... This is the line to reg for the Venetian Poker 2400 WPT Deep Stacks. Guess I'm not playing level one. Referring to that he'll never get into level one because the line is this long. And he showed a picture, like, this line stretching across the Venetian. (laughs) It's so long you can't even see the end of it in this picture. That's funny. And I heard there were two windows open for this whole thing. And that's the reason the line was so backed up. They had two windows taking everyone. And they didn't bother to improve that. It just sat there with two windows, and it was an eternity. So he was very, very unhappy about that. And that picture was an embarrassing picture for the Venetian. So then Greg Himmelbrand, he posted a more complete complaint about uh, what's been going on there. He said, So, Venetian, been in town firing the back end of your series this summer, and I assume now, with World Series of Poker in October and November schedule released, you'll be having another series during that time. Because they usually do. They have some kind of series competing with the World Series. Some things that I really hope are ironed out and fixed by the time it rolls around. And then he listed them all, typing them out on like a, a notepad. This is what he typed. 
smoking behind uh, smoking being allowed on the rails one foot away from players seated at rail tables. This needs to change. Maybe make the surrounding slots non-smoking while tournaments are in session or something, but it's brutal. Allowing railbirds yeah. allowing railbirds a foot from the table to to the point players have to worry about them seeing their cards when squaring them up. With the rail so close to floor as I need to be on top of this. Yeah, it, it, both things are true. Uh, these are supposed to be no-smoking rooms. All poker rooms, uh, almost all poker rooms in Nevada have been no-smoking for a very long time. I remember Circus Circus has a lot of smoking in there, but uh, uh, almost all the poker rooms in Vegas are non-smoking, and all of them in California have been non-smoking by law for like over 20 years. So you're, you're generally used to, if you're playing poker in California or Nevada, there's no smoking. So the problem was that they had slot machines sitting right next to where the poker room was or the tournament area was. So he said, like, really, like, one foot away from where people were sitting, you had somebody else uh, sitting there with a, with a cigarette. So it might as well have been a smoking section. So he said that either they had to make it non-smoking or they have to uh, make those certain slots non-smoking. He said, got to do something here because uh, it's not fair to the players to think they're coming to a non-smoking room. And apparently people complained about this and nothing was done. And then he said also having people being so close to the tables would allow them people to place a friend there to look at people's hole cards and cheat and signal their, their buddies across the table. And I'll tell you where I worried about this, not about uh, Venetian, but I noticed at Bellagio, certain seats that are right along where people walk kind of by the sports book, kind of by that bar and sports book, some of that is real close to where the tables are. There's like two or three tables in Bellagio where it would be very easy for people watching. And there there are people who stand and watch from right there. It'd be very easy for people watching to see your hole cards. And I've sat there before and I've been nervous about it. Like what what if somebody walking by is seeing my hole cards and signaling their friend? So like I'm always real paranoid who's standing there when I'm in those seats. I hate being in those seats right there. But sometimes I have no choice. It's the only seat open. But apparently that happened at uh, Venetian here where the same thing with the slot machines being too close. Then he said having four max, meaning a total of four at most, sometimes two windows open and a gigantic line to register. I already mentioned that. He said there has to be ways to make this more efficient. Then he complained about the loud club music in the middle of the tournament and having slot tournaments right by the poker room. He said, I'm not sure there's much that can be done about this, but man, it's annoying. You know, I made this complaint before, not about uh, club music or slot tournaments, but I made a complaint before about the very loud final tables in the Amazon room when other tournaments are going. And when I complained about it, people on Twitter mocked me and told me that... uh, I'm being an asshole. Why can't I let people have fun at the final table? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, they can have all the fun they want. They just shouldn't have us in the room with them if there's going to be loud cheering aloud. And uh, I can remember trying to play a 3K limit hold'em event. And there were these like Brazilians all cheering on their Brazilian bunny at the final, bunny at the final table. And every time the guy would be in a hand, he'd hear, and they'd all chant together. It was over and over and over. And I... I it was driving me crazy. 
And I asked people at the table, and it was interesting because about half of them agreed with me and half of them, kind of like on Twitter, thought I was being a jerk by even bringing it up. How, how would you feel if that was going on? Would you would you be pissed that this yeah, was allowed? It's, it's obnoxious. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that all the, the events... With the Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Remember that one? Yes, yes. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. Yeah. yeah I, I think that any bracelet event should run in peace. It doesn't have to be whisper quiet, obviously, but there should not be like massive, loud chanting, singing, music, any loud disturbances that are going to make it hard for people to think. It doesn't matter if you're on in the early levels and the other ones in the final table. If it's a bracelet event, it's a bracelet event. It should be able to play in peace. So either you have to have the final tables, you know, either regulate the crowd where they can't be this loud, or if you don't want to do that, place that place the final table somewhere where nobody else is playing. But you can't have both. So, so I, I was annoyed by that. So basically he's saying the same thing here, except uh, it wasn't related to other poker tables. It was about uh, club music <laughs> and, uh, and also slot tournaments nearby. They were very noisy. And then he said uh, they need to schedule better. He said you ran WBT satellites at 6 p.m. on the night of... Uh, day 1C of the 800 and had only five tables available and huge alternate lists with some better planning this is easily avoidable what what he's saying here is that they actually didn't have enough room for people to enter the flight 1C because satellites were running and he's like anybody who wants to play a regular event should get a priority over satellites so they sh- they shouldn't be uh putting people on an alternate list for the regular event because there's satellite players in there, which the World Series used to make this dumb mistake all the time, too, but they finally fixed that. So uh, a lot of bitching about this. There's also complaints that uh, um, about having food at the table and other things that, that weren't allowed, and it, it, like the rules were very restricted there, too. A lot of people were unhappy with it in general. Aaron Queskin, the guy who blocked me, said he had a different complaint. He said... Got to early registration for Sunday. Um, I can't reg tomorrow. He wrote this on July 10th. Going to fight. Can't reg two days before. Have to reg Saturday for Sunday. Okay, Saturday's in 20 minutes. I'll wait. He's referring to that he did this at like 11.40 p.m. Nope, can't reg till Sunday after registration for Saturday closes. Uh, but, but But we only have one person at the cage on Sunday. It'll be three hours to reg. They said back, sorry. So... Basically, what he wanted to do was uh, register for Sunday. And first of all, on Friday, they just absolutely won't take the registration for Sunday. So they say, you know, come back Saturday. So he comes back Saturday. He, he was there at 11.40 p.m. on Friday night. And they said, you can't register Friday. You have to wait till Saturday. He said, well, Saturday, good. Saturday's in 20 minutes. So they said, no, uh, it is, but you can't register because uh, until... We're done with taking registration for Saturday, which we're not yet at midnight. You can't register for Sunday. <laughs> so even though it technically is Saturday, we're still taking uh, uh, registrations for Saturday at midnight. So it's not going to close for a long time. So you're not going to want to wait for this. So like, c- come back tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, but uh, isn't going to be like huge lines? Well, yes. Sorry. So, I don't understand why they have that situation going on. Like at the World Series, you can register for anything. I could I could walk in on September 30th at the World Series and register for the main event six weeks away, or I could register for any other event that's deep into the series. 
they just say which event do you want and they register you like it, it feels weird to be praising the world series for all the things they do right now but uh really compared to the venetian it looks like they are so that's uh it looks like a clusterfuck there they don't know what they're doing so it, it's interesting it's a, a story of, of two casinos one that uh knows how to run everything and the other that uh is clueless so people are very unhappy about this we'll see if they improve uh moving on here have you heard about what happened uh or what's been happening involving the nfl data to legalize sports books uh i've heard a little bit but yes go on yeah it's it's a something i hadn't really thought about but it's a problem it's a potential problem for the legalized sports betting which is now taking place in other states because remember until a few years ago it was illegal to wager on sports anywhere in the u.s except for nevada and then once that was lifted now states have the right to enact sports betting themselves and now a huge market is opening up for sports betting and the pro leagues are even getting on board and wanting to partner with sports betting operations so whereas Sports betting used to sit in the shadows. It was something we always knew existed, but it was kind of something you pictured as uh, eh, semi-shady. A lot of it would be done through illegal bookies. Uh, when it wasn't, you, you had people who hang out in the sports book all day in Vegas. And it was just something the general public kind of knew about but didn't really care about too much. And the leagues hated it and didn't want to talk about it. Well, that's all changed. Now it's become a money grab, and everybody wants their piece of it. And it's become it's becoming legalized and regulated everywhere. Not quite everywhere yet, but it's, it's rapidly going that way. Well, there is an article that came out that was uh, posted on the Poker Father's Forum by Sanomar. And the article was called, The Cost of NFL Data is Soaring and Sportsbooks Are Not Happy. So, have you heard of Genius Sports? I have not. I hadn't either. Genius Sports is a company that distributes NFL data. And they won the exclusive rights to distribute all NFL data back in April. And they actually paid $120 million a year for six years. So that's it's a $720 million deal with $120 million a year that they have to cough up to the NFL for the rights to do this. Now, why would they want uh, to pay the NFL $120 million to distribute their data? Well, this data is used by sportsbooks to set lines, both uh, live lines and lines before the game. Live lines meaning people can bet on the game as it goes on and the lines are constantly changing. So like if uh, an NFL game, if uh, if one team scores a touchdown in the first five minutes, then the odds of their winning has gone way up compared to what it was uh, before the game started. So you can bet live on games like that. But of course, uh, sportsbooks need this data to come through very rapidly in order to set the proper lines. Otherwise, people will be able to take advantage of it and beat them. So this Genius Sports won a competitive bidding process to be the sole provider of this. So then what do they do? What does Genius Sports do? Genius Sports then offers this data to sportsbooks, and that's how they make the money back. The problem is they paid way too much. $120 million was way too much. They bid off way more than they could chew. So... They are like, crap, we paid too much here. How do we get out of this? So they figured the only way out of this is to overcharge the legalized books in order to uh, recoup all this money they spent. So Genius Sports is now demanding 4% 
of the revenues for pregame NFL betting, that is betting that's not live, and 6% of live betting revenue. And the previous data provider, which is no longer the data provider because they lost the bidding process, charged only 1.5% for everything. So this is a an increase of uh, four times in the live betting and uh, close to three times for the uh, non-live betting. And one sportsbook said, just because Genius made a bad deal doesn't mean we're going to bail them out. And they said, we don't, they don't really have anything new. They're charging four times of the same data. So Genius then claimed that, well, we're offering other services like uh, engagement tools, advertising tools to find and keep players, but that, that stuff's mostly useless. The, the truth is that these casinos just want the data. So this has become a big problem because uh, they want to – this is mostly for online betting. You can't do live betting at uh, sports books because uh, it's, it's not fast enough. You have to have something online to do you're, it right you're, away. You're incorrect. Oh, at kiosks you can? No. I've been several times at uh, – well, I've been at station casinos. That's the only one I can remember in my head where I've actually witnessed it and I've done it, where during NFL games – they give out line live lines. Infamously, they made a mistake. Well, anyway, let, let me finish that. So they give out line live lines during NFL games in which people can wager, uh, mostly during commercials, sometimes during timeouts. And notoriously, this actually even made the paper. Uh, a few years ago, somebody gave out a live line at Red Rock. And uh, what's his name? Lonsigar posted this story in which the line... Uh, it was a total, uh, and it was at ha- right when halftime was starting or something, but it, the line was in such a manner you could bet it and not lose. I don't remember the exact scenario, but it was it was an it was, it obviously it was a human error, and people just went crazy on it, <laughs> and they couldn't figure out why there was such a line like during this meaningless game, and then they realized what it was. Maybe it was like so an under I, that it, maybe it was an over that already hit. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what it was. But anyhow, uh, I've been there, and I've, I've, I think I did it once years ago. But I've been there, you know, somewhat recently, and they've, they've had it. And that's, yeah. I think now that I'm thinking about it, I think that's the only place I've ever heard. Because you know, you got to bet fast. That's what I'm saying. That's why I pictured it couldn't happen. Okay. But nope. They certainly have it there. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, you may wonder: Do they have any other way to get this data? Is it possible that uh, these books can say, screw genius, we'll find other ways to get this information? Can we just turn this down? Well, for some of them, the answer is yes. However, FanDuel, DraftKings, and Caesars are official partners of the NFL, and one of the agreements they have with the NFL is they have to use official data. So that's that's one problem. Uh, the other ones, they can try to get unofficial data but the problem is it may not be as quick or as good. And some states, I'm not sure which ones, require books to use official data. So they can't use unofficial data in those states. I don't know if Nevada is one of them. And one of the casino executives said, it's a monopoly. You're negotiating against a monopoly, referring to Genius Sports. And... There's some belief that um, what might happen is that some of these books may just agree to the 6% for the live data 
because they don't have as many ways to get that. That can either they're prohibited from getting that by law or by their agreement with the NFL, or they're just afraid the quality of the data they're going to get is either isn't fast enough or isn't good enough. But that they won't bother with the pregame data because books these days are copying each other's lines. And that's why there are so many online sports books out there is these books out, most of these online sports books are not, they don't have some guy sitting there handicapping each game. These, these uh, books observe the lines often by computers, not even with a human. Uh, these books, a lot of times have uh, systems that observe the lines on competitors' books and then just basically copy them. Sometimes they're not identical, but they're, they're similar. And sometimes they are identical. So uh, they, since there's so much line copying and since lines are so easily available now, thanks to the internet, there's a lot of books that are considering just saying, screw genius, we're not going to get the, uh, the pre-match data and we're just going to pay nothing for that and we'll just copy someone else's lines. Yes. So that's uh, that's one consideration of what might happen. The other thing is that some casinos may just say F it and refuse to do any of this unless Genius lowers their price because this can be a stalemate because what happens if uh, not enough casinos are willing to pay this? Well, then Genius doesn't get enough money to cover this $120 million a year that they're coughing up to the NFL. So the Genius then would have to lower their prices even though they are a monopoly. They... they are not going to be able to cover this massive amount they spent unless they get the books to be willing to pay them. So they can't just demand what they want because if the books won't pay, then they end up with zero. So this is very similar to what has happened in some markets with Major League Baseball where these huge TV deals were made for way too much money. And then the cable companies simply don't want to pay that back to whoever made the deal for the broadcasting rights. And this is exactly what happened with the Dodgers. To this day, there are several providers of cable and satellite services in the LA area that cannot watch the Dodgers. If you're if you're getting service from that provider, then you just won't be able to see the Dodgers. For example, Frontier is one of them, which provides like FIO services. There's there's no Dodgers channel, and this has been going on for uh, like seven years. And it's still not completely resolved. And just recently, they finally resolved it with, with DirecTV, who wasn't carrying it. And that was because uh, Time Warner overpaid big time for the rights to carry the Dodgers. And then they were trying to recoup that through really high fees to pass to the cable companies. And the cable companies said no. And then Time Warner said, okay, you're not going to have the Dodgers your subscribers. And they're like, okay, I guess we won't. Oh, well. <laughs> so there was this stalemate that lasted years and still isn't totally over. So this is what happens when a provider of something makes a terrible deal, which puts them on the hook for huge money to carry some kind of uh, data or some kind of service, and then if they can't sell it at the price that they need to sell it to cover that terrible deal, then nobody wants to buy, and then they're kind of stuck. So this may eventually be resolved through negotiation, but it, it's... Here's the problem. Here's what, here's what I'm afraid is going to happen. You may say, well, why should we care? Who gives a shit of who gets the money? It's uh, this, this kind of invisible to the consumer. Well, it's not. Because, Brandon, what, what is one possible solution, if they do pay this, for the sports books to be able to afford this? Charging the consumer. 
Right, making lines worse. So the house juice will go up, maybe by 50%, maybe by 100%. And it gets to the point that no matter how good you are, you're not going to beat it. So if NFL games go from 10 cent lines, that is the house juice being like uh, approximately 10% of uh, the bet, if, if that, so, so the way it works is if you bet on a point spread NFL game, most of you know this, but I'll just tell you anyway for those of you that don't know. If you bet on a point spread NFL game, uh, each side would typically be what's called minus 110, which means you would bet $110 to win 100. So you're not getting even money back. So that extra $10 is the house juice. So what would happen is if you have one guy who bets 110 on one side to win 100, you have one guy who bets 100 on the other, 110 on the other side to win 100, one guy's going to win 100, one guy's going to lose 110, and the casino makes $10. So that's how it works. That's a 10-cent line. A 15-cent line is a line where the numbers are 15 cents apart. So it's minus 115, 115. A 20 cent line is where it's 20 cents apart. It would be minus 120, minus 120. So there you'd have to bet 120 to win 100 instead of 115 or 110. Now, this may not seem like much to you, but this is huge because it is very hard to win a high percentage of games against the spread long term in any of these sports of spread games with uh, the NFL, with the NBA, even with baseball, with the money lines, it's a similar concept. If the house juice is too high, you're just not going to cover it. Because even with the 10-cent lines, people have a very hard time covering that. It's just very hard to beat the juice because these lines tend to be set well enough to where you're just uh, you're not going to win enough to do it. You may have a fantasy you're going to get 70% of the games you pick right. No one can do that. It's impossible. So if you're, if you're hitting 55%, you're doing very well. 55% is enough to cover a 10-cent line. In fact, you had to win, uh, I think, 52.38% uh, of the time to cover a 10-cent line, which sounds like nothing, right? But that's actually a lot harder than you think. Yeah. But uh, to cover a 15-cent line, 20-cent line, forget about it. You're not going to do it, especially 20. So what this does is this not only kills the pro sports better, it also kills the aspirational pro, the someone who kind of knows what they're doing, might not win overall, but uh, at least isn't a sports betting fish, at least uh, has aspirations to win and has put some real work into doing so, uh, they're not going to have a shot. And even the recreational sports better is going to get eaten a lot quicker. So all this does is it uh, raises the juice that goes to the house, some of which then goes down the line to all these different entities that have their handout, which it's not just Genius Sports, the data provider. The government, the government wants its share. So there, some of these jurisdictions uh, where sports betting is now allowed are passing on very high taxes to the uh, sports books to where they have to uh, pay a lot from every bet they take in. So there's... A lot of different hands that are out here. The leagues sometimes want money. So a lot of different hands are in the casino's pocket here taking money out. And the only way they can cover this and still stay profitable is to make the lines worse. And that's really what should be avoided. Because what will happen? What will happen if it gets to 15 and 20 cent lines? Well, the fish may not notice and may keep betting. But anyone with a clue 
are they going to bet using their legalized sports book or are they going to go on bet online or bet any sports or uh heritage sports or one of these others and bet there with the 10 cent lines i think you know the answer so anyone with a clue is going to go right back to the offshore sports books. And the whole point of legalizing sports betting was to get people off the shady offshore sports books and getting them to where people can bet legally and safely. So all this is doing is going to be driving people back to the illegal ones because uh, they're not going to want to pay these ridiculous prices. And you can't blame the sports books completely because they are getting uh, hit for by, by all these different sources for money. Now, at the same time, it's understandable that with legalized betting, there are going to be entities that need their cut. The league is going to want something for their partnerships and, and they're going along with this. this. Of course, the state's going to want something and uh, there's data providers. They're going to want something, but they've got to do it to a reasonable level. They have to understand the margins for sports books are not as high as you think. And if you hit them with too many expenses to where they can't be profitable enough anymore, then it's going to be the consumer that gets charged. And that's that's going against the whole point of why we are allowing this in the first place, why they were, this was legalized in the first place. So that's a, And what's dumb is, is like reinventing the wheel here. Like Nevada has had this for decades without doing this crap. So I don't know why they can't just copy Nevada. A lot of these states don't know what they're doing. They're getting too greedy. Really too bad. Now... This hasn't come to California yet. None of this has come to California yet. It's so weird that, like, I'm in the biggest state, and obviously California's not a conservative state. You can't even say all these Christian conservatives and they don't like the gambling. Like, obviously, that's not the case in California. So you would have expected California would have uh, adopted this by now. And not only that, there's a big appetite for gambling in California. California is a very uh, uh, high per capita gambling state. There's a lot of people with gambling interest in California, partially because of its proximity to Nevada. So you would think this could really generate plenty of revenue for the state, but they just can't get it done. There's there's no legalized sports betting. It's not even close. There's no legalized online poker. There's no legalized online casino. There's nothing. Nothing here. If you want to do it here, you got to do it with the offshore books and the offshore poker sites, which is what I do. I'm sure these problems will come to California too when, if and when they legalize it, which I have to think will eventually happen. I'm, I'm really surprised it hasn't happened yet. They're just, the legislators are incompetent is the yep. general uh, reason this is happening. And the, the Indian tribes are complicating the whole thing. It, it, the whole thing's such a mess. I mean, you, you have one ninth of the country's population and people want to gamble and there's not even like moral objections to it. And somehow it still doesn't happen. Okay, well, Brandon, do you know about uh, the situation with the Caesars benefits? And this includes any benefits, whether you're Diamond, Seven Star, Diamond Elite, Platinum, whatever it is. But do you, you know how usually the benefits from the previous year expire on January 31st of the present year? Yes. So if you don't use it, it's just gone. It's too late. You, you can't say, hey, I, I forgot to redeem my dinner last year. Can you give me the, that $100 back? Nope. They give you nothing. So whatever you don't use, totally gone. Well, I want to let everybody know, there's not going to be a long topic, but I just want to let everybody know that if you did not use your benefits in 2020, which of course 
you may not have had an opportunity to because the casinos were closed for some time. Then you may not have wanted to go to Vegas during COVID. Whatever it was, there's a good chance that you had some benefits at Caesars Properties in 2020 that you did not use. And then you may believe they expired. Well, good news, they did not. You actually can use your benefits from 2020 presently and all the way through January 31st, 2022. So you have some time. Caesars made this decision a while ago. It wasn't even that recently, but I I actually learned of it recently. Caesars made this decision that rather than having people show up and be very unhappy that they just didn't feel comfortable going in 2020 when there was no vaccine available to just about everybody, and even by January 31st, the vast majority of people could not get the vaccine yet, including me. So people were unhappy that their benefits that they earned that remember the coronavirus uh, hit it was known to have hit in uh, January of 2020 and then everything pretty much shut down in mid-March so really people had very little time in 2020 to use their benefits and keep in mind your benefits don't start until February 1st so you couldn't even use your your benefits in January of 2020 you were using the previous year's benefits at that point so Caesars realized that they would have uh, a lot of people unhappy about this, so they did something they've never done before, and they exp- they expanded the time to redeem the 2020 benefits all the way through 2022. And it doesn't matter if your tier status fell since then. So even if you got mm. d- downgraded, you can still claim those benefits from that year. And... If you have another benefit that you were getting in 2021, because like, let's say you were diamond in 2020 and you're still diamond today, uh, that will mean you have double benefits. So you'll have two of the $100 dinners. You will have, uh, here's another important one you guys may be overlooking. If you earn, for every 5,000 tier credits you earned, you can get up to seven, or up, you can get a complimentary night at any Caesars property up to seven nights for every 5,000 tier credits you earned in 2020 or 2021. So, for example, if you earned Diamond in 2020, as I did, which takes, of course, 15,000 tier credits minimum, then you've earned three nights for free. So I did. Now, I did not use them in 2020. And I figured this out, what I'm telling you right now, I figured this out because I called up and said, hey, what happened to those three nights I earned in 2020 by earning Diamond? Are they gone? They said, no, you have till January 31st, 2022. So I actually then booked those three nights uh, during the World Series. So I did it. It worked. You, you, what you have to do to, to book this is you need to call what's called casino services. Do not speak to the Philippines. Do not call reservations. They won't know what you're talking about. But uh, ask, call up the regular hotel phone number. Just Google the phone number for the hotel. Make sure it's a 702 number, not 800. Call up the hotel and ask, can I speak to casino services, please? And they will connect you to a Las Vegas-based employee who can book these for you. And by the way, this is, uh, I believe this is true nationwide. So not, not just about Vegas. This is only about Caesars Properties. I haven't looked how MGM's handling this. Make sure not to waste those comp rooms 
that you may have earned last year, 5,000 per, you know, per 5, tier credits, up to seven. And make sure not to waste your $100 uh, food voucher that you can get. So if you're diamond again this year, even if you haven't played yet, or if you're diamond, you have earned a second one. So like right now, I am sitting on $200 food vouchers. So you basically get two of everything if you didn't do anything in 2020. So everything you earned in 2020, everything you could have done in 2020, you have until January 31st, 2022. And make sure to take advantage of it. Either go to Total Rewards, or I guess it's called Caesar Rewards at the casino itself, or call Casino Services by calling the local phone number of the property and asking for Casino casino Services. Uh, don't go through a host for this. They're, they're not going to understand this very well either. Something dumb at Caesar's Properties, I'm sure you've noticed this too, Brandon, is that uh, hosts don't understand Total Rewards benefits very well. Of course not. So they, they, they're very confused by it, and they'll tell you things that are inaccurate, and they won't even well, admit they don't many, know. You know in many cases better than they do. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and what's annoying is they're very arrogant about it, so they usually don't admit that they don't know. So they'll they'll tell you what they believe to be the case, but say it with authority as if they know and you don't. And you, you believe them if you don't know better because you know they're the employee you're not. But no, a lot of times they're wrong. So never ask your host for this and... And by the way, your host will sometimes do it the wrong way. Also, you may say, "Well, hey, I get, uh, I didn't I get some comp nights based upon my uh, tier credits I earned last year?" Oh, you want comp nights? Okay, here's your comp nights. Well, what they're going to do is they're going to give you comp nights based upon uh, your play, which you could use some other time instead of giving you the comp nights that you earned from from the total rewards program. So make sure just don't do it through a host. Nothing can good can come of that. You want to do this through casino services or the uh, or the Caesar's Rewards desk. So just just something to keep in mind so you don't lose it. And honestly, as much as I know about the program, I kind of tuned it out because I just hadn't been going to Vegas for a year and a half. And then when I started to return, I'm like, okay, I got to catch up on all this. And then I, I learned this and I wanted you guys to know this. I'm not 100% sure if uh, it's the exact same procedure in all the Caesars properties. Like, I'm not sure if the uh, if you get the one night free all over the country or if it's just Vegas, but I know that the rewards for 2020 for the entire country did get extended to January 31st, 2022 for all Caesars properties. So know that, and it doesn't matter what level you are. It doesn't matter if it's a seven-star, diamond, platinum, whatever. Let me finish off this last topic here, and then we will, uh, then you can fire away whatever uh, you've got. Um, that will be it because I am getting tired. Yeah, that'll be it. Yeah, I want to go back to sleep. No, I got I got to go too. So, Daniel Negreanu, uh, something I didn't realize about him until uh, seriously serious and Doug Polk taunted him about it this week was that he has not won a major tournament or heads up match in eight years. That's a long freaking time for someone who plays as much as he does. This is not a guy who plays occasionally. And it's easy to go through an eight-year period where you don't win something. Now, he's had second-place finishes for a lot of money, but he had no first-place finishes in any major tournaments or any heads-up match victories in eight years. 2013 was the last time. So Doug Polk released a video mocking that, and the title card of the video showed like minus 12 million something, which was misleading because it was saying like what he would have had had he won all of these, which 
you, you can't really say that. He didn't really lose twelve million. He just lost out on winning up to twelve million had he won some of these. But whatever. It was interesting, and it's something I hadn't even noticed, that he went eight years without winning a major tournament, despite playing a, a lot of them. And of course he lost the heads up matches that he did. Polk released this video and uh, Seriously Serious, who is the longtime media guy for Polk and has done a lot of trolling of Negranu as well, uh, he was pushing this as well. And I have to imagine that Daniel was irritated by this because they had kind of like an unofficial truce ever since that heads-up match where uh, basically Daniel, for $1.2 million, bought Doug Polk not hassling him on Twitter anymore. Because really, after that match where... Polk won $1.2 million. Polk got nicer to him. They even went on a show together, and they've, they're not friends, but they're cordial now. And uh, they've even come down on the same side in, in certain other controversies and related to them. So they, they really haven't been at each other's throats. They've, they've been very cordial and, and very civil with one another for over five months since the, uh, the, the match ended in early February. So people thought, okay, well, maybe they're going to be friends now, or maybe at least they won't be enemies anymore. And that seemed to be the case. And now, truthfully, it really was Doug starting with Daniel for the most part. Daniel sometimes respond, but uh, Daniel kind of wanted no part of all this, and, and Doug tended like, to taunt him and troll him. But, but Doug had not been doing this for five and a half months. Well, that was the end of that. For some reason, I don't know why, for some reason they decided they were going to release this video taunting Daniel again. So how did Daniel respond to this? Well, Daniel responded to this the same way the Dodgers responded to David Cohn. He came back and finally won a tournament. He finally did it. Daniel Negreanu has finally won a major tournament for the first time in eight years. He won the Poker Go Cup event, $50,000 buy-in for $700,000. So that was the first major actual victory he had. Not major cash, but major victory where nobody finished ahead of him in any tournament. Where he, not in a tournament. It was the first major tournament he's actually won. He said, if I look at my results since 2013, I've cashed for 20 to 30 million. So I've still been able to post wins in terms of finances, but the elusive top prize has been missing. I've been a bridesmaid so many times. Just the demons and the ghosts in your brain, like when I'm heads up with David Coleman, that was the one who he uh, beat here, and that three hit the turn, it was just every reminder, like Buckner back in Shea Stadium. (laughs) Every possible bad thing I'm thinking in my head, I can't help it, I'm human. So just to get that win out of the way, it feels like I don't have to think about that anymore. Now, I will say, there are only 35 people in this event, because it's a 50k event, and... uh, not like a World Series event, so it's, it's a Poker Go 50K event. So, yes, he only had to beat 34 other people, but nevertheless, he got first place. And he said, I think my game's better than it's ever been. It's simply a factor of really understanding bluffing more and understanding I need to do it more. For most of my career in the 2000s, I didn't need to bluff much because people called too often. I got to play small, a small ball approach that didn't require me taking any risks. Now, if you do that against really great players, you're not going to get value because they're just going to keep folding. The value has to come from a little bit more aggression. So I upped my aggression in a lot of spots. I do a lot more bluffing and earn some pots. By the way, that, that approach is uh, something that I started using in the main event. And it's been pretty good where uh, 
you, you pretty much let people hang themselves. In the old days, I used to think, well, these guys are all bad. They're going to pay me off. So what's the point in bluffing? But to beat these guys, you have to earn it. You have to have some cojones to be like, all right, I'm all in. If you call, I lose and feel okay with that. My relationship with bluffing has changed. I used to feel like a punch in the gut when I lost those chips, like I screwed up. And now it's just like, no, it was a good bluff. He called, but so what? I've gotten to that place now with bluffing. And that's true. You, you do have to take that mindset if you're going to do big bluffs. Depends if you do Small bluffs and big bluffs are different things. If you, you want to do small bluffs to pick up pots or small to medium ones where you think there's a decent chance you'll take the pot, that's a different story than risking a lot of chips or all your chips on a bluff. That's a lot harder to do. And that obviously introduces a lot more variance. So he's basically saying that he wasn't doing that before. Now he is. He said, I, I feel like I've competed well all week. I had a bubble, two min caches, and then this one, I feel like I've been in there. I have the utmost respect for my opponents for how good they are. First time in eight years that he managed to do this right after. I mean, like probably like a day or two after this video was released by Doug Polk mocking him and, and relentlessly uh, pushed by Seriously Serious. And I, I, he didn't mention this, but I wonder if he was uh, inspired here by this whole thing. Well, he did He did make one comment, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, now, this is what uh, Sirius the Sirius wrote three days ago. He wrote, The last tournament Negreanu won was the 2013 WSOP Europe 25K. Since then, he's 0-13 in heads-up play, referring to uh, tournaments and uh, also heads-up matches like the one he had with Polk or the one he had with Helmuth. So he said the opponents he lost to heads-up, Paul Volpe, Dan Coleman, Ben Lamb, Daniel Lai, Abe Masseri, Dan Smith, Justin Bonomo, John Hennigan, Keith Tilston, Doug Polk, and Phil Helmuth three times. I will say these are pretty good opponents he had. Uh, five of these matches for bracelets and one was for a WPT title. Probably just bad luck, but what a run. <laughs> so he's, mm-hmm. you, you see, he's, he's trying to, uh, to troll him here. Now, what's interesting is that uh, since this was announced, that uh, that Negreanu won, um, someone asked him if he would go on Doug Polk's show and, and mock him the fact that uh, after giving him such a hard time that he went on to win. And so, what do you think Daniel said to that? I don't know. Daniel actually said that he would do it. He actually said he would be willing to go on Doug Polk's show and that if, if Doug wants to have him, he'll do it. But I, I guess it's easier to do after you've won and you're in a good mood. But uh, he didn't say, no, screw this guy. He trolls me. I'm not going to give him action. I'm not going to give him attention. He actually said that, that he's willing to do it. And uh, then Doug, Paul, Doug said back, let's do it. And Daniel said, absolutely. So it looks like this is going to happen. Because Daniel said, I'm, I'll be happy to go on a podcast with Doug to discuss my ec- epic run of seconds that finally came to an end the minute he made a video about it. Surreal. So it looks like they, maybe they are going to be buddies again. So I, I presume this is going to happen because Doug Polk loves attention. He loves views. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to watch this with uh, Daniel coming on to gloat that Doug made fun of him and that got him to win. So sometimes it's the power of be, of being mocked and made fun of that can bring someone to uh, to be at their best. In fact, you know the only commerce tournament I've won occurred after someone mocked me. Do you know this? I did not know. Yeah, on Never Win Poker, 
I mentioned, this is in May of, I think, 08. I said I'm going to be playing some No Limit events this year at the World Series. Uh, it's been a while since I've played any No Limit uh, tournaments. I don't normally do this. So I'm going to go to Commerce and play this uh, No Limit event they had. It wasn't a special event. It was kind of No Limit tournament they had running at the time. It wasn't a tiny buy-in. It was probably like a 1,000 buy-in or something. But I went down there and uh, bought into a Commerce tournament. And I won it. Now, oh, wow. the, the one of the members of the forum, someone who uh, doesn't care for me very much, I think you might be able to guess who it is, someone to this day doesn't care for me very much and didn't back then either, uh, this person said that I was a Robotron Limit Hold'em player and that I have no chance and I should stick to Limit Hold'em and not even try no limit, that it's a joke, that I'm going to get crushed there, blah, blah, blah. And it just he, he tried to write the meanest and nastiest things to make me feel like I'm dead money at a no limit tournament. So I did not let it deter me, and I showed up to Commerce, and I won the no limit tournament. That was the only tournament I've actually ever won at Commerce. I've, I've Much like Daniel, I've, I've gone deep in some Commerce tournaments, but uh, I had not won any tournaments except that one, and that remains true to this day. I haven't played a ton of them, but that was the sole tournament I've won at Commerce, and it was the day after I was mocked on the forum that I have no chance and I, I'm a fish who's dead money and no limit. So I said, okay, I'll show him, and I did. Yeah. So maybe maybe there's something to that. So I said that uh, maybe what Negreanu should do is he should pay Doug Polk to make a really nasty video about him right before the WSOP main event. <laughs> looks like the, the power of being mocked is the greatest power in poker. Anyway, just wanted to mention that. It's kind of funny, the timing. Eight years, and he finally wins one right after being made fun of not winning in eight years. I, I wonder if that was in his head, too. I wonder if, like... When he was playing, he was thinking of Doug Polk mocking him, and it kind of inspired him. It really might have. Like, these bluffs, he's, these bluffs he's talking about that he was afraid to do before, maybe he was more willing to do them, thinking, hey, I've got to start making some moves here to change something up. I'm tired of Doug making fun of me. It could have been like that was in his head. He talked about how he was feeling it. He was noticing it. Let's get to whatever topics you'd like to bring, and then we can shut this yeah, down. Yeah, because let's do that, because this is going to take not a while, but there's going to be discussion. All right. Couple things here. I, I meant to uh, say this before when you're talking about the Venetian and people being unhappy. Uh, do you know who uh, poker player Kitty Ko is? Yes. So Kitty Ko was playing a 2500 what have you tournament at the Venetian uh, three days ago. And I guess there was more than one flight. So this was on day 1B. So there was a hand. But there was a raise, a re-raise, and then a flat. Dealer burned. The flop came out. Two of clubs, six of clubs, six of clubs. Did you see this? Yes, I did. Okay, well, then, you know, that happened. And uh, what do you think the ruling was? It's pretty obvious. I think the ruling, the whole thing was a misdeal. It, absolutely it was so uh anyhow that happened uh day 1b of the 2500 venetian what have you and uh people were just like what the hell's going on out here like how is this happening in 2022 that you're 
You had a some. You might even say some people maybe they folded. They probably did. They were drawn to five of a kind potentially. Could have yeah. been drawn to five of a kind in the WPT, what have you. You know, I I had something where I wish I spoke up at the main event. Um, I think this was in. It may have actually been in 2010 where I ended up doing well, but uh, one of the years I played the main event around then, it was on day one, and I had 8-7 suited, and I, ha- I had a uh, a big draw, and I missed it completely. Anyway, when the whole thing was over, the hand, uh, the uh, I, I spent some time, like, thinking what to do on the river just to not make it look like I had a I, I would want to give information away that I had a draw so I folded after fake thinking I didn't take too long but I didn't make it like I didn't just like muck it as soon as the guy bet the river anyway the guy tells me that he had a seven of spades I think he told me uh, like right afterwards when I let it go so I think he had like a top pair and a better flush draw than me well I had eight seven of spades I didn't say anything because I th- didn't. Uh, one, he I thought maybe he could have been lying to me, and then I'd be giving away what my hand was. And and number two, I thought that uh, like I just didn't want to give away what I had. Period. And so like maybe, maybe he just honestly made a mistake. Maybe he had a six of spades or a ace eight of spades, and he thought it was a seven. So or could have been ace eight because I had the eight also, but whatever. Yeah. So I didn't say anything. Well, we go to break. This is the last hand before break. We go to break, and this is just bothering me. And I really wanted to say something, because had I said something and this was found, then I could have made a complaint to the world. Like I should have, I could have demanded. I don't know what they would have done, but after I had lost the hand and lost some chips, maybe I could have demanded that they make this right for me in some way. Not out of this guy's stack, but. Uh, Maybe I, I could have gotten right. some chips back based upon losing a hand with a, a faulty deck. But uh, unfortunately, by the time I thought of speaking up, so there was a break in between, and I just sat some time wondering what I should do. And anyway, by the time I thought of speaking up, the deck had already been changed. I think the deck got changed over the break so, or something like that. So Tommy LaRosa, do you know who he is? Uh, no. He's the tournament. It sounds like Tommy LaRosa. Or Tony LaRusso. Yeah, that's what I thought of it first. Like, wait, I know him. Yeah, yeah, you you manage the A's and the Cardinals. Tommy LaRosa is the tournament director at the Venetian, and he wrote on Twitter, uh, unfortunately, the shuffler malfunctioned shortly before this hand, and it ate two cards. We thought we had resolved the issue. Obviously, we didn't. I am still looking into the matter. Um, So that was the explanation. It was just ran- well. Thank God. Yeah, I guess it happened that way because they might not have known it could have gone on for a while. That you know, with 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 two sixes. So and then this is just funny because I don't even know what it means. Kitty Co responded to the tournament director. This is not okay because lots of Asians post on social media makes me feel bad. I don't <laughs> even know what that means. Now, for, can you explain Kitty Co? She tweets and they're pretty funny tweets. It doesn't even make much sense. A lot of her tweets. It's in bad English. Uh, like, okay, her most recent tweet today was, I play heads up with Japanese YouTube guy on this week. <laughs> well, uh, not only that, if, like, if, uh, just... if you look at her tweets, if you think about, like, what someone would make of, like, a, an offensive p- 
parody account of an Asian female yes, in poker. Yes, yes. That would be her tweets, yes. except they're real. Except she's really an Asian female, and I don't know maybe if she's playing yeah. this up on purpose, but she she really is like like the stereotypical Asian female in poker that you think someone would be making as like a gimmick account, like a racist gimmick 15 account. Hour, Fifteen hours ago, she tweets. After four weeks in USA, I become very lazy. Dress up, no care anymore. Yeah, like exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's her actual treat. Yeah, yeah, that's her. That's an actual treat or tweet. So okay, anyhow, we we got to get through this stuff. So uh, I got two things interesting to report coming out of Resort World this week. Hmm. Um, the first thing is let me just pull it up. Did you know at Resort Worlds, you can, by, if you're using a player's card, you can lock up the machine for increments of five minutes if you need to use a restroom and you don't want anyone playing on your machine? Yeah, I saw that. Okay, I didn't see it till uh, I was doing a little bit of reading for, for the show, so yeah. That's kind of interesting, right? That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's a nice I mean, feature. I, I've had this concern before where... I, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm playing some long session on video poker or something, and I don't know what to do. Like, do I do I take the chance that nobody grabs it? Do I do I wait for the slot attendant to come over and lock it and then unlock it for me, which is a pain in the ass? Like, they'll do it, but it, it's not instantaneous. And I, I have found myself doing a variety of things. I've had it where I just hold it and don't pee for a while. Yeah. I've had it where I just mm-hmm. sprint to the bathroom, like literally sprint, and uh, and pee as fast as I can, wash my hands as fast as I can, and sprint back and hope nobody grabs the machine. And yeah. uh, so I've, I've done a variety so, of things. It doesn't explain if you could just do it for hours or how it works, but it does clearly state players' cars needs to be in the machine, and you could do it for five-minute increments, and there's a timer. So that is kind of cool if you you know are in a chasing or in a heated session or need to just do something real fast. You can make sure no one gets your machine. Um also coming out of Vegas World, this was Vegas World. You mean, you mean, you mean Resorts World? Ve- Vegas World yeah, is yeah, gone. World. Out of Vegas, yes. Also coming out of Las Vegas and specifically Resort Worlds. About five or six days ago, this was uh, the talk of the town. Somebody leaked to Vital Vegas because they posted a picture of inside Resort World's dealer toker room. And that's kind of like a little office where the tow committee, what a tow committee is, every casino has what's called a tow committee. They don't get paid anything additional, but uh, other than the time. Um, but what they do is they are the dealers that are voted upon by other dealers to count and collect all the casino tokes, do the math, and then submit everything to the casino so all the dealers get paid. Um, every casino has it. And, you know, sometimes you'll even see if you're playing, uh, you know, usually late at night this will occur. You'll see a number of dealers uh, sorting through their tote boxes, the tips. And the way the law is written, only dealers are allowed to touch these tips, meaning like even casino employees, even if they wanted to, are not allowed to touch the money, count the money, have anything to do with it. It's solely done by the dealers. So anyhow, uh, somebody leaked a photo of inside the tote room which was a picture of a calendar that showed for the week, uh, I'm sorry, the second week that Resort World was open, how much the dealers were making every night. And I'll tell you, it it, it wasn't pretty. Have you heard about this, Druff? No, I have not. So uh, anyhow, 
the highest, you know, I'm trying to find this tweet here and with, with the actual numbers so I can read it. I'm not seeing it. But uh, it was a very low amount. In fact, there's only one day over about a eight or nine day span where they made more than $135. There was like one $200 day and every other day was in the low 100s, which is not good. Uh, specifically considering a lot of these dealers left higher end or higher paying jobs to deal at resort worlds, thinking it's going to be kind of like a win, you know, maybe better than the win, maybe slightly worse than the win, but comparable. Um, to some degree, I'm looking right now for the actual picture so I can read the numbers. But anyhow, so other other uh, various Vegas entities picked this up, picked this up, and you know we're reporting on it because it it's you know it's interesting. That kind of stuff doesn't leak out much. Um, let me see if I can find a photo. I'm gonna look. So anyhow, uh, what do you what do you think about that? Well, I, I have a feeling this was leaked by and- by by a dealer on purpose who was unhappy with the situation that that they probably felt that they're frustrated they're not making as much as they thought they would. Maybe they're probably. mad at certain resorts world policies they think that are making this occur, and uh, this is probably done out of being pissed off, is my guess, rather than just someone taking it because they wanted to cause drama just for drama's sake. So that, that's my guess of that. And yeah, I guess this means that the table games are not doing very well over there if that's what's occurring because this is a direct function of how many people are sitting down. I, I don't think they have necessarily uh, bad tippers, though maybe they have some of that too if they're getting more of a, a foreign contingent there compared to other places because sure. people from foreign countries are not used to tipping. So that could be some of it, but it also might mean they're not getting that much action, that they have a lot more tables and dealers than they need, and the tables just don't have enough people, and they're not collecting enough tips. So that's uh, for a major strip casino like that that's high-end, to be making money like that is not very good. They do way better elsewhere. And here's a show that's way better elsewhere. That's when we have... A third host. Nobody. Trader is nobody. He was on mute or something. I don't hear Trader him. Trader come on now. I see him. Time for these games. I I see his I picture. Said, I said yo, buddy. No, he was Not on mute. Here. It was oh, mute. You said nothing. Poppycock. <laughs> okay. Hey, buddy. How are you? I mean, years. with all with with all the winning and at going on in Vegas world, you think the tipping would be up? That's what yeah. I, I know. So it was it was between like a hundred and five and like a hundred thirty five dollars. It it was uh not very good. They were not happy and I didn't really say Vital Vegas never said where they got the uh screenshot for, or the picture from, but um Well, I think someone yeah. snapped it someone snapped it in there well, obviously, may, yeah. maybe for maybe for the purpose of doing exactly this and trying to shame Resorts World. And I now the question is why this is happening. Is it that they overstaffed? Is it because of uh, the limits are too high or, or whatever? Something that's driving people away from sitting at the table games there. Some kind of other issue. Like what? What is holding back the tips? Or maybe it is that there's more foreigners there and they're just not tipping. But I've always felt that I hate the whole tipping situation 
at table games. I wish that they just paid the dealers some reasonable salary for what they're worth and there was no tipping or if there was it was something that was uh something more of an exception than the rule you were not expected to tip it, it sucks that yeah. tips are expected to comprise the majority of their income that people take these jobs believing they're going to live off of tips that they're basically being paid minimum wage but knowing that the tips are going to be way way above that and they'll still make a good living so it sucks that it's on the customers to pay the employees there and that if the customers don't pay the employees by not tipping enough then the employees don't make the money they're expecting to make and sometimes they left a better job to go there so it's a crappy situation it should be something that like why why are you even tipping here it I've I've talked before about the evolution of how this even came to be, and it's kind of stupid because this began at a superstition where people would tip the dealer believing that it's like good karma. You you tip the dealer and you get good luck. And unfortunately this evolved over the years, and I don't not even recently, but like many, many years ago it evolved to the casinos noticing how many tips were coming in and say, Oh good, we can pay the dealers minimum wage and they get so many tips that uh, they'll still make a, de- a decent living on this. And then, because of that reason, you became expected to tip. And if you didn't tip, then dealers would get pissed off. So it, it evolved into a-, a shitty thing. You shouldn't be expected to tip as a player when you're playing negative expectation games. And it also will sometimes lead to weird entitled behavior. So you could be getting your ass beat at the table and then you win a few big hands, and the dealer's like, well, what the fuck? Why are you not leaving me a big tip for this? And you're like, yeah, because I'm way down, or sure. I was way down yesterday. You didn't tip me when I lost. So, like, it, it really shouldn't be on the player to do this. They should just be paid something that's reasonable in the first place. They, I, I don't feel they should be making 100K a year like they were at the, at the height at places like the Win and, uh, and Bellagio. But I, I also feel they shouldn't be making minimum wage either. It should be something in between those two that makes sense for the uh, the job that's being performed. And then I feel on top of that, tipping should be, if you really want to, because you feel it brings you luck, go ahead, but nobody's expected to. And it's made, everybody's made to, underst- to understand that they're not expected to. Because the whole thing can be awkward too. Just uh, like exactly the situation I described. You're, you're getting clobbered there. Yeah. Even in the same session, then the dealer changes. Then you win a few big hands, and then they get pissed if you don't tip them. Yeah. And All right, so moving along, this is something you tweeted about, and uh, I, I, I read about it myself, and our own little Miss Candy was playing part of it today. I don't know to what degree, but uh, Delio Poker kicked off today for the public. There's yes. A beta version. Anyone could have participated. Uh, did, did, did you know about this? I knew about it. Oh, I didn't... I didn't watch it. I know that uh, Candy was uh, a little bit part of this. Um, that clowny going was there too. That cyclone. Yep. Cyclona. Yep. She was there, I and heard she looks pretty good for her age. Right. She does. And then uh, I, I made a comment about that, and then Gene Gluck came yeah, back with a comment. I didn't know how to answer Gene oh, Gluck. I, I didn't know how. How do I answer Gluck this question? Listen, that's look. Gluck. I not, you answered it the best way you could. Not. You didn't say nothing. Yeah. No, that's that's that's, that's what I did. Get into that can of. Yeah, that what happened is that I said that I said that she, not referring to Gluck, I was referring to uh, Cloney, that she looked surprisingly good for 49, which she does. And then, so then Gene Gluck responded back, surprisingly good for 49, what age should I be worried about not looking good? <laughs> so, 
how do you answer that one? So I, I just yeah. I just didn't answer. So right now, if uh, you are a hardened criminal, or you know, whether it's white collar or blue collar, whatever it may be, it might be one of the best times to commit some complex crime in Las Vegas this week. And the reason why, you ask, is because the biggest trial lawyer convention in the world is now taking place this week in Las Vegas. The AAJ convention, the AAJ, I mean, really, somebody tell me. I mean, I know because I'm reading it. What is, uh, what's that acronym stand for? The AAJ convention for trial lawyers. Anyone know? American Association of of, uh, Justice. Justices, yeah, or Justice, yeah. It's the American Association for Justice. Very good, guys. It's going on now from July 12th to the 15th. And their motto is, you know what their motto is? Build powerful powerful connections and stay. That's what it... Oh, I'm sorry. Build, build powerful connections and stay ahead of the curve. That's what it is. So, yeah. So, right now, there's uh, well over 6,000 uh, trial lawyers roaming around Vegas. And uh, I, I guess if... Yeah. That, there you go. Okay. So... Sands is actually in the new, was in the news for a number of reasons this week. Anyone hear about this? No, no. Sands is the parent company for the Venetian and Palazzo, uh, both here and also in Macau. So, uh, what they did to one of the things that they did is they donated seventeen million dollars to a political action committee committee in all places in Florida to uh, expand gaming because apparently they want to, uh, and I I assume this is our new ownership, meaning, you know, it was the Adelson family's in the middle of selling it. So I assume this isn't uh, the Adelson family. It's probably the newer owners, would you think? Because why would the Adelson family spend a dollar? Does that make sense? Yeah, well, they've only sold the Las Vegas uh, portion of it. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I guess that would make sense. You know what? That probably is because it's also Sands. They're going to retain the parent company. So, uh, anyhow, uh, they donated seventeen million to a Florida political committee seeking ballot access for residents on gaming and casino-related initiatives. Again, in the state of Florida. Um, so, okay, I guess there's that. Then also on Monday, okay, they donated more money to form a uh, committee that is going to invest and study digital gaming technologies that are focused in business-to-business transactions. I don't even know what that really means. Do any of you? Say that again. They donated a ton of money to start a committee and to invest in digital, and this is a quote, digital gaming technologies that are focused in business-to-business transactions. Yeah, it sounds like kind of like back-end gaming stuff that just uh, allows technology to have communications between whatever entities that uh, exchange money or information or whatever it is. That's that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, I think that would be... uh, the Adelson family that's doing that because they are going to retain the uh, 
Sands Corporation. So that's yes, they're still just firing money, and maybe they want to expand. Maybe yeah, I mean, I guess Florida is Florida still a gaming hotspot? I think so. So maybe that's part of what they want to do. Okay, so uh, also, I'm sorry, I'm on my, I'm pulling all this on my phone and it just kind of froze. So give me one second. Um, a number of jackpots hit in the last couple of days, some really, really big ones. You know, actually, I want to pull this article up more about this digital gaming just so I can understand this. So, okay, so it says Sands is determined to grow its leadership position within the industry and is committed to doing thorough strategic steps that we think best position our company. Digital gaming and other related offerings are still much in early stages. Uh, okay, blah, 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 blah. So they want to come up with a with digital gaming technology that's going to deliver significant returns to their company and shareholders. I don't really understand how this deals with business to business unless we're selling it, maybe. Uh, do either of you ever play Pygot Poker? Have you guys ever played it before? Yes. Yep. Okay. One of the biggest Pygow jackpots uh, in state history hit um, this past weekend uh, in, in the state of Nevada. There was a $2.48 million progressive table game jackpot hit in Reno. That's a lot. $2.5 million for Pygow poker. Wow. Um, it hit at the Silver Legacy. Uh, somebody that was playing a $5 what's called power play bonus bet at the Silver Legacy in Reno hit a seven card straight flush that paid $2.48 million. That's a lot of money. That is right. I didn't I didn't know that such a thing existed. Much, have you guys ever heard that much uh, in terms of pie gown? No. Like I, I, I had no idea no, such a thing could be one. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a good question for, for me and Trader Ruski. What's, what's the jackpot that hit, a large jackpot that hit for uh, Pi Gal? We w- would have both gotten it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I don't know if you covered this. Uh, this will maybe kind of be near to your heart. Caesars Palace, uh, the parent company, I guess Eldorado Gaming, made an announcement uh, a few days ago uh, about some renovations. Have you heard about this? No. Talk about it? No. Okay, so... According to the Review Journal and El Dorado, Caesars Entertainment unveils today, this was a couple days ago, their new plans for multi-million dollar renovations. The original front entrance to Caesars Palace will soon begin to get a multi-million dollar facelift. Oh, I know about this. Yeah, I, I do know. I, I tweeted about this, and I tweeted it looks exactly the same as I before. I just brought it up now. Get your head in the game, okay? Get your head in the game. <laughs> So they're going to be bringing a revamped touch to the resort's iconic ancient Roman aesthetic. Uh, it's going to start this month, and they're going to be uh, doing things that's going to create a dramatic and soaring dome and barreled ceiling of a stunning 15-foot statue of Augustus Caesar. They're going to be making or building two new state-of-the-art gaming pits that are flanking the main entrance of where you walk in. And a new lobby bar. Uh, the renovations, as I said, will start at the end of this month, and most will be completed by New Year's Eve. The um, Caesars Entertainment regional president Sean McBurney McBurney said the project encompasses a full reimagination of our main entrance. 
and this is no small task, uh, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I mean, I guess it's good. That's their flagship property. They need to probably start uh, spending some money on that, huh? But it looks like the same in the drawings. Like the drawings, it looked just like what I remembered Caesars looks like in the lobby. I wasn't understanding what they're doing. It looks exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get it either. I don't get it. So, okay. We talked about this a uh, couple of weeks ago. And in terms of Vegas sports, next week's going to be quite the day for Vegas, even though what's going to happen is going to occur. And what that is is today in Oakland, uh, the county commissioners are going to basically either begin the first initial steps of signing off on this new Bay Area uh, stadium project, or they're basically going to say it's not going to happen. And if that's the case and it's not going to happen, uh, it, it things have just really, really suddenly picked up steam out here in regards to uh, the Oakland A's coming to Vegas. Uh, as we talked about on radio, uh, a contingency of Oakland Athletics, uh, man, upper management, in fact, even the owner, general manager, president, were out here a few weeks ago. And they spent about four or five days touring the city touring various sites that potential sites that could be a stadium built um, in all four corners of the city, Henderson um, out near Sam Boyd stadium, Summerlin on the strip. They were, I guess, so impressed or using it for leverage in such a manner that they came back for a second visit. Uh, And I guess this is such at the forefront of baseball that Rob Manfred addressed this today during his, "Quote unquote state of baseball address that is always done the day of the All Star game, uh, amongst other things. You know, we also talked about the fact that you'll be happy about this. I don't know if you saw this, guys, but uh, next year, in his opinion, uh, there's a great chance that double headers will go back to being nine innings, and most importantly, in terms of what really, really is just aggravated me, there will no longer be the stupid runner on second base to begin the 10th inning and beyond roll. Yeah, I saw that. I, I saw I saw both things that they're considering changing back, though they wouldn't commit to it because they have to get input from the players' union as well. I, the second, the seven-inning doubleheaders, I could possibly see the players' union wanting to retain. The runner on second thing, they probably don't because I know a lot of pitchers were unhappy that they were being charged with blown saves and losses because of that. So yeah, yeah. That, that's more likely so, to go uh, away. But Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a guy uh, this week is flying to San Jose, California, and he has a layer, layover in Vegas. And uh, he decides to take an Uber from the airport. He has like three or four hours. Decides to take an Uber from the airport to Harris. Buys in for $100, plays his favorite table game, which is three-card poker, and on the second hand, uh, hits a jackpot for $249,000. It's hmm. a straight flush, and I don't play three-card poker. Uh, have you guys ever played three-card poker? Yeah, like once or twice. I played I mean, like I played it 15 years ago, but I thought it was so slow and boring. And just, yeah. So anyhow, good for this guy in, in San, Anto- or San Jose, I said. I wonder, do you think he goes home that day, or do you think he... Stays here? What do you, what happens? Yeah, maybe he maybe he stays quarter? and then chunks off some of it back. Yeah. Yeah. 
Maybe. By the way, I, I, um, I want to quickly tell you, I had a similar situation, except it didn't end up with $249,000. Uh, I had an offer, or I should say my girlfriend had an offer from a Caesars property. It was a cruise offer, and you had to show up in person to get it. It was for an inside cabin, and I already had my Seven Stars cruise, and I was redeeming that. But to get a second cabin, you had to pay for it. So we wanted a second cabin, and inside it was going to be fine for the second cabin. But we wanted a second cabin, and it wasn't quite worth going all the way to Vegas just to redeem that. But I said, wait a minute. We're coming back from the Seven Stars trip, which was separate from this. Why don't we do a layover in Vegas on purpose and do a long one? And then we'll have enough time to go pick up your offer and then go back to the airport and go home. This will save us a trip to Vegas to get this. So I had to get Caesars to approve this itinerary. And it was funny, their, their little travel agency they use, this Passport Travel, they were a little skeptical of this, going, why don't you want to stop back? And I'm like, you know, I just, uh, um, I forgot the, I don't remember the excuse I gave, but uh, I told them I wanted this specific flight with this specific layover. Like, like why, would everyone, why would anyone take a four-hour layover in Vegas over the nonstop? But I... That's what I kept saying I wanted, and they let me do it. So I, it was a four-hour layover, and we went and we got the offer, and it worked. The funny thing is we had to check into a hotel, so we checked into a hotel room we never set foot in. And then we got the offer, and we accomplished what we needed to do. So then we had hours left, and we didn't have to worry about luggage or anything because it was... Uh, that was, of course, going to be transferred automatically. So we just had to get our asses back to the airport in time. And uh, we went to lunch, I think, at Giada or something. But anyway, it was very slow there. And then, like, oh, shit, we may not make it back in time. So we rushed back to the airport. We took a cab and rushed back there. And we had to, believe it or not, you had to be in there an hour before, even though uh, we had our luggage that was automatically transferring. We still had to be there an hour before, or we uh, could lose our position in the in the flight. We could get dropped. Or maybe it's 45 minutes. I think it was 45 minutes, actually. So, anyway, we get there about 48 minutes, I mean, at the desk there. So, I'm like, okay, I got it. Well, the, the desk agents are sitting there talking to each other. And I'm trying to get their attention. Come on, we've got to hurry up. we got to hurry up. Gotta, come on, guys. Like, sir, hold on. We'll be with you in a second. I go, no, no, you don't understand. The 45-minute deadline is going to hit. Like, they were totally not taking me seriously. And then this really slow guy is the one who happened to get it. He's like, okay, so what do you want to do now? And I said, no, no, you got to be fast. you got to be fast. I gotta, uh, we're about to run out of time here. We, we have our connecting flight. He said, okay, so uh, what is your name? How do you spell that? So anyway, um... We missed it. We uh, we missed the connecting flight. Hmm. And uh, for some reason, we didn't have automatic tickets. I don't remember why, but we, we had to get tickets there in Vegas. Uh, we had to get boarding passes. And uh, anyway, by the time he did it, there were 43 minutes left, and we missed it by two minutes. 
So I said, come on, this is, you guys took forever to do this here. This isn't my fault. We recommend that you're here, you know, you have to be here 90 minutes. Before. I go, yeah, 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 I know that. But the bottom line is my absolute time frame was 45 minutes and I was here on time and you guys were too slow. Again, we recommend that you come here 90 minutes. Oh, God. So I asked for a supervisor. Of course, the supervisor doesn't come down for like another 25 minutes. So by then it's way too late. So we missed the flight. Uh, so then we were put on standby. The only decent thing is we got to hang out in the uh, American Express Lounge, which was decent. Centurion Lounge. Yeah, Centurion Lounge, right. So it was a de- that's a pretty good lounge. So we're, we're hanging out in that lounge. You know they're, uh, they're changing that, by the way. Yeah, I know. It's I know. 75000 a year you have to spend. Uh, yeah, it's a fail. One person. It's, it's a, oh, but you know what, though? You're gonna, we're going to get uh, $200 uh, hotel credits every year now. They added that feature. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. No, I didn't. That's actually a good feature. Two, if you book on their flight once a year, and I know this is a tangent, once a year, if you have an American Express Platinum card, you can go on their uh, Fine Hotels uh, directory through the app, book a hotel, and they will reimburse you on your next statement up to $200. I did not know that. I'm going to have to do that. Just so- started. And do it this year because it, 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 it started uh, July 1st. Oh. And it will end, you have until... December 31st to use it, and then it starts again January 1st. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I will keep that in mind. So anyway, the, what what ended up happening was I you know I get on standby for the next flight, but of course it's not guaranteed. It. They have to see what's uh, available for the next flight. But I'm, I'm very obsessed with getting over there on time to make sure I'm in. So I, I rush over there when the first moment is to check on this, and of course that flight's full. I have to wait more time. Next flight comes. Guess what happens? They had an emergency landing there because a flight the engines were smoking. So so people had to land at McCarran that was going, I think it was going to Phoenix, but they had to, it had to land in Vegas because the engine was smoking. So the good news is nobody got hurt, but that must have been pretty scary. So these people got the priority over me to be booked in the next flight. So I missed that. I didn't get that one. So the, the next flight comes, and now we're even hours further into it. And... They're getting very obnoxious with me. I'm trying to be like really calm and not yell at anybody and not, you know, not bitch. Or so I'm really trying to be polite here. But I, they're just really nasty to me. Sir, it's not our fault you missed your flight. We'll get you on. We can get you on. I'm like, but I've, I've, they've promised me like three flights I'm going to get on and it keeps on happening. We didn't know an airplane's going to end up smoking. So I just got, I got, to, what, what has joined us here? An unknown Skype bot, it said on my screen. How, how does that join? I don't and know. And as like, and they change our screen on. to like the a picture of like some steps outdoors. What what is going on here? Well, what the hell is that? Yeah, let's let's talk about the person I do know here at least. Uh, the the Calwat. Been my bad. That may have been my bad. Wait, uh, Trader Ruski, what are you doing to us here? So okay, we have Calwat on here. I didn't I didn't say anything yet, but we have Calwat, we have Trader Ruski, and we have an unknown bot for some reason that joined us and has a picture of a staircase. Hey, hey Calwat. All right, listen. What's up, Calwat? I, I gotta go soon, so let me just wrap this up. Because it's it's fourth. What did we start at? Ten thirty. Uh, yeah, kind of around there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm sorry. Don't mean to cut you off. You guys can go on. But uh, one other funny thing. This is kind of in the. Uh, you think that your job sucks category? I guess this is a weird story. So the Nevada Gaming Commission had their July meeting uh, the other day in uh, Carson City, and they had twelve people. And this is a quote the Review Journal used. Twelve people that paraded before the board and asked board chairman Bryn Gibson 
to rescind all policies related to and encouraging vaccinations to fight the coronavirus and the support and mandate of having casino employees wear masks. Uh, during the 45 minutes of comment, most of the 12 addressed the board by continually denouncing the need for vaccinations. They said the actions taken by the gaming board were both unconstitutional, illegal, and they also criticized comments, recommendations, and policies by, from both Anthony Fauci and President Joe Biden. One speaker screamed at the board saying, no more fake Fauci science. While another board scre- or another member screamed at the board saying that their actions to fight the spread of COVID-19 were diabolical, outrageous, and tyrannical, to say the least. The group also bashed Governor Steve Sisolak of Nevada for directing regulators to do his bidding. Among those that were outraged was Reno criminal justice attorney Joey Gilbert, who said he represents hundreds of frontline casino workers who aren't happy with the board's suggestions regarding vaccinations and mask wearing. Uh, Gibson, who again is the, the head of the gaming board, was very courteous to the speakers throughout the session while he encouraged the group, instead of screaming, to find one speaker to summarize the group's concern <laughs> and pleaded with the group to kindly observe the three-minute time limit per comment, which few of them did as comments continued after the meeting's opening and closing. Uh, well, hey, I've got a question here. Uh, masks are not required there if you're vaccinated, right? I guess he's, yes. But I guess these people, these employees aren't vaccinated. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it, I, I would. the only thing I'd agree with is if they're fully vaccinated, I, I would agree with not requiring masks. But if they... Uh, if they're choosing not to get vaccinated, I understand why that's in place. So then, then they've lost me. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it happened. It happened. It's 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 very very strange. So, uh, all right. I guess the other news that's kind of cute is a family came to the uh, South Point, okay, to stay. I guess I don't know where they're not locals. They were vacationing, and they were at the South Point. You know, again, it was a family. And they hit a jackpot for 249000 playing which, what slot game? Keyword is vacation. They were here, the family was here on a vacation. Was it uh, National a, Lampoon's Vacation? They hit a 249000 jackpot playing National Lampoon's uh, Vacation. Yeah, that's kind awesome. of cute, isn't it? Yeah, I, I didn't awesome. know that existed. I didn't know there was such a machine. I, I've never heard of it either, but apparently there is. So, uh, anyhow, all right, that's all I got. Uh, Calawat. You can continue on for me. Uh, it's no, we're, we're pretty much done here. here. No, we're done here. Okay. I, I mean, I have to, yeah, I, I need to get some sleep before the morning. But I was going to say, it's so convenient. It's very convenient that you've rescheduled this uh, to make it at a good time for me, Drew. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. We just get later and later. We're not we're not during uh, Cal Watt's bedtime anymore. Now he's, uh, he's awake for more and more of the show. Yeah. Real fast, before we all go, everyone real fast, or at least Trader Ruski and Cal Watt. Give us an update. How are you boys doing? What's new? The family's life? Uh, any of that? Stuff? I'm doing awesome. I actually had a question for you folks, if I if I could real quick. So there's a tech conference going on in Amsterdam at the end of September. Knowing everything that you know, first of all, for, to travel on the plane, I would need to wear a mask, even though I'm fully vaccinated. You also apparently 
need to bring a test kit with you. And you have to then run that test kit on yourself up to 72 hours uh, within 72 hours of getting on the flight in order to be able to to come back home and and to go there. Um, knowing kind of what's going on with the Delta variant and everything, would you folks go to, to Amsterdam in uh, in two months or so? Well, believe it or not, the test kit, I actually would prefer over them doing the test on me. I, I hate the idea of that test. They go way up your nose. And I, I've been putting a lot of work into avoiding that whenever it's been necessary to take a test, which hasn't been that often. Like before my colonoscopy, I had to do a test, and I put some work into not having to do that particular test. So um, that test kit, aside from the pain in the ass of getting it, wouldn't be that bad. Uh, I, I have made the decision personally not to travel internationally until this all stabilizes mm-hmm. more. Because my concern is that uh, some situation will change, especially with this Delta variant and this that Lambda variant, which is coming behind it, that there will be a danger that is assumed to be there that wasn't there before. And now you're going to have to quarantine or maybe even worse, not be let back into your own country or some mess like that. I, I don't even want to chance it. So I'm not leaving the U.S. until I'm pretty sure that there's not going to be an issue with getting back in. So I I wouldn't, but uh, the test kit wouldn't be the part that would be dissuading me. Yeah, I don't think that's such a big deal. Part of the the consternation on my end is the unknown in terms of, you know, what kind of hoops do I have to jump through to to do all this kind of stuff? The other thing is, okay, so wearing a mask the whole time for the international flights, not not that the end of the world, it's not a big deal, it'd be kind of annoying. But I have the feeling that for the duration of the conference, people are going to be required to wear masks. I know that you you think that they're not effective, Droth, but these crazy Europeans, they, they think that masks will reduce um, the transmission. So I'm pretty sure for the duration of the event that I'm going to have to wear a mask. Um, what about you, Brandon? Like, would you would you go to this tech conference or would you kind of just pass? No, on? I wouldn't. I wouldn't go right now. Nope. Yeah. I think there's too much still unknown. I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel comfortable. It would be the end of it would be in two months, so it would be at the end of uh, September. Well, yeah, right. But you'd have to book it now and start. You know what I mean? Getting yeah, yeah. Couldn't just see how it was in you know two months from now and book two days before. I wouldn't know. That's just yeah. me. But I need I'm, on the side of caution and. Traderuski, would you go there? Would you head out to Amsterdam and uh, and go to this nice little tech conference? I don't know. I think two. I think two months is a little early. I did have my buddy came back about 10 days ago from Thailand. He's lived there mm-hmm. for like 20 years. Uh-huh. So he did have to take the test. You know, he took kind of like the self-test, show proof. It sounds like what they're having you do. One thing he did, he said there was a big difference. He just used miles to upgrade to first class. Nice. I mean, that was a longer flight, but I would definitely, if you're going to do it, Calwatt, definitely figure out how to upgrade to business or first. But you, you still have to wear the mask in there, right? Worse. Yep. Yeah, you'd still have to wear the mask, but at least you're not on top of each other for six hours. Yeah, I just, I did. Well, it's more than six hours. Well, actually, no, it's not for him because he's in New York. I forgot, but, uh, but yeah, exactly. like international flights from here, that would be brutal to go all the way to Europe and wear the mask the whole time. I would have a very hard yeah. time with that. In fact, even like hey, the thought of even flying to like New York from here with a mask on the whole time seems crappy. Yeah. It's not going to be fun for sure. But honestly, my, I'm sort of with you. I, I'm probably going to wait and see. And I realize, Brandon, you're right, that there's a cutoff point to which if you haven't booked it by then, it's just going to be ridiculous, you know. So obviously sure. it, it may just be that 
I wait and wait and wait, and then it's just decided for me. But I, sure. my real concern is kind of what you're talking about, Druff, is like, I, I'm not worried about myself. Like, I'm, I'm vaccinated, I'm healthy, all that kind of good stuff. I don't want to get stuck in some random shit, you know, where I'm in an airport, you know? Wait, what was it? The terminal, right? Where I'm living in the fucking airport for, for weeks. Yeah, that would be my biggest worry. That's exactly what I would not want to have happen. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the um, end of the world because I can do my job from anywhere. Like, I could just work. It would be kind of boring. It wouldn't be terrible, but I don't think I want that, you know? Real fast. I'm sorry. I know this is a little bit of a change of subject. This was the last thing in my uh, Vegas news that I thought. Was oh, I'm sorry. Bad. I thought you were done with it. I'm sorry, Brian. No, yeah. I, no, 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 no. It's okay. No, just, and it's funny because, uh, you know, I'm sure PFA listener uh, Salomar will find this interesting. Uh at wise the sports books in Vegas, and I assume if, if it's that bad here, it's probably going to be nationwide, have a massive, massive liability on a prop bet that looks like it's probably going to hit. And does anyone have, it's a player prop bet. Does anyone have a guess as to what that liability, what that prop bet is? Um, I have is, no idea. is it possibly uh, Shea Otani uh, winning the. Uh... Jesus, yep. Of course it is. You're on fire, man. You don't miss a fucking beat. Anyhow, when asked, okay, if this was their biggest liability in prop bets for baseball, William Hill Sportsbook Director Nick Bogdanovich said, by a mile, William Hill alone could lose several million dollars, largely because a person in the preseason bet $30,000 on Otani to win the MVP at 30 to 1? $30,000 on 30 to 1. The mm. Otani bet is rare field or rarefied air. We will never see that again. In all my years, I've never heard of anyone betting 30,000 at 30 to 1. The Japanese pitcher, which was 30 to 1, as I mentioned, is now. Okay, minus two seventy five at Station Casinos. <laughs> oh my god! Three, and minus three twenty at Bet MGM. Oh uh, my god! I don't. I don't <laughs> think there's ever been such a favorite in July to win the MVP. MGM Resorts Director of Trading Jeff Stoneback said, uh, "We've never seen anything like this before. It's just been amazing what he's been able to do. We are the first ones to admit we did not think he would ever be able to hit like this in the majors." When he came over from Japan, we thought eventually he might transition to a full-time pitcher. We were dead wrong. He can hit. Uh, in second place right now is, oh, yeah, I'll just ask Druff. American League MVP race, who do you think is, is lagging far behind in the plus territory, plus 300 actually, uh, behind Otani? Uh, is it uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Of course it is. Yeah, you know your stuff. It's Guerrero. Uh, and then the last quote is, if Otani doesn't get hurt, I don't see how he can lose. The hype is so crazy for Otani right now. It's amazing that Guerrero could actually win the Triple Crown, and he won't win the MVP. Wow. So, and yeah, I thought that was... Can you imagine 30000 Like, you just have to have too much money, or you have to just know something back then that nobody does. How do you bet that kind of money? Like, on a guy that's 30... Well, and even, too, like... And he could get COVID. There's so many variables, you know, that could ruin oh, that. He had, but, he had Tommy John surgery two years ago. He came off. Wow. It's, it's, 
Yeah, well, yeah, maybe, maybe uh, what happened is they saw something in spring training they liked and took a shot. I don't know when this person that's placed the bet. Pretty crazy though. That, that, that is a very crazy, crazy bet for thirty thousand. Thirty to one, thirty grand. That's that's pretty crazy. Yeah. What did it yeah. click down to right after that bet? Does anybody know? It doesn't say. I mean, it probably dropped at William Hill, but maybe twenty to one because they still want people. You know, they they still didn't see this coming, so they probably would have taken that action all day. You know, not yeah. thinking he was going to get, you know, because he, he's never hit like this before. So, speaking speaking so, of yeah, dropping yeah. the line, I, I was proud of myself that in October of uh, 2019, I caused a worldwide drop in the betting line on Joe Biden winning the primary by wagering on him because he was he was a fairly big dog at that point. He was like plus 500. Wow. And I, I bet oh. I kept betting it over and over in the middle of the night, and it suddenly dropped everywhere at every book. I was very proud of myself that I, I changed the Biden odds that night, not just on that book, everywhere. Wow. Okay, I'm so sorry. One last thing; it's going to be really quick, and you guys will definitely, definitely uh, find this interesting. So today on Netflix, a uh, documentary slash like reenactment show is dropping on Netflix and it's called heist. Have you guys heard about this? Do you know what this is about? Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't really know much about it. Okay. So in 1993 and this was eight years before I moved to Vegas. But when I moved here, I remember since it was somewhat relatively fresh, it was in the papers and in the media still a lot. And then it kind of, Dropped off the radar, then it came back, and I'll explain why. But in 1993, a woman who was only 21 at the time named Heather Tallchief committed one of the biggest armored car theft in the history of Las Vegas. Uh, Does that ring a bell for either of you? Yeah, I vaguely remember hearing about it. Yeah, I think I remember that story somewhat. In 1993, to make a long story short, I'm just going to give the cliff notes. Uh, this Heather Talchief was 21 and she was dating a man almost 30 years older than her named Roberto Solis. And apparently because he was a felon and, and for other reasons, he could not get a job. Um, Sounds like a great prospect. I can see why she's dating him. Yeah. But 21-year-old Heather Talchief, without any experience, without uh, much of a resume, was able to get a job working for Loomis uh, and and specifically she got on the route that every Thursday or Friday before a busy weekend in Vegas would drive up and down the strip in one of the Loomis trucks and reload all the ATMs they had the contract basically for the whole entire strip and in early 1993 I don't remember uh, the date uh, she was parked outside with $3 million outside a circus circus or outside the circus circus in Las Vegas. Her two other coworkers went in to fill the ATM and she just took off with all the money. Just disappeared off the face of the earth. Mm. Okay. Uh, then, and I'm sorry, I don't have my notes here to tell you. Uh, roughly, uh, gosh, maybe six, eight years, maybe eight years ago, by all accounts, the trail was dead. Okay. They couldn't find her. They couldn't find the guy. So what ended up happening was we find out later, 
she was living in Amsterdam under uh, a fake ID with a fake passport, and nobody was even the wiser. She had a husband. She had a new job. Uh, so she ended up having a child, and I guess she felt guilty about her crime. She also didn't want to get caught one day and be taken away for, from her kid. So she literally contacted an attorney in, uh, I, don't know, I guess, Nevada, but somewhere in the U.S., and that attorney on her behalf contacted Nevada authorities, obviously federal authorities, and she began to uh, negotiate her surrender. They had no idea where she was. She was going to, you know, she probably would have got away with it. Maybe not, but, you know, maybe she's in her 50s, 70s, you know, 80 years old one day and she gets recaptured. So this made nationwide news because it just was such a bizarre story. And she had gotten away for, I think this was maybe 2012. So, talking over 20 years you know she had she had just been gone the cold was the trail was cold so she ends up coming back to the u.s surrendering um and you know she does up the the patty hearst defense where she claims she was brainwashed and abused by this older man and again you know she was 21 the older dude was older and had a massive criminal record so she ended up getting a few years in prison um that she had to serve and you know then she was released and i don't even know uh where she is now she stays out of the limelight i don't think she's in las vegas i mean uh the funny thing was this is kind of ironic i mean this is just tells you how stupid sometimes the government can be so she came back by herself to turn herself in but as i mentioned she had a fake passport and she never had one under her name because you know she couldn't it would have been flagged so when she got back Amongst all the other things they charged her with, they charged her with identity theft because nice. she had to use a fake passport. I mean, isn't that kind of ridiculous? When I read that, I'm like, come on, like it just that's absurd. Like, I mean, I get it, but like, you know, like you knew she had to come back. Like that's you know, <laughs> you know, you get what I'm saying? Like they charged her with identity theft. For yeah, I re- I remember this whole story now, and um, this older guy she was with, he was never Robert found, Davis. and. He may not even be alive anymore because this was uh, almost thirty years ago. 80s. Now, he'd be no, he's seventy-five. Right? He'd be seventy-five oh, now. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, hey, listen, I'm not googling it. I'm going off memory here, guys. So forgive me, but okay, he'd be seventy-five and still alive. He very well could be. Right. Maybe, right? maybe not. A lot of people die before seventy-five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyhow, the, the you know the point I, I was making about this is this is still probably one of the most brazen robbery type stories that, that have ever happened in, 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 you know, Las Vegas. And, uh, it's going, there's going to be a reenactment slash, you know, documentary with interviews and stuff. It's got a lot of mainstream press and that drops today on Netflix. Again, the name of it is called heist. And it's a very, very interesting story because there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Where did the money go? Uh, Heather claims that she never saw a penny of it, that this Robert Solis took it. Uh, where, how do they get, you know, what do they do with it? I mean, you know, do they launder it? Like, do they just walk around $3 million in cash? And, you know, just a lot of still unanswered questions. Uh, you know, where was the last time she saw him? Uh, when was the last time she heard from him? So, anyhow, that's going to be on Netflix today. I'm definitely going to give it a watch. And I think the three of you, since all of you are, you know, interested in Vegas, gambling, history to some degree, give it a watch. And then oh, next yeah. time we're all on, we can talk about it. I'm trying to remember, wasn't there a movie made either about this or about something very similar to this where they had a guy that worked at Loomis or something like that and that there was a woman who seduced him and 
Oh, God. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Is that, that ring a bell with either of you no. guys? No. Um, maybe, but I, I, I don't, I, I've never seen the movie based on these actual events. Maybe something similar. Yeah, it's um, probably it's just inspired by or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it is interesting. Now, now I just Googled it. Um, she claims that when she split with Solis, uh, she only took a thousand of the three million, and after the crime, she had to support herself by working as a maid and also as a prostitute. Hmm. Well, they f- yeah. I, I see they found. I'm looking at this article right now. When they found the armored car, they found shipping supplies that were used to ship the money somewhere. So it does appear the money was shipped elsewhere, and probably disguised as you know, oh. regular cargo. So who knows? They could have shipped it to Amsterdam. They could, they could have shipped it to, to, to another city. Uh, supposedly, they were in Denver at one point, but uh, they didn't catch them there. So may, maybe they shipped it to Denver. Whatever it was, the money seemed to have been shipped. And how much she got of it, of course, is in question. And I, I think she's probably lying about only getting 1000 I I would believe that maybe he got more. But, uh, yeah, there are a lot of questions here. And... I, I think. Well, give it a watch. Give it a watch with the family. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, she uh, she's actually the same age as me. Yeah, I noticed that she wasn't fifty yet. Yep. She was 40, 49, right? Yeah, forty nine. Yep. She was. She I was looks tw- in pretty good shape for someone who's uh, been on the run and is in her late forties. She looks pretty well, good. Druff, Druff commented on another forty nine year old. Yeah. Her age. So that's funny that they're both. When should she not look good, Cowboy? Ah. Uh, Oh, listen to that. That that was a question from Gene Gluck on Twitter. That's why we're uh, Uh, discussing this. I mean, you know, she looks okay, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she was a a cute girl and she was young. So, okay, so she turned herself in in 2005. So, I I mean, again, I was doing this from memory. It's hard. So she was gone uh, 13 years, and by all accounts, almost 13 years, by all accounts, uh, you know, they weren't going to find her. You know, she she was the one that came to them. Yeah. So 2005, and and let's see. I don't remember. I want to see real fast. Uh, what do you all think she served? I I think I, I saw already a couple of years, a couple of years in probation, probably. Well, no, I saw she was sentenced to about five years, but she didn't serve all of it. Yeah, sixty three years, sixty three months. Excuse me. And the actual, and she was ordered to pay two point nine million to Loomis. Yeah, good I wonder luck. how that works. How did that work? If she, yeah, <laughs> how did she pay that if she didn't get the money? Yeah, I mean, I, that don't. She'll have to paid. turn the light on in her room in Amsterdam again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, brutal. May, brutal. May, maybe at a discount rate, though. She's forty nine. Yeah. It did say she had I substance mean, abuse problems, though. So I mean, you might not be far off, uh, Trudersky. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it did say she was talk shooting. There is a tech conference coming to town. She could. You know, make it all back right there. You never know. Right, Trader Ruski, that's not. <laughs> are you suggesting? Are you suggesting that I take her for a ride? Is that what you're saying? Jesus, unbelievable. You know, the dude is. I, I mean, you know, there's no way to know, but the dude is 75. Obviously, he hooked her up with the fake passport. The people, the people to get them. I mean, I would obviously, if I had to venture a guess, he could be anywhere from Europe to South America with a new family. No one even knows. You know, unless. Wow. 
somehow, I guess he got in some trouble and they ran his fingerprints through some, you know, I guess nationwide or worldwide database. I mean, you don't know, but I would just assume the guy's alive. I mean, there's no reason to think he's dead. You know, 75 isn't that old, you know, yeah. considering. But it, it is interesting to think how many people like that are like out there. Like, you know what I mean? People that are just amongst us that have done some crazy things in the past that are hiding and you just don't even know it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, like I said, the woman would have got away with it. She didn't have the kid and just start feeling like, you know, she didn't want, you know, whatever, you know, his childhood interrupted or, you know, whatever part of her life. She, you know, she, she likely never would have got caught. I mean, she got away for 12 years and they had no clue she was in Amsterdam. Yeah, you well, know, so I, I think there's a there is a decent chance he's dead though. Because this this is a guy not living a conventional life. This guy's on the run. This guy, you know, who, who knows what else he's doing that uh, is not well, a healthy lifestyle. And, you're not and, leading. You're not leading no conventional life. And I know you. I hope you're going to be with us when you're 75. No, I I'm think I'm more life. conventional than he is. I, I'm not on the run from the authorities. So yeah, but you don't have the uh, the no no offense to your gold inlay pool. You might don't have the money he potentially has either, right? He could have his own freaking hospital if he wanted. I mean, he could, and you, you know? don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's you know. Listen, maybe we they, we find him one day, and we learn that for the last twenty years he's started a vegan diet and a gluten free vegan diet, and he exercises every day. I mean, you don't know. People change. Yeah. You know, I'm just saying. He could. Oh, you know, I figured he, out the name of that movie that I was conflating this with. It's called Masterminds. And it's actually a, a comedy, uh, but it stars uh, Zach Galifinkis and Owen Wilson and a few other okay. people. All right. And, it, okay. and it's about it. It's about the 1997 Loomis robbery in North Carolina. So I'm uh, totally wait, conflating it. Yeah. There actually is something similar with starring Zach Galifinakis in a serious role. <laughs> no, it's a it's a comedy apparently. But it, apparently, what happened is this robbery was so pathetically done that it almost was a comedy yeah. in and of itself. So they just turned. The actual wow. real life events into a comedy, not far off from what actually. If I was happened. a director, I would have yeah. casted that Gwyneth Paltrow as this tall chief hooker girl. What do you think about uh, that? Yeah, that would work. Well, I, I, I guess the 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 current version of her, not the '93 version. Well, yes, that's what. Okay, so who, the '93 version, we'd have to go with like. Uh, I don't even know. Well, what they, what, like, what there... it depends where it's going to mostly take place, and what what year it's going to take place. Because if it's more in the past, they would cast a younger actress actress and just age her on uh, with makeup. That's yeah. actually easier to do well, than make her look younger. Say, though I can't even think. This is how out of the times I am. I'm trying to think of like a 18, 19, 20, 21 year old, like you know, up and comer, like that's popular now. With the, I don't even know. I can't think of one. Like you know what I mean? Like uh, like an actress in her early twenties. That's you know kind of like an A list or a budding star. Do you guys know? I, Calloway, you have kids. So who? What are the kids like these days? Like as in terms of younger actresses. I don't know, man. My kids are yeah. my kids are ten and twelve. They don't. They barely know um, the names of any any of the actors or actresses. I, I have no idea. Yeah. All right. But there's there's any number of you know hot chicks in Hollywood that they could cast in her role, I think. You know? What about this uh, Solis guy? Who could we have to, who would we uh, cast to play him? I mean, he looks like uh, Machetti. Machetti. I don't know who that is. Who's Machetti? That's, uh, what's his name? You know, the guy that plays Machetti. Who's, uh, oh, who's, who's Machetti, like though? The old gangbanger actor. Uh, I forgot his name. I know who you're talking about. Danny, Danny Trejo. There you go. But he, he's too. I think he's too old now, though, for that. I don't. Is he even alive? Yes, he's 
Yes, he's alive. Danny Trejo, wasn't he in the movie Heat with Robert De Niro, Al Pacino? Yeah, the problem, he's That's too old now for this Robert. role to be 48. Let me see. Well, he could play him currently. Danny he Trejo, was in Heat, you are correct. He was in Heat. Yeah, Danny, okay, so Danny Trejo's 77. And by the way, for those of you out here that are maybe a little younger, Heat is one of the best caper movies I've ever, still to this day, I love it. I have yeah. it recorded on my TiVo, I have the Blu-ray. It is a great movie. It, it and it as a trivia question, it's the first movie in which both Al Pacino and Robert De Niro appear on screen at the same time. And Val Kilmer. Well, yes, and uh, Val Kilmer. <laughs> uh, oh, John Voight is in it. Um, hold on, there are a couple other. Uh, what's his name? The guy that went crazy in the early two thousands. Um, oh, he was uh, Tom Sizemore. That was John Voight. Yeah. Yeah, but it's funny. <laughs> Same answer. Tom Sizemore is in it. Uh, a lot, lot of, lot of future stars. Uh, I think Henry Rollins oh, yeah. was in that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Great, great, great movie. Just a great, great. There is a car chase, or I'm sorry, there's a shootout scene in that movie that I think is the best shootout scene in ever any movie ever. Have you guys ever seen Heat? Any of you? Yeah. I've seen it, oh, but yeah. a long time ago, so I'm going to watch it again because I barely there's remember. A, there's a shootout scene with you know the police and the criminals that are just you tell me. It goes on for like 15 minutes, and it's just a great, it's a great action sequence. So, anyhow, um, all right, listen, I, I, Druff has to be up early, so let's. Anyone have closing comments? I got to get back to sleep for a bit. Anyone well, have anything they want to share before we go? Well, real quick, I've got two trips planned. So I've got one trip where I'm going to New York City for three nights with my family. And I've got another trip where I'm going to Cape Cod for, I think, eight, nice. or, nine, eight or nine days in a like uh, Airbnb that you can basically walk to the, the beach from. Which do you think is costing more money? Walk to the beach, eight nights in Cape Cod... Three nights in New York City. I think the New York three City is. New York City. It's not even close, I bet. It's three nights in New York City. Yeah. Right. And it's not not even the hotel. I, it, it's the the airfare was surprisingly high, which is, you might say, well, why the hell are you flying? Yeah, I was about it's to ask that. an hour that. and a half flight. Guess how much the, the plane ticket is? Uh, hour and a half. I'll, I'm going to say 500. Some, okay, I'll say, my gut was 600-ish, but I'll say 547. Anybody else? Is this one way or round trip? Round trip. Rochester, New York to New York City. It's uh, it's a about a six seven hour drive. I'll say uh, out of a, a small regional airport. That's say like, like four hundred eighty dollars. No, it's more than that. Four eighty. What do you say, Trader Risky? It's more than that. I would say no. Well, I think by three fifty each. Oh, I'd you're say. out of your mind. It's way more than you both are. Or no, drop right, so me- It's going to end. So let me just tell you, I have no idea how much of this has to do with the pandemic or how much has to do with it's the a fact that I... airport. No, 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 no. Because no, but he knows have, that. He knows that well. He's always going from there. Yeah, I'm always flying out of here. We have JetBlue that normally it, it normally would be like uh, I think it would be like 99 bucks each way is normally what it would be. So I don't know what is going on, whether it's the, the COVID stuff or you know I have no idea what the deal is. But Druff, you are super close. Ah, it's $472 per person. I said 5 I said 530. I'm not, Which is really yeah, it's just really close too, but let me just tell you that is om- almost triple 
It's closer to double what I would normally be paying for these tickets. He gets everything right. All the questions he knows. The, so, the so, so wait a minute. Here's here's the question, though. Why are you flying instead of driving if it's only six to seven hours? Because we're going down there for three days. Um, because we're, we're, my wife is taking – I can take off whenever I want. But my wife is taking off uh, vacation day for this thing. Um, and we would just have <clears> – <throat> we'd have very little time there. You, know, other, you, don't and I spend, also, you don't want to spend a full day in the car, basically. You don't yeah, I don't today. want to drive all the way to New York City and then deal with parking my car in Manhattan. You know what I mean? It's just one of the most unpleasant things. It's even worse than driving around yeah. in L.A. a lot of times. So I would rather just not deal with that. If it's a vacation, like, I don't mind just, in fact, I would prefer just flying down there and taking the subways or taxis. Well, it is true. When I've gone to New York City, what I do is when I need a car after New York City, if I'm going elsewhere, I actually have uh, driven into New York City and then returned the car and then re-rented the car when I'm done there. Yeah. No, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. I just don't feel like doing the drive. You know what I mean? And then yeah. also the amount of time oh. that my wife would probably have to take off work would increase because we would need lead time to get there, or we would only be there for like a day or two, which is kind of pointless. So, Well, well yeah. look, speaking – I know this is a whole other tangent, but this is just absurd. Have you guys heard how high the prices of rental cars have spiked all across the nation? I'm sure you have, right? I have heard that they've gone up, but I haven't priced them out. So, Druff, I'm sure you've heard about this, Trader. Yes, I know it so, very well. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's this problem that's been a result of this that has been occurring uh, all over, but mainly it's become an issue in Hawaii. And what people started doing in Hawaii was uh, whoever figured this out, it's got to be just genius. And then they started posting it and everyone else started copycatting counting it to the point where uh, the commission, the commissioners and, and the, the state legislatures had to step in and make an emergency ordinance to prohibit it. So in Hawaii, it was so outrageously priced for to rent a car, in some cases, four or $500 a day for a economy car, that people started, what do you think people started doing? Yeah, it's I know about this. They started renting out their own car. Uh, Druff, what's your answer? They started renting out their own car. No. Galawat, what's your answer? I was just going to say ride-sharing. I know in some no. countries that they, they do that anyway. Nope. Uh, Traderuski? Like, sub, sub, like subletting, kind of? So you rent no, it and then they you started, they, No, they started all renting U-Haul and rider trucks for mm. their vacations that in some cases were 1999 with unlimited miles. Some <laughs> cases, cases $19.99 with 50 miles a day. They started renting fucking moving trucks for That's their awesome. vacations, and it started, awesome. blo- it started blocking, you know, the the, the parking structures, and the, it was so congested with moving trucks that they literally had this. Go, go ahead and Google this. It, it's a, it's a, uh, unbelievable. They literally had to step in and, and pass some ordinance. I don't. I didn't even read. How can they? You know, how, what, how do you prove you're moving? What do you have to show? How do you prove what you're using it for? Maybe it's just probably in the spirit of a law that that. No, it may be that you can't. It. You can't have an out of state license. Maybe that's what it is. Oh yeah, you know what? You're right. That's what they said. Yep, that's exactly what it was. You're absolutely correct. And now that I now that you said, I remember it. But I just thought that was hilarious, and I'm thinking, so somebody did this, and then they posted it like on a travel forum or something, and then someone else, you know what I mean? Because how does something like that take off? Like, well, you know, a couple people do it and they're like, ha like we, you know, this is what we did. We're smart. But then how does it become a trend? Yeah. How does something like that get to the point where 
Like, but can you can you imagine that? Uh, like, you're there and you're in a U-Haul truck, like for your vacation <laughs> parking. You drive up to like you know that reminds me of like that 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 uh, you know I don't know Beverly Hills Cop too. There's a scene where Eddie Murphy pulls up with like this big ass like uh, like dump truck, and Chris Rock before anyone knew him was like. I get $5 for a car, $10 for a limo. What the fuck is this? You know, because he pulled up to the valet with, like, a dump truck, and he asked the valet to park it. You know, so that kind of reminds me of that. Like, what do you do? You drive up to your Marriott in a, in a U-Haul truck? You're at, the, <laughs> you know, you're at your hotel. I mean, it, it's nuts. So, yeah, the, it's, the vacation is like a human trafficking thing where they've got the, the back <laughs> right. packed with people. <laughs> right, great. right, right. It's funny. It's funny. It's funny. Well, the reason the, the yeah, shortage yeah. happened yeah. is because, and I'll tell you why it takes so, it's so hard in Hawaii to resolve. During the pandemic, they were not sure how long this was going to go on, and they a lot of these companies sold off their fleets, or lots of their fleets, to where they had much lesser capacity because hardly anyone was renting cars with hardly anyone traveling. Mm. And then abruptly everything ended. And then now everybody wants to rent cars for the summer and they were not able to buy them back at the same rate because there's also a new and used car shortage. So now they don't have cars. And in Hawaii, it's especially hard because uh, you have to get whatever cars over to the island. It's not just a matter of driving cars over from another area. So that's why it's uh, so tough over there. Even though this is not the high season to go to Hawaii, the high season is in the winter and somewhat in the early spring, but uh, not at all in the summer because everybody, they're in hot weather anyway. It's not that appealing to go somewhere like Hawaii when you can be in warm weather right at home. So uh, still, there's such a shortage that they're having, if they don't resolve this soon before the winter, they're going to have an even bigger problem. Can you imagine spending four or five hundred dollars a day, though? It's it's crazy, and um, yeah, at some point you just have to say, "I'm not doing it. I'm just going to do something yeah, else." Of course. Well, that's the point. I don't do it. At four or five hundred dollars a day, I don't rent a car. Your whole your car can in theory be more than your room is. Like that's just nuts. That's insane. I mean, but you know, I get it. it's all relative. You know, there are people that have enough money that whatever it is, they just pay it. But I mean, I almost didn't do the New York City trip. Like, I looked at what it was going to cost for everything. And, you know, this is for uh, myself, two kids. And due to the, uh, we wanted to book a hotel that we don't need anything super nice, but somewhere kind of near all the museums and stuff we're going to go to. Whole trip. What do, what do you think it's going to be for three nights in New York City? And I already, you already gave away the airfare for four people. Uh, what, what do you, what about, do you think? I'm going to say about $3,000. That was my, that was gonna be my guess. Frederiski, three thousand one. Yeah, so I'm surprised you guys are off on this because I mentioned that it's gonna be two rooms. So it's oh, I didn't hear that part. I missed that part. It, I didn't hear that. It, yeah, it's actually gonna be forty six hundred dollars for, okay. for, for three freaking nights in New York City. Well, I didn't. You I was. Just, you can't put the kids for one night on a cot or on the floor. You're really sorry. I mean, <laughs> or, or stick, uh, stick them in the back of a room. Yeah, that's what I've well, done. Look, I, I I don't I don't get two rooms usually. When that I was Hanson, booking that, it, that Hanson kid must be paying you well, man. Because I'll tell you, when I grew up, my parents wouldn't have spent that kind of money for my own room in New York City. They'd say you sleep on the couch or on the floor. For those All right. Places. So here's here's the deal, though. When I went to book this, okay, when you put in the number of of uh, adults and the number of kids, most of the hotels near where we wanted to be said that they did not offer that. You know, I mean, now you're right. We totally probably could have done it. Like we were, we just would have booked it with. Two adults, one child, and then snuck the other one in and put them on the floor. Of or something. And it probably would have been fine. You know, it probably That's wouldn't have been. Would have done. 
On the other, right? on the other <laughs> hand, this is a nice little getaway. I wouldn't mind a little private time with my wife. You know, well, what I mean? and that, so, but there's oh. there's one other option. I don't know if you looked at this. Uh, sometimes you can get a suite for cheaper than uh, substantially cheaper than two rooms, and yeah. uh, and then you you have a door that closes and locks, and then you can there's like a couch bed, and then uh, you can even have them bring a rollaway in there. So I, that's actually what, usually what I've done when I uh, travel rather than doing two rooms. Because I, I admit, yeah. I, I don't like to travel for a long time. Three nights isn't a big deal, but I, I don't like going on long trips where you're just in the room with the kids the whole time, and then um, you're yeah. stuck. Well, not- and he wants to fornicate with the missus. Well, that's my point. Is that I, I, I would not want to go on a long trip where I can't do that, and, and so you have to have some kind of separate, at least a suite where the door closes. Right, and I did look. Trust me, I looked, and I, I found all sorts of, uh, like, I did find suites that you could rent, but none of them are, were less than this or nowhere anywhere near. Now, what we could have done is rented, a, you know, got a much cheaper hotel room as a suite somewhere outside of Manhattan and just, you know, hoofed it in. But I don't know. I, I just kind of like for what we're doing, I kind of would like to just be in the area. We can walk to Central Park. We can walk to a lot of these museums. And my my wife has some shopping she wants to do. So, you know. Calawat, do you have an American Express Platinum card? I do. Okay, well, then let me just tell you something. You should – do you, you already paid for the hotel? Yeah, this one's a done deal, but let me know for next time. Okay, well, but let me just tell you now then real fast because this right. is great. Starting July 1st, and then this expires at the end of December, thir- December 31st. Then it'll start again in January. Are you familiar with the, through the app, the website, etc.? When you log in, the uh, find hotels that you can book through American Express. You book on your own, put the card in yourself. They, yep. they have a collection. So anyhow, you know, and you paid for this. Now the bad news is they are increasing the annual fee starting now. But yep. two hundred dollars cre- credit for any hotel that's in their fine collection once a year. So yep. it will expire December thirty first. So you know, use that. That's and they I actually have a they have a travel booking service too that you can use yes. where you can Never just have them that. arrange it for you. Which actually I've used it a couple of times and it actually works pretty well. Nice. All right. Yeah. Well, that's good. But not. I mean, for the for this one, I'm just paying out the ass, and it just it is what it is. My wife has been wanting to do this for a while, so away we nice. go. You know. Let us know about that Amsterdam trip, but I I would not commit to traveling outside. (laughs) Druff won't even commit to coming to the World Series. I mean, I don't blame him. How can you commit to anything? You just don't know where things are going to be. And listen, Las Vegas, have you guys seen it? We had uh, almost 900 new cases yesterday. Yeah, it's a a COVID hotspot at the moment. Yeah, I see that. Isn't it it something crazy like 99% of the deaths are people that are unvaccinated, though? Yep, that's correct. That is correct. That's exactly the number I read. Yeah, that's. I, I'm having a hard time feeling that bad because anyone in the U.S. that really wanted a vaccine could have gotten it, and if you decided for whatever reason you didn't want to do it, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I mean, and last still week, is a strain on the healthcare system though, and obviously these people still need to be taken care of. So, I mean, it's it, honestly it is in everyone's interest that we get everyone vaccinated. But what are you going to do? I mean, you can't hold people down and force it, you know? So the last thing I, I promise to be the last thing, because this has just been on my mind, and this isn't a, a poker thing, but it's very interesting. Yeah. Have you boys, the gentlemen, been following what's gone on the last week, actually a week ago today, in Haiti? Yes. 
So <laughs> they're they're going to make a movie about that shit too. I guarantee it. This. It's 2021, <laughs> and in essence, some dude, some 60 year old dude who's a doctor in Florida, orchestrated. They you know they read the New York Times and Washington Post orchestrated this whole thing so he could be implemented as the president of Haiti, and nobody knows who this guy is. <laughs> I mean, this is insane. This is like uh, like an Austin Powers, like, you know, caper and Austin Powers has to stop. Some dude in Miami that no one's heard of ate everyone and did all this so he could be the president of Haiti. Like, hey, man, insane. you know, you, you work hard all your life. You, some people spend all your money on going to space. Other people want to overthrow yeah. small third world countries and install themselves as dictators. You know, I mean, I mean you got to do something I mean, with your money. Jeff, have you read this? Yeah, and I don't understand why th these guys who who did it though, who we hired. I don't understand why they turned themselves in so quickly. They were caught. Yeah, I, oh, they were caught. No, I had heard they turned. I I, I, the, I thought in, they turned uh, themselves in. No, no, they were caught. The, the two there were two Haitians that turned themselves in right away that yeah. claimed they were translators. The others were caught. Yeah, like, they were caught. There was died, a gun battle, died. and a few of them died yes. and everything. Yeah, the two that yeah. turned themselves in were. They claim that they were innocent translators that were hired. And this is a crazy thing. So these, listen, so these Colombians that were hired to kill the president, to risk their lives, to do all this craziness, do you know how much they were paid by this doctor? Probably not much. 2700 a month. What? <laughs> I mean. Because they were, they were in Haiti for a few months. They were paid 2700 Wow, I bet I, you Heather Talltree made more as a prostitute. How do you even, like, you think about, you know, these commandos and these secret, you know, you think it's hundreds of thousands of, you're assassinating a world, you know, democratically elected leader, 2700 a month. And this is just such a crazy story. They're definitely going to make a movie out of this, uh, Brandon. They, they have to. They have to. And they shot the president. <laughs> Listen, they shot the president 18 times, they said. They uh. caught 18 bullets laying right next to him in bed was his yeah. wife. She gets shot once in the arm. Like, what? Like, well, I, they're a good shot, at least. At least they're targeting. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're going to have to make a movie because this is just the most bizarre story in the world. It like, reminds it really me of, uh, is. I don't know, a, a really good book I read a long time ago. is called Charlie Wilson's War. They turned it into a movie that was uh, pretty, still read, pretty I good. Saw I saw it, yeah. The movie was pretty good, but the book was pretty amazing. It was a real, a real dude, a real guy from Texas who basically was orchestrating the, uh, the whole... <laughs> The whole guns for, uh, that were sent over to the um, oh god, the what now what ended up becoming Al Qaeda. I forget what it is, but I mean it was crazy story, crazy story. Um, it, but Tom man, Hanks, Julia yeah. Roberts, good movie. The movie was okay. The book, the book was pretty incredible, and the fact that it was a real world thing that actually happened, and the guy was like a, a U.S. senator was was pretty amazing. But, but yeah, man, imagine? this. This thing in Haiti is just absolutely off the charts nuts. Off the charts you nuts. You imagine there's a dude, though, like sitting in his office. He's on the phone. He's thinking, this is what he's orchestrating. Well, you know what it is. He probably doesn't like his wife and kids. He's like, they're not getting my money. I'm going to become the dictator of Haiti. <laughs> and even like the government in Haiti is like, we don't even know who this guy is. Like, that's what they said. They're like, we that's don't great. know who this guy is. Like, that's so how does he, like, we don't even know. Like, he wasn't some... <laughs> It's not even that he was. He, it's not even that he was wasn't a prominent political figure. He's not yeah. even an unprominent. Like he's no one knows who he is. That's it's, great. It's a, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> nuts. So I, I mean, I I Google this every day and try to keep up on the latest news because it's it's literally like a it's like a fiction novel. 
Like it, it just it makes no sense. So we got all Anyhow. sorts of crazy stuff well, going on, man. South Africa is basically the whole country is essentially yeah. a looting zone and a rioting zone. I I saw okay. some of those videos and it's unbelievable. Got kids like you know in their teens and they're shooting each other like like close yeah. up. Yeah. I mean I, that's it's disturbing. That's some disturbing stuff. And a whole prison was emptied out. Like the <laughs> the nation is just they're going to have some I, fun times ahead. I think. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. So, all right. Well, listen, Druff, I will turn it over to you unless anyone has anything else and you could do your closing stuff. Oh, we do have an announcement. Not just, so, yeah, we do. I, I made the announcement a little bit earlier in the show, but uh, we'll uh, make it a little more clear here. So, um, th- there is the plan for uh, Brandon to do a show himself next week. Uh, it's not, uh, we don't have an exact date on this yet, but it should be sometime next week. And uh, check twitter.com slash poker fraud alert to for more information on that and it'll be like a like a vegas uh themed show i don't believe brandon has the ability to uh take calls because of his uh or even have a co-host because of his equipment but well he, let me hey 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 hey, hey you don't insult the man's equipment Druff. Yeah, come on true. man let me come mention on. something i i talked to trader ruski about this and trader ruski suggested and I want the listeners to, to tell me what you think and, and reply in the thread or let Druff know. Trader Ruski suggested that we do this like we had done the election show that, that you were a part of. And what I, what I mean by that is do it on YouTube. Um, yep. So uh, so I could have hosts and Trader Ruski can be on. And you know I could even start earlier, Calawat. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Druff, if we did it that way so others could participate? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, yeah, you to? you could do that, and then I could, uh, I'd have to you do some kind of, I I can do a radio yeah, I mean, simulcast I maybe, or at the very least, I can, uh, I I can capture it in audio format and and put it out in the archives. Okay, so what there are what about a billion tools now that do this, Brandon, because of the okay. pandemic, like everyone has accelerated it. There are tons and tons of tools that will let you do uh, host a really easy audio and or video conference with people and just add, remove. They can have dial-in numbers, all this kind of stuff. So no, the problem really is broadcast. We're talking about the the format of the radio. The problem is you need you still need a stereo mix to do it, is unf- the way this is set up. So that's, Yeah, but you, okay. could still, you could still set up something like OBS or any number of things that could then stream it out somewhere. I would imagine you've got it. You're using ICE, right? Yeah, but uh, he's got to do this ICE himself has- is the problem. So it's... Uh, I see. Okay. Well, we'll figure something out. The yeah, point we'll, being we'll, that we'll figure it out. Druff's gonna be of assistance, and I will do a. It will not be long. You know, a couple. I mean, relatively long. It will be a couple hours, and it will you know be a Vegas type show, and uh, just. I would suggest just from a simplicity point of view, just like stream it onto YouTube. You know what I mean? And you can let people know where it's going to be. They can listen in. They can do all that kind of stuff. They won't get the uh, any of the live stuff on the site. But then, and then you can just export it in, uh, into the archive. Well, that's what I was probably thinking. Yeah that, yeah, that that I can just grab it and put the uh, the audio it's in the archive. It's just the path of least resistance that will cause the least headaches. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you guys for coming on here, and uh, <laughs> so stay tuned on Twitter.com/slash/PokerFraudAlert for the information regarding the next show with with Brandon and whoever else. And uh, thank you guys for appearing on here. And uh, I think Brandon and I have to go to bed now, and we'll we have something <laughs> to do in the morning. Uh, Calwatt, enjoy your day and enjoy your trip to New York. And uh, Trader Ruski, 
enjoy your day and uh, goodbye Thanks, to everybody. Everyone. And I'm going to tell, by the way, keep it with the Charlie Parker thing. Next week, I'll tell the story of my buddy Danny Nuccio, who got pulled out of junior high because his dad was selling uh, Blackhawk helicopters to the oh. Contras. Wow. Nice. Anyway, nice. The same thing. Have a great day, fellas. All right. See you later. Goodbye, everybody. All right. So make sure to check that Twitter. Twitter.com slash PokerFraudAlert will have the information about the next show, which I may or may not be part of, but I won't be running it, I can tell you that. And then we'll return back to normal. I know this was on a Tuesday, so some of you may not have expected this show, but hopefully you followed along and saw the announcement. I posted it several days in advance that we were moving it to Tuesday. And if you didn't know, you'll probably find it when you look at the archives, and this is just there. This actually ended up longer than I expected. Not nine hours or anything, less than seven, but still fairly long. But that's okay. I'll just get less sleep tonight. Or this morning. It's not really tonight. It's actually pretty light outside at this point. It always feels later than it is in the summer because the sun comes up earlier. Like in December, when it's 7 o'clock and still mostly dark outside, you can feel like it's still nighttime, even if you know it's 7. But in the summer, when you start seeing light at 5... Like, you feel like the morning's come, and you feel like you've been up too long. But, I still prefer the much longer days. It is nice to have the daylight, especially when you want to go out and do things like scenic activities. You have a lot longer to do it, and a lot longer to avoid the crowds. Anyway, thank you for listening. And twitter.com slash poker fraud alert for information on the next episode. That's all I have to say. Shalom.